It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Office hours and hours will be left standing this Friday night starting at 8 p.m. Office hours and hours. We go until Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Can you go the distance? Can you? Join us for office hours to sign up. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the attend office hours button and you'll get a link. We go 24 hours. It's going to be spectacular. Right, Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be Awesome. Are we going to get a a uh, community billboard? Yes, today? sir. Probably, probably towards the end of the show. I still got a little bit more putting okay. putting it together I, to do. I need to know how Glenn Costick. Yeah, my man. I want to know what he's eating. Good evening and welcome to the mop up for March 1st, 2021. I'm David Feldman coming to you from Manhattan, overlooking a parking garage's air shaft where the temperature is a balmy 46 degrees with a 20% chance that I will open my window and throw a brick at the next BMW that pulls in at 3 in the morning, blasting Everclear. A good night's sleep without somebody only thinking of themselves. That's all I want. Forget the vaccine, which apparently I'm ineligible for, because writing jokes in my pea-stained underwear is not considered essential. So forget the vaccine. I just want quiet. But that's, that's what we do in America. We breed one inconsiderate D-bag after another. And so peace and quiet becomes a luxury only enjoyed by the people who can afford it. The rest of us, we live on top of one another and... We're told it's all about freedom. 
It's all about the freedom to talk as loud, listen to music as loud, fight as loud, keep the TV blaring as loud, let the car alarm car alarm keep going as loud and as long as we want it to, because who cares that somebody is trying to sleep or read or, God forbid, think. God forbid anybody in this country gets the peace and quiet to just think. There's so much noise in this country, and most of you accept it. This, this nonstop din of music, cars, planes, horns, it's all designed to keep us on edge and not to think clearly, because if for a second we ever started to think clearly, the, the streets would be littered with human ears, because that's what the solution is. It's, it's cutting off your ears. That's the only solution to all this. I cannot believe that I haven't cut off my ears. I can't believe that people just don't cut their effing ears off. And it, it starts with the schools. Now, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who I think is the greatest mayor New York City has ever had, Bill de Blasio gave the city of New York universal preschool. That's what he ran on, universal preschool. He got elected. And guess what, Joe Biden? He kept his promise on something big, universal preschool. He, he wasn't making picayune promises like lifting the minimum wage to $15, where it already is in some states. He went big, Bill de Blasio. He promised universal preschools. He delivered and he got reelected. And now he's only slightly despised by everybody who lives in New York City, which is a great accomplishment if you're the mayor of New York. If everybody just despises you a little, that's quite an accomplishment. That makes you the greatest mayor ever of New York City. Now, the governor of New York, you might remember him, the late Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo fought de Blasio tooth and nail on universal preschool. Andrew Cuomo, the deceased governor of New York, uh, he didn't want universal preschool in New York City. Cuomo's, in case you forgot, also responsible for old people and prisoners dying from COVID. And then while he was writing his autobiography late last year on leadership, he was trying to cover up all the old people and prisoners he killed by not taking them into a safer place. But uh, apparently that's not the crime they're going to get Cuomo on. Cuomo's crime is he created a hostile work environment. The man killed prisoners. He killed grandma. But the work environment was hostile. <laughs> Gee, you think? He's a monster. Of course he's going to sexually harass the young women and groom them. And that is a crime, and he should have to resign for that. But why is it the sexual harassment that's taking Cuomo down? What about your dead grandmother? What about the dead prisoners who all died from COVID while he was busy writing his autobiography late last year on leadership and picking up an Emmy? Hostile work environment. Of course it was a hostile work environment. 
It's Andrew Cuomo. He spent the past six years trying to kill Mayor de Blasio's career. He's against universal preschool. Cuomo is a monster. So, yes, it was a hostile work environment. And I'd like to see the people who worked really close, who covered up for him, especially the women who covered up for him. I want to see them take the fall as well. I believe the women. We had Lindsay on the show. I believe her. I believe Andrew Cuomo is the son of Mario Cuomo, who used to be governor of New York, a a lightweight, a pretentious lightweight. And Andrew Cuomo, like his brother Chris Cuomo on CNN, they think they're entitled to whatever they want. In Andrew Cuomo's case, the young women who were working for him. Andrew Cuomo is disgusting. Chris Cuomo is repulsive. They're belligerent. They exude a sense of entitlement. And they were raised wrong. Andrew Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, they were raised to objectify people. They, they were raised to see people as opportunities, including women. And they'd be Republicans if that's what the people were buying in New York City, where they grew up. But the people in New York City are only buying Democrats. And I mean literally buying and owning Democrats. And uh, so the Democrats, uh, they took on Cuomo. Cuomo's took on the Democrats. The point I'm making is universal preschool, which Cuomo was against. Uh, Universal preschool. Preschool should be universal. It should be in every state, in every city. And there's only one thing preschoolers should be taught. It has to start early. Forget reading. Just one thing. You teach them one thing. Shut up. That's it. Shut up. And, of course, keep it down. Shut up and keep it down. And then they should do a refresher course around 10th grade. 10th grade should only be keep it down and shut up. That's eight hours of 10th grade should be teaching Americans keep it down and shut up. Turn the volume down, way down, and take off your shoes because people live below you. That's all 10th grade should be, and that's all preschool should be. Keep it down, shut up, take your shoes off because people live below you, and don't ask David Feldman, what he, don't ask him what he's doing these days. Kids, when you see David Feldman at a party or a family reunion, don't say, who are you writing for these days? What's it your business? Why do I have to defend myself to you? You work for Wells Fargo. You don't hear me asking, so uh, how many single moms living on a fixed income did you illegally foreclose on this week? I go to a party. I have to defend my career. Steve Mnuchin, who foreclosed on women living on fixed incomes, He's, uh, he's a hero at parties. I have to defend myself. That's all I ask that we teach in our preschools. Shut up, keep it down, take your shoes off, people live below you, and don't ask David Feldman who he's writing for these days. We're coming up 
on the one-year anniversary of COVID hitting our shores. And in that one year, our nation's 650 billionaires saw their wealth grow by $1 trillion. Jeff Bezos from Amazon saw his wealth climb by more than $70 billion. Meanwhile, here in America, the Census Bureau, which cannot be trusted, they lowball this. They report that only 10 million people have lost their jobs due to the pandemic, and only 26 million Americans don't have enough to eat. They are lowballing that, as the Census Bureau always does. Most experts say that number is much higher, with more than one in five children living in poverty and more than one in five children not having enough to eat. Listeners to this show know that Amazon workers in Bessemer, there are about 5,000 of them, workers uh, for Amazon in Bessemer, Alabama, right now are voting on whether or not to unionize. There are 400,000 Amazon workers in the United States. Not a single one of them is unionized. They are overworked, exploited, still not provided with hazard pay or the protective equipment they need to prevent the spread of COVID. Now, on Sunday, President Biden gave supposedly this union drive support. It was so tepid. It was so odiously limp that he should have just kept his mouth shut. Now, the Democrats are supposedly the party of unions because unions have no place else to go. This is what Biden said on Sunday. He said, workers in Alabama and all across America are voting on whether to organize a union in their workplace. Let me be really clear. It's not up to me to decide whether anyone should join a union. But let me be even more clear. It's not up to an employer to decide that either. President Biden, let me be clear. You're not being clear. You are siding with Amazon. That statement sides with Amazon. That is just chicken shit and cowardice and something we expected from you, which is why we supported Bernie. That statement of yours, you should have just kept your mouth shut. You never mentioned Amazon by name. Nobody right now in this country knows about the workers in Bessemer, Alabama, because the news media doesn't cover unions. The mainstream media hates unions, so they're not covering. They're not covering the workers in Bessemer, Alabama. But Mr. President, you had an opportunity to make the mainstream media cover Bessemer, Alabama. You had an opportunity to put Bessemer, Alabama and those Amazon workers on the map. You could have forced Rachel and Lawrence and Wolf to cover the workers in Bessemer, Alabama and make Rachel and Lawrence and Wolf look like the the hypocrites they are because they purport to care about unions, but there's no labor reporter at CNN, no labor reporter at MSNBC, 
you never see union leaders on those networks. You never see anybody, unless it's from the AFL-CIO, talking about the plight of the working man on these liberal networks. But you didn't mention Amazon, President Biden. You didn't mention the Bessemer workers in Alabama who are primarily people of color in Alabama standing up to to Amazon. All you did was pay lip service to this imaginary toothless labor movement you have in mind. Biden had the you had an opportunity to embarrass Jeff Bezos the way Bernie Sanders did three years ago when he introduced the Stop Bezos Act in the Senate. He literally Bernie called his bill the Stop Bezos Act, and it called attention to the federally subsidized social services that Amazon employees are forced to use like food stamps and Medicaid, because Jeff Bezos doesn't pay them a livable wage. And Bezos was so ashamed by Bernie's bill, Bezos announced that Amazon would start paying all his workers $15 an hour. That's what Bernie accomplished. Now, $15 an hour isn't enough because Bezos punished his employees, what he leaves out of the story is that Bezos punished, he took the money back in more insidious ways. He stopped giving the workers stop stock options and made it more difficult to collect health benefits. But the point is, that's what Democratic politicians like Bernie should be doing. They're supposed to stand up for the rank and file. So let me be clear, Joe, you're the president you have a bully pulpit. The strike, right? The, not the strike. The, well, I hope there's a strike. Uh, we should not be, we should all be on strike when it comes to Amazon. You should not be using any products by Amazon. The, the union drive in Bessemer, Alabama could spark a fire of unionization across the heartland. Now, Biden says he supports unions, that they are the backbone of the middle class. He promised to be the most pro-union president in American history. So let me be clear, Joe. You are full of shit. When you say it's not up to me to decide whether anyone should join a union, you are failing the Democratic Party and anybody who's a member of the working class. It is up to you to push for unionization. This is the time right now, Joe, you should go to Bessemer, Alabama and make the case for unions. Stand up for the working man. Stand up for the working woman. Explain to those workers what exactly unions do, how they protect not just wages, but your safety and your security. It's up to you, President Biden, but you and everyone around you is completely full of shit. You can't even mention Amazon in your pro-labor speech? Well, I think it has something to do with Joe Biden's former press secretary. When he was vice president, he had a press secretary who then went on to become Obama's press secretary. You might remember 
this man, Jay Carney, uh, used to be Obama's press secretary, press secretary, used to be Joe Biden's press secretary. Now he's the chief spokesman for Amazon, which means Joe Biden drawing attention to the way Amazon exploits its workers, the way its anti-union activities are illegal. Joe Biden prosecuting Amazon for spying on its employees, weeding out the, the ones who they think might vote for a union and firing them, lying, holding meetings and lying to to these frightened workers about what joining a union would do to them in terms of getting fired, threatening to fire them and lying to them about how unions actually hurt them. That's all illegal. Those are all violations of the National Labor Relations Board. All that that Amazon is doing, uh, Joe uh, can't do anything about that because Jay Carney is his friend. So it's complicated. It's complicated. So we'll work with Amazon. We have an in with Amazon. Our, our Both our press spokesman, but, but our, uh, Jay Carney, the guy who used to be speak for me, now speaks for for uh, Jeff Bezos. I, we can we can work this out together. The White House said it would have been unseemly for a president to come out in favor of a union drive. But somehow it's not unseemly for Jake Carney to leave the White House and go be the chief spokesman for Amazon. Somehow that's not unseemly. A spokesman for Obama, a spokesman for Biden when he was vice president is now the spokesman for Amazon. But we're told it's unseemly for for a president who represents the working man to to speak out in favor of a pro-union drive in Bessemer, Alabama. It would be unseemly for the president of the United States to come out and say, I support a union drive in Bessemer, Alabama. It would be unseemly for Joe Biden to come out against Amazon, which we all know is evil. We all know it's evil. And if you're a Democrat who doesn't think Amazon is evil, get out of the party. Get out of the party. Biden promised us a $2,000 check. Now we're lucky if we get... 1200 or 1400 And he, he says, you know, I'd like to do it, but I don't know where the money is going to come from. Well, here's, here's where the money would come from, Joe. Tell the Bessemer workers and you know, the Amazon workers in Bessemer, Alabama, tell them to go union. That's where the money will go. That, that's where the money will come from. That'll save money. That will balance the federal budget, Joe. Tell Amazon... Tell your friend Jay Carney to tell that homunculus Jeff Bezos to pay his workers a livable wage. So the federal government doesn't have to pay for the working poor's food, housing and medical expenses. See, we're subsidizing Amazon. That's where the money comes from, Joe. That's how you pay us a $2,000 check. You make Amazon pay their workers a livable wage, give them health insurance and enough money so they don't have to go on food stamps. Demand that Amazon pay a livable wage 
so the federal government doesn't have to pick up the costs to feed and house, give medicine to the people who work for Jeff Bezos. And while you're at it, tell Jeff Bezos to pay taxes. That's where the money comes from, Joe. Tell Amazon to pay taxes. Amazon didn't pay any taxes last year. You're so busy worrying about Trump's taxes. Amazon is a gigantic tax dodge. It paid zero in taxes last year. And, and it got to where it is today by not paying sales taxes. This is the most unpatriotic company. Jeff Bezos is the most unpatriotic American in the history of this country. He pays zero in taxes and he was built, he built his company by not paying sales taxes. All the bookstores in America went out of business because they had to pay sales taxes and Amazon didn't. So most people went to bookstores, they browsed, they thumbed through the book they wanted to buy, and then they went home because they didn't want to pay sales tax, and they went on Amazon and bought the book on Amazon, and nobody said anything about this. But Joe doesn't know where the money's going to come from to, 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 to help the, uh, the people who need a stimulus check. Can't give you $2,000 every month. Last week, Joe Biden had money to bomb Syria. Somehow, America always has money to drop bombs on people of color. It's never complicated when it comes to killing people in the Middle East. But when it comes to Americans who are suffering right now, Americans who work for Amazon, who are working, doing everything right, and they're still living below the poverty line, somehow Joe Biden can't muster the courage to stand up to Jeff Bezos, who, quite frankly, is more of a threat to America than Bashar Hafez al-Assad. Bashar Hafez al-Assad never destroyed Main Street USA the way Jeff Bezos has. Assad never killed independent bookstores and record stores and mom-and-pop furniture stores. Jeff Bezos did. Jeff Bezos, this homunculus, has to be broken up. Not Amazon. Not only Amazon needs to be broken up, but so does Jeff Bezos. He needs to be broken up. This misshapen eyesore of a monstrosity who looks in the mirror each morning and says, you know, I have one trillion, but if I had two trillion dollars, then maybe I won't need a Jeroboam-sized vial of Viagra to sustain my pathetic stump of an erection in order to have sex with a woman who I pay to tell me she's not having sex with me because I'm paying her. Jeff Bezos is a disease. He's the sickest man in America and the most dangerous. He cares nothing about his workers. He cares nothing about America or the planet for that matter. He's building his own space program because he doesn't think the Earth has much longer. That's not conjecture. That's not my trying to be incendiary. That's Jeff Bezos. Those are his words, words that he's very proud of. In high school, he wrote, the Earth is finite. 
And if the world economy and population is to keep expanding, then space is the only way to go. Now, where did I find that? It's from a speech Bezos recently gave. During a speech he gave about three years ago, he said he wrote when he was a teenager that the earth is finite, and if the world economy is to keep expanding, space is the only way to go. He admits to writing that as a kid, and he says he still believes that. He still believes that. He believes we have to go to the moon, Mars, build space stations that have forests and house millions of people because he feels that's a better investment of his fortune and of America's fortune than saving the planet because our economy has to keep growing. It's even been suggested that Jeff Bezos believes the Earth should be turned into an uninhabited national park. He believes the economy has to keep growing, and the only way it can keep growing is if we leave the planet Earth. This is how sick this man is. He is evil, and he's evil because nobody stands up to him. Joe Biden won't even stand up to Jeff Bezos because the resume builders who surround Joe Biden are being lobbied by Jay Carney. Again, Jay Carney, this piece of shit who was Joe Biden's press secretary, then became Obama's press secretary. And now Jay Carney is Amazon's chief communications officer, and he fancies himself a Democrat. You think Jay Carney, you think his calls don't get answered at the Biden White House? You think there aren't promises of jobs at Amazon awaiting Joe Biden's army of self-dealing grifters? Joe Biden cares nothing about unions. He launched his presidential campaign inside the Philadelphia law offices of our nation's largest union-busting law firm. This administration cares nothing about the people who work for Amazon. They care only about their resume. Uber's chief legal officer is Kamala Harris's brother-in-law. His name is Tony West. He is married to Maya Harris, the vice president's sister. The vice president's sister was the vice president's campaign chairwoman. And the vice president vacations with her sister and Tony West, Uber's chief legal officer. They vacation together. They're all best friends. And, and Tony West, her brother-in-law, his job over at Uber is to prevent Uber drivers from being classified as employees. Forget unions. Kamala's sister's husband, his job is to make sure Uber drivers get absolutely no benefits. Nothing. No health care. No pension, no sick pay, no maternity leave, no hazard pay, no protective equipment, absolutely nothing. Tony West, Kamala Harris's brother-in-law, the guy she vacations with, his job is to make sure Uber drivers are the working poor and are one paycheck away from living on the streets they drive on.
That's the guy our vice president, our Democratic vice president, welcomes into her family. She's okay with that. Bombs for Syria. Somehow there are no gray areas for Joe Biden and the vice president when it comes to when it comes to dropping bombs on Syria. No gray areas, no nuance. But when the Democrats have to address the way way workers are treated, there's nuance. They're gray areas. So as Joe Biden would say, let me be clear. There are no gray areas. There's no nuance. If you're the number one lawyer for Uber, as is the vice president's brother-in-law, then you're a piece of shit. You're not welcome into my family. If your job is to make sure drivers are exploited, that drivers don't get health care, that they don't get pensions, sick days, maternity leave, if your job is to make sure Uber drivers don't unionize, you're a horrible human being. You're a monster, and your money is filthy. You are filthy. I stand in judgment and point my finger at Tony West and say, you are a piece of shit. You're filthy, and so is the woman who shares your bed, and so is your family. And you do not belong in my family. You don't belong in my home. I'm not going to go on vacations with you. And you most certainly do not belong in the Democratic Party. And if you're going to be our vice president, you disown this piece of shit. But Tony West, Kamala's brother-in-law, Democratic Party, lousy with lackeys for the oligarchs. Jay Carney over at Amazon, David Pluff, who's on MSNBC all the time as Obama's campaign manager. Nobody ever identifies David Pluff as the guy who was fined close to $100,000 by the city of Chicago for illegally lobbying Mayor Rahm Emanuel on behalf of Uber. Rahm Emanuel, Obama's former chief of staff, who left the Clinton White House to pick up a couple million working for Goldman Sachs and then went back into politics working for Obama, and then he ran for mayor of Chicago. Plouffe left the Obama White House to become senior vice president, policy and strategy for Uber. Nobody ever mentions that on MSNBC. In all fairness, he no longer works for Uber. Now he works for Facebook. But it's funny how MSNBC never identifies David Pluff as a Facebook executive or an Uber executive. He's just identified as a former advisor to Obama. You'd think Pluff would be proud that he works for Uber and Facebook, or maybe it's a dirty, dark secret that he's a whore. Chuck Schumer's idiot daughter graduated from Harvard, then went straight straight to work for, for Facebook. Facebook's entire executive suite is filled with Democrats or their dim-witted kids. I always see Joe Lockhart on CNN, Bill Clinton's former press secretary. Apparently, that's all Joe Lockhart. If, if, if you just listen to CNN, all Joe Lockhart has ever done is he was Bill Clinton's press spokesman. 
That's it. The guy, if you just take it from Wolf Blitzer, he hasn't had a job in 21 years. Joe Lockhart was Bill Clinton's press spokesman and he stopped working. Turns out Joe Lockhart became a lobbyist after he left Bill Clinton. Then he went to work for Facebook. And then he founded his own lobbying shop called Glover Park Group. And they lobby for DuPont, Coca-Cola, meat, poultry, and seafood manufacturers, Fox, Disney, Viacom, Verizon, and several pharmaceutical, surgical supply and hospital groups. But somehow, nobody mentions that when he's on CNN pontificating on whether or not Ivanka has what it takes to run for Senate in Florida. And then there's Robert Gibbs, Obama's press secretary, the one before the whore Jay Carney. Jay, Jay Carney from Amazon was Obama's press secretary. Before that whore was apologizing for Obama. This whore, Robert Gibbs, he left the Obama White House to become a spokesman for McDonald's. Gibbs went from Obama to McDonald's, which makes sense because Obama is headquartered in Chicago and McDonald's is headquartered in Chicago. Makes sense. McDonald's tastes like shit and Obama is completely full of shit. And then Robert Gibbs left McDonald's and uh, started going on uh, work in for Uber and Facebook and McDonald's. He formed a uh, formed his own lobbying group. It's called Bully Pulpit Interactive. They work for Uber, Facebook, McDonald's. I saw one of his interactives insisting that McDonald's is actually healthy for your children. But when he's on MSNBC, they don't identify him as a lobbyist. You know, Rachel, Brian, Larry O'Donnell, they would never point out that he works, that he's a lobbyist now for McDonald's. Rachel, Brian, and Larry on MSNBC would never find the time to ask Gibbs about all those McDonald's workers who staged strikes last month demanding $15 an hour because they're too busy asking Gibbs about whether or not Don Jr. has a future in the Republican Party. Bully Pulpit Interactive, that's the name of Robert Gibbs' lobbying organization because he stood at the bully pulpit. He was Obama's press spokesman. Bully pulpit, that comes from Teddy Roosevelt. Roosevelt said the president has a bully pulpit. And while Teddy was one of the most dangerous presidents in American history, he did use his bully pulpit to take on the trusts because the president has a bully pulpit. Biden, right now, could use that pulpit to come out against Amazon and tell their workers to vote for a union. But they say, you know, it's unseemly. It's not unseemly. There are no rules. There are no norms. If Ronald Reagan can fire the air traffic controllers for going on strike, the very least Joe Biden can do is tell the Amazon workers in Bessemer, Alabama, to vote for a union. The very least. When Reagan took office, nearly 25% of the American workforce was union. Now it's less than half of that. 
Biden should be name-checking Amazon. He should be name-checking Jeff Bezos. He should fly to Bessemer, Alabama right now and tell those workers to vote union. He could do that. But instead, he holds candlelight vigils for the victims of COVID. Like, that helps. Like, that does anything for anyone. Being the griever-in-chief. The griever-in-chief. That doesn't instill confidence in the American people flying down to Texas last week, grieving with the people. That doesn't help anyone. You know what it does? It signals that all the federal government can do is suffer with you instead of fix things. Spare me your effing tears, Joe Biden. Do something. And I've heard rich Democrats say, you know, one of the things I really like about Joe is he's experienced so much loss in his life. He understands suffering. You know what? Everybody experiences loss in their life. Everybody. Nobody holds the monopoly on loss. We all suffer loss. Yeah, but but Joe Biden, he understands what we're going through. I don't need him to understand what I'm going through. I need Medicare for all. I need unions. I need a $15 an hour minimum wage. I need you to fix the climate. If you're not going to fight for the people who are starving in this country, then 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 go. You're this close to to what is he's pushing 80? This is what you want to do with your life, Joe Biden? Protect Jeff Bezos, you piece of shit. I need a president who will do something to end the suffering in this country, not help me understand it, not cry with me. Take that empathy and shove it up your ass. That's what the Democrats are. They're, they're a party of fatalists. They've trained the American people that there is nothing that can be done. So we have to understand the mysteries of the universe instead of doing something about it. The, the, parliamentary, the parliamentarian says you can't attach an increase on in the minimum wage to a budget bill. There's nothing we can do. We want to, but our hands are tied. It's the, it's the parliamentarian. This is customer service 101. Yes, we overcharge you for that ATM fee, but it's already in the system. There's nothing we can do. Our hands are tied. Guess what, Joe? Fire the parliamentarian. Change the rules. It's that simple. Change the rules. The Democrats are in charge of the Senate. They make the rules. Change the rules. It's that simple. That's what the GOP does. Forget changing the rules. The, the, the Republicans will just ignore them. So get rid of the filibuster. You can do it. Otherwise, the voters are going to get rid of you. And they're going to replace you with what I saw at CPAC this past weekend. And... It's going to be far worse than the Democrats. I'm telling you, if the Democrats don't start putting big numbers on the board, something far, far more horrific than Donald Trump is waiting for us. And the Democrats are doing nothing. We will be uh, right back. It's time right now. For the David Feldman Show He's talking politics and comedy too He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to He's just a lefty 
From way back He's a union man With an Emmy for writing Someday he's mad And he feels like fighting It's time right now For the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right Buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say And he's coming your way Welcome back. Welcome back. Coming up, gentleman farmer Johnny Russ. But right now, from New York, from New York, he's back from the beautiful Bayville on the Gold Coast of Long Island's North Shore. Let's welcome our old friend, Jackie the Joke Man Martling. For personal video messages, go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. For more information, go to Go to Jokeland.com. Hello, Jackie. Mommy, mommy, what's a vampire? Shut up and drink your tomato juice. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call a Catholic with shit on his head? <laughs> what? Crap ties. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, guys, this is the bartender. Yeah, on last night, my God, this babe was great. She blew me. And while she was blowing me, she stuck two fingers far up my ass. The bartender says, geez, you know, if a girl did that to me, I don't think I'd be able to concentrate enough to really enjoy it. I think I'd have to tell her to stop blowing me. What would you call a midget Nazi? (laughs) What would you call a midget Nazi? What, Jackie? Half of Hitler. Hands are watching the passengers leave. A redhead starts down the gangway, and the first deckhand says, See that woman with the red hair? I fucked her. The other deckhand says, You fucked her? He says, I fucked her. A brunette starts down the gangway, and the first guy says, You see that one there with the dark hair? I fucked her too. <laughs> the second deckhand says, You fucked her? He says, I fucked her. A blonde starts her way down the gangplank, and the second deckhand says, Do you fuck her too? And the first deckhand takes out his brick and starts pulling on it and says, No, but I'm going to fuck her right now. <laughs> nice. That's very nice. <laughs> nice. So a couple's with their lawyer, and they're drawing up their wills. The couple's drawing up their wills, and the husband says, 
I never want to be dependent on a machine and fluids to exist. His wife says, so I'll unplug the TV and throw out your beer. <laughs> <laughs> so the crowd's coming out of a Broadway theater, and a drunk goes up to a guy in a suit and says, hey, hey, my good man, can you, can you, can you loan me ten bucks? The guy says, neither a borrower nor a lender be. William Shakespeare. And the drunk says, fuck you, Tennessee Williams. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's a mother-in-law like a fart? What? <laughs> How? They're noisy. They always make a stink. And it's impossible to get them to go back where they came from. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yes, that is true. I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> So a little old lady's on the deck of a cruise ship, and she's holding on to her hat so it won't blow off in the wind. The captain comes up and says, ma'am, your dress is blowing up in the wind. And ma'am, you're not wearing any panties. She says, oh, I, 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 I know that, but I, I need both hands to, to hold on to my hat. He says, but ma'am, your, your privates are being exposed. She says, sonny boy! Anything anybody can see down there is 85 years old. I bought this hat yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you hear about Rush Limbaugh's funeral? No. The mortician gave him an enema and they buried him in a shoebox. <laughs> <laughs> An escaped convict breaks into a young couple's house and ties them up. The husband says, honey, this guy hasn't had any sex for years and years. Please do anything he says. Our <laughs> lives depend on it. She says, I'm glad you feel that way because I just heard him say to himself that you got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> What has two legs and bleeds? Uh, I'm afraid. What? Half the population. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a guy hasn't taken a crap in three weeks. A, ma a guy three hasn't weeks. what? Hasn't taken a crap in oh, three okay. weeks. So his doctor admits him to the hospital and gives him a really powerful laxative. In the middle of the night, the guy lets loose with a full three weeks worth. Just it's just everywhere. It's all over the sheets, the bed, the floor. It's everywhere. Oh my god! And he's really embarrassed. So he rolls up the sheets with all the bunk in it and just rolls it up and throws it out the window. And there's two drunks slipping it off under the window when the pile lands on the first drunk. He jumps up and he flails around and flails around until he finally gets the sheets off him. The second drunk says, what the hell is going on? And the first drunk says, I, I think I just beat the shit out of a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> a guy says to the bartender, hey, the doctor told me I had to lose 140 pounds. The bartender says, so what'd you do? He says, 
I set my wife on fire. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you can't do that. You cannot. No. No, no, no. No. How do you break an appointment with the sperm bank? How? Tell them you can't come. <laughs> <laughs> so two guys are thrown into the same prison cell. And the first guy says, what'd you do? The other guy says, I, I fucked the cabbage. <laughs> and some stupid old law says I got to spend the whole day in prison. The other guy says, for fucking a cabbage? Jeez. The first guy says, so how long you in for? The other guy says, seven years. First guy said, "What'd you fuck a whole field of them?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's the definition of indefinitely? What's the definition of indefinitely? Indefinitely, when it's in hard, in long, in deep, and your balls are slamming against their ass, it's indefinitely. <laughs> from New York, from beautiful Bayville on the glorious Gold Coast of Long Island's North Shore. <laughs> It's been Jackie Martling for personal video messages. Go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. For more information, go to jokeland.com. Will you come back next week? So a rabbi and a priest get in an accident. They both get out of their cars. They call the police. And as they're looking at the damage, they start a nice conversation. They get friendly. The rabbi goes in his trunk and gets out a bottle of wine, opens it up, hands it to the priest and says, here, have a drink, my friend. The priest takes a big swig and passes it back to the rabbi. And the rabbi says, no, nah, none for me. I'm going to wait for the police. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. We'll talk to you next what week. Would you call, what would you call an anorexic booger? <laughs> what? Slim Pickens. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got two more great ones. Okay. Mindy calls home and she says, Ma, I'm coming home from college for the weekend. I've got a new boyfriend, Ma. And no, he's not Jewish. He's Spanish. He has no job, Ma, but he's great. Oh, he's great. I can't wait to tell you all about him. But don't wait up for me. I'll be late. Her mother says, okay, just when you come in, please turn off the gas. <laughs> <laughs> One more. So a magician's working on a cruise ship, and it's a great gig. It's really easy because the audience gets rotated. It's a completely different audience every week. So he can do his same tricks over and over, and he's killing. He's doing great. Then the captain buys a parrot and puts a stupid parrot on a perch on the side of the stage. So the parrot sees the show over and over each week, and eventually the parrot figures out how the magician does all the tricks. So in the middle of the show, the parrot starts shouting, Look! It's the not the same hat! Hey! Uh, hey! Can't you see he's hiding the flowers under the table? Uh, uh, he's so... Uh, why are all the cards the ace of spades? Uh, it's freaking the magician out. He's ruining the show, but he can't do anything about it because it's the captain's parrot. Then one day, the ship's main boiler explodes. Boom! Next thing you know, the magician finds himself floating on a piece of wood in the middle of the sea with the parrot. Just the magician and the parrot 
on a piece of wood in the middle of nowhere. And they're staring at each other and staring at each other for a couple of days. And finally, the parrot looks over and says, Okay, I give up. Where's the fucking ship? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jackie. We'll talk to you next week. I'll be ready. Okay, thank you, buddy. Hey, one of the first words Alexander Graham Bell would have said if he invented the telephone on Fire Island. <laughs> what? Watson, come here. I want to blow you. <laughs> ah, that's great. Right. Jesus. All right. Thank you, Jackie. I got, I got one, uh, one good, one fun, nice marriage joke. Okay. Two guys are trying to get in the quick 18 holes. They're golfing. They're trying to get in the quick 18 holes. But there's two really terrible lady golfers in front of them. And they're hitting the ball everywhere and just taking forever. The first guy says, you know, this sucks. Why don't you go over and ask him if we can play through? Second guy gets about halfway there. He turns around and comes back. And the first guy says, what's wrong? He says, hey, one of them's my wife and the other one's my mistress. The first guy says, well, yeah, I guess that could be a problem. I'll go over. He gets about halfway there. He turns around and comes back and he says, small world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jackie. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Let us now go to Deerfield, Massachusetts, where gentleman farmer and comedy writer Johnny Ross is standing by. Hello, John Ross. Hey, David. I just um, set my wife on fire. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's yeah. Yeah. It was a funny joke. <laughs> it's a funny joke. Yes, I. We're on fire. So let me. We're going to do fifteen minutes today. Is that okay? Fine. <laughs> we're. I. I called you earlier. You knew what kind of mood I was in. So I thank you for coming through for me today. You're an old friend. Well, I, I listened to your uh, your opening, and uh, you better hope they don't get rid of the filibuster. <laughs> Holy mackerel, you windy son of a bitch. I, you know what? I, I shouldn't have called the president a piece of shit. Well, I'll tell you where you might get in trouble legally. Yeah. After, is um, you may get sued by the homunculus society. You need to be disparaging homunculus. Uh, or is it homunculi? I'm not sure. Homunculi, I believe. Yeah. I, I'm just, uh, well, what's on your mind, sir? Well, How's life going up in uh, up on the farm? Well, it's uh, I I put my first I planted my first seedlings in the uh, in the greenhouse. So it's a it, you know it's a, maybe a week early for peppers, but uh, I have a feeling it's going to be a warm you know early spring. I think it's that's the way we're going. So I planted a bunch of different varieties of peppers and uh, some lettuce and kale, and this that's in my little greenhouse. Wow! Now on a, on a heated pad, like they're little babies. You take oh. care. Yeah. You have you know I I know you're you know every nobody's life is perfect, but when you're overlooking the air shaft of a parking garage. Uh, I would have to think being on a homestead as you are 
life is a lot of gratitude. You're practicing a lot of gratitude, I would assume. It's pretty good. You know, my uh, wife, my wife, <laughs> got um, uh, the vaccine because she's a healthcare worker, supposedly. She mm-hmm. has a therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got the first one. Which one did and, she get? Um, you know, she would have told me, which meant she was talking. So <laughs> how would I know? <laughs> I I have a feeling not listening to her when she talks is going to eventually bite me in the ass. <laughs> um, but it's been working. Uh, no, I, I can't remember which one. I think Moderna. But um, and now this morning, my daughter, my 16 year old daughter, got an email saying she's going to get the vaccine. How come? Um. Why? She's white. <laughs> oh, thank God. No, no because uh, she's a f- uh, farm worker. She's uh, she. Works well, let me on just alert. Farm. Hang on for one second. Mark uh, Breslin okay. is here. I just want to alert. We're 10 minutes behind schedule, but we will do. I booked you early, Mark, to get the full. The f- OK, I just I'll, I'll do five minutes. No, we're going to do 10. We're, keep going. Well, so your so daughter's works- a farm worker. She works last summer. She, she worked on this farm and they want her back because she's good. And uh, so I guess they want to vaccinate farm workers. And now, you know where that farm is that she works. This is David Feldman show related. You're not going to be able to guess where is the town? A farm. Is it in Massachusetts? Yes. Is it is it owned by somebody that I wouldn't No, No, the the town. Someone is running for political office in that town. David Bacon is running in Northfield. The farm's in Northfield. It's only it's like two towns over. You th- you're that close to David Bacon? Yes, I am. And he's going to be excited that Treehouse Brewery is opening in my town because that's his favorite brewery. I happen to know from listening to your. You're show. that close to New Hampshire? Yes, it's yes that close. Wow, when this pandemic is not, when I'm this pandemic is over, I am going to have that area wired he's going to be a select man yeah we're, we're going to start doing okay so that's uh, all right so here's my i feel like this uh they're railroading mario cuomo they're you know the a rush to judgment mm-hmm. um, look all he did was he asked her a hypothetical question he said hi would you blow me hypothetically <laughs> It was subjunctive. I don't see how that only a hypothetical situation. I don't even know if I'm allowed to laugh at that. uh, Like, it's okay that he killed grandma in the nursing homes. That we can laugh at. Not my grandma. That's right. (laughs) Um, Did you see the, um, you know, they keep saying uh, that, Oh, the, the Republican Party is now it's just the party of Trump and they don't have a platform. It's just this idolization of this one guy and that they don't have a platform. And then did you see any of the CPAC? I they have a platform. They do. They have a platform. Yeah. The platform was literally that Nazi symbol. Did you see that? That They called the Odal rune. No. You know, see that? It's unbelievable. You have to look at it. It's 
the it's this Nazi symbol. It's kind of like the swastika, but not quite. And the stage, the platform is literally in the shape of this insignia. And you can see like a Nazi guy with a thing on it. Like, wow. Put, right. It's identical. Did you see Laura Ingraham give the Heil Hitler to, to it's she gave she gave Trump the Heil Hitler and I'm the first guy to say when look at something like that and go, oh, come on. It looks like that. It was a split second. Like I'm the first one to say that and give somebody the benefit of the doubt. When you see the still of it, you go, holy shit. And then you go, well, let me see it in context. And it's like she shoots it up there and then her expression changes and she goes, I'm waving to everyone. It's so clear that she did this maybe just to get a rise, get herself back in the news, get everybody talking and she can go, come on. Oh, you crazy lefties. But she you watch it. Find it. Lord. Wow. Wow. She totally goes like this to him and then starts waving to everybody. What little I watched. Uh, it reminded me that unless the Democrats start putting some serious numbers on the board, we're screwed because they, these people, there are yeah. enough aggrieved people who will cotton well, to this. And if, they, and if they make voting hard enough. Yeah, and they're know. making it impossible. for. Yeah, they're, they're, they're good at that. So we'll see. Hey, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a slip out. I just want to say this one thing since... You got Mark here, and I know you were talking about this with Mark on the other show about this guy. What's his name? Ward? Mike, Mike Ward. Ward. Mike Ward. And you keep saying, what about all the censorship where they won't let you go on network TV and make a joke about McDonald's workers? on? What's that fucking joke? Tell me that joke. <laughs> you don't have a joke. There's Write the joke, and then I'll go, oh, gee, that's funny, and they won't let you say that, huh? Do you just say, like, there's some mythical fucking no, there, joke? No, no, no. Come on. No, come You've on. written for late night. You know the rules. You could make. You've got you, to get a laugh. You could make. You could turn. You could create. There's Mayor McCheese. I don't know what the joke is, but you could create. You don't know what the joke is. But, Write the joke and then you can. You make. could create a whole bit about the the oppressive work conditions and with Ronald McDonald and the Hamburglar doing wage theft. Right. The Hamburglar there. There's the joke. You could have him doing wage theft. You couldn't get away with that. It's um, a knee slapper. OK. It, well, OK. You know, I mean, look. it's repetition. All jo- Nobody knew that uh, Monica Lewinsky did something with a cigar until the late night hosts told America a thousand times in one week that. No, she- I, I, I know. But that that's a that's a more fertile subject. <laughs> If I may. But you create the archetype. So, you know, McDonald's is you could. Yeah. You know, they could hammer away. Yeah, that's true. And but they are the advertisers. And so there you go. There I go there. And and Ray Kroc's widow is underwriting NPR. So have you heard you? You're an NPR. You're a latte drinking, pretentious douchebag. You listen to NPR. Have you heard about McDonald's workers fighting for the $15 wage on uh, NPR? Huh? They have been for a while. But do do you hear about that on NPR? No, not, not, not enough. Mm. I mean, I agree. I wonder why. Um, All right. And and I'm sure because Boeing and Raytheon subsidize NPR, uh, Syria, when we drop bombs on Syria, it's a, it's complicated, isn't it? 
Mm. It's, it's hard to unravel who the good guys oh. and the bad guys are. I guess we should just trust Joe Biden, right? I just trust you, the David Feldman show. Right now, yeah. I'm gonna go order something on Amazon. Anything, I don't care what it is. <laughs> I order something every single day. In fact, I have an app now mm-hmm. that just orders. I don't even know what it is. It just sends me stuff just because it pisses you off. Okay. That gives me pleasure. I know it does. I love you, buddy. Thank you. All right. Uh, okay. Hey, yeah, come on up. I'm uh, going to come up and you can when I get the virus so I can bring something. Instead of bakery, I'm going to bring some COVID with me. Let us thank you, buddy. Let us now go to Toronto, Canada. Come back Thursday. I, you you helped me out today. Come back. Okay. Th- okay, thank you. I'll call you later. Thank you. Let's go to Toronto, Canada, where Mark Breslin is standing by. Founder, president of Yuck Yucks. Do you know John Ross? Well, I have to un- you have to unmute yourself. There. I don't know him. But I certainly like listening to him and, you know. He's leading he's the good right. life. Look, look, he's right about, uh, he's certainly right. I know what we were talking about last week. I can only tell you this. In a comedy club like mine, you can say anything because we don't have sponsors. We don't care what McDonald's right. thinks of us. But nobody wants to hear um, class struggle jokes because the audience just doesn't care. Yeah, but you the other thing to think about is this. In a comedy club. You know how much it costs to get into a comedy club? It's not cheap anymore. Right. $25 each uh, on a weekend, and then there's drinks, and then if you have a babysitter and you have to park and pay for gas. Um, so it's $100 a evening. It's like it's more expensive than going to a movie with, with your date. Right. So do you think those people are really motivated to care about the class struggle? I don't. Right. Um, I, somebody once asked me long ago, why don't I, you know, I come to your club and nobody does jokes about the trilateral commission. What's wrong with you? And I said, well, first they would have to know what the trilateral commission is. And then maybe we could do a joke about it. No, they want to hear about sex, sex, and more sex. Mm-hmm. That's relationships. That's what, that's what they want. It's a, it's a mainstream crowd. It's a mainstream audience. You could say anything but they're not necessarily interested in there's the irony. Right. But but would you say it's fair that comedy clubs are not necessarily representative of Canada writ large? That only oh, a... No, I disagree. I think they're very representative, completely representative. In fact, this is you'll find this interesting. There was a, a guy who was uh, um, one of those people who organizes political campaigns. He gets candidates to win. Mm-hmm. That's his job, right? Um, I guess he's sort of like uh, a liar, uh, a paid liar, sorry? a paid liar, Charlotte. A paid liar, of course, a paid liar, right. but even more than that. So um, he used to come to, to the club all the time. And he told me he loves to come to Yuck Yucks because that's where he finds what people, the general public is really thinking. Like figuring out what they're laughing at. And he can, and he, he's got them pegged. He said they're center right. Um, They're very liberal when it comes to personal issues like prostitution, drugs, sex, any of those things. But they're kind of disinterested and non-activist when it comes to anything that would threaten the structure of the society we live in. He said that's what he's found out, that he used to come all the time. He's retired now. But uh, I thought that was very interesting that he chose a comedy club to find out. Right, right. 
But before we go any further, I have to tell you, I've been working on a new project. I think you'll really? find interesting. Do you, um, do you follow hockey? Did you ever follow hockey? No. Oh, well, there used to be. Yes, yes. Amazing- I followed the Rangers. Uh, there was a period like, you know, yeah, Rod Gilbert and those people. Did you ever hear of a hockey star named Gordie Howe? Of course. Okay. So Gordie Howe played for the Red Wings, right? And he was so famous that they actually had a song that charted about him. I'll just sing you the first part. It went, Gordie Howe is the greatest of them all, the greatest of them all, the greatest of them all. <laughs> anyway, so there was a Gordie Howe song. So I, I've been... Jesus. I've been noodling about, um, well, it's better than the Eddie Shack song. Clear the track. Here comes Shaq. He knocks you down and you whack. He can score goals. He's got the knack. Eddie, Eddie Shack. Eddie Shack was also a lovely guy. He used to come to the club all the time. He was also famous for being illiterate. He could not read. He was a good hockey player, but he could not read. But let's get back to Gordie Howe. So because Gordie Howe is so prominent in my life and so many other people's lives, I've been working on a sitcom about him. And in this sitcom, Howe moves to rural Louisiana and opens up a crab shack. I know the name. And I'm I'm calling it. I know, I guess. Yeah, okay. You want to do that? You want to get the line? I'll give it to you. Okay. How's Bayou? So, wish me luck. <laughs> I respect you so much that I, yes. I, 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 the only reason I, I wanted to impress you by saying, I got it, I got it. But that's not what I'm Did supposed to Did you have to. it? Was it that? Yeah. But I yeah. wanted to impress you by. Good for you. Yeah, I but I, you. but that's, I should have played dumb. But I, 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 I have so much respect for you that I wanted to let you know that I, that I got it. Good. So, yeah. Good, good, good. Gordy, wasn't he like the, like, didn't at one time, did Gretzky break his record for most goals? Yes, I believe so. I'm not a big hockey fan now, but I was when I was a kid. And I used to collect all the hockey cards, hockey coins. This was when there were only six, um, there were only six teams in the league. There were only six teams in the whole NHL. And you could follow everybody because you only had to know who 120 players were which is within the bounds of memory. But once they started a, a, the expansion and there were, you know, 12 teams and 18 teams, I, I couldn't follow them all. And, and I kind of lost interest. I liked it when I knew, you know, you'd know what their favorite food was. It was like following Tiger Beat if you were a teenage girl. Can so. I tell you a Wayne Gretzky story? That yeah, I, sure. I, I've never met him and I don't know him. So I met him, but I didn't know I was meeting him. So I was in Las Vegas I had just started working for Dennis Miller on the HBO series. This was like 94, 95. And we were doing the show from Vegas for HBO. It was like a, a week in Vegas. And I was booked at the Riviera for Bobby Bacala, Steve Shrippa, who mm. ran the Riviera. Yeah. And I was, you know, working during the day and going at night. And <clears throat> Dennis says, Faldo, I want to watch you do stand up. And uh, I said, good, come, you watch me. You know, we're doing three shows tonight. So we're walking through Caesars to grab a cab to the Riviera. And he runs into a friend and they're talking. And uh, 
I shake the guy's hand, and he goes, leaves. He goes, Fowler, do you realize I gave up an opportunity to have dinner with Rain Gretzky to watch you do stand-up? So I didn't even know that was Rain, Wayne Gretzky. He said, this better be good. And uh, I'm not making this up. I gave one of the worst performance. I bombed so bad because I thought about it. I had to outdo Gretzky. I, I had to. I, I knew I couldn't kill, so I just tanked it in front of Dennis. And he said that was the worst thing I've ever. That was like finding going to a gay movie theater <laughs> and seeing your father on the screen. <laughs> that was. <laughs> and the only thing I could explain to myself is I just I couldn't compete with Rain Gretzky, so I had to just tank it. Uh, well, um, my only connection to Wayne Gretzky is that there was a Wayne Gretzky um, uh, logoed restaurant in Toronto for the last 20 years. And that's where Second City had their places. It was in the back of the restaurant. That sounds crummy and cheap, but it was it was a great room. Um, right. It was a great room. It was big. Um, but they just knocked it down. For, Do you worry that you're meeting famous people and you don't know that they're like you, you should be showing them re- like I. I, he literally said, this is Wayne. I shook him, hey, Wayne, how you doing? I you know had no idea who he was. You know what? Gretzky probably appreciated the fact that you didn't fawn all over him because as I always read and listen to these stars, they always say, gee, I wish I could just get into a conversation with somebody. That's just a normal conversation. People would just treat me like anybody else or maybe somebody else that they like. And he probably really liked it. He probably liked that you didn't drool. This has happened to me before. I've gone to the farmer's market in Los Angeles and run into friends. And they go, do you know who we were just talking to? I go, no. And they go, you don't watch ESPN, apparently. And uh, so you could tell people you're famous. Have you thought of doing that? Like just coming to America and telling people that you're famous and they have to believe you. How can you prove to somebody in in a short conversation you could insist that you're famous to somebody. I'm a god in China. <laughs> Just let you know that. A god in China. <laughs> Are you reading yet? Well, I just got, it was just sent to me, this, the book. The Oh, I, Cliff Nesteroff. I got to yeah, get him the, on the, the show. Native thing and I will crack that open maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. Charlie Hill. Yeah, but evidently there's so much more than Charlie Hill that we never knew about. So that's why I'm very excited about it. Very excited about it. So I want to ask if you're watching the Woody Allen uh, thing on HBO. You got five hours. I'll talk about yeah, that. Know, I'll, I'll talk about that for the rest of the segment, if you want. I would love to talk about it. All that. right. So let's talk about it. Now, it's sort of not fair because it's only two episodes. And maybe we should be talking about this at the end of it. But I'm just too fired up about it, not to not to comment on it. So first of all, I just want to say it's probably Woody's best work in the year. Okay. Yeah. But that notwithstanding, what's your reaction to it? Very, very disturbing. Very disturbing. Very, very, very disturbing because uh because I'm fascinated by it. That's what no. I find. So usually that stuff doesn't get me, but I'm like, it, 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 and I'm upset with myself for why 
I'm fascinated by it. Okay, tell me why. Because it's Woody Allen. So it's like yes. it's a, it's drawing the curtain back on somebody who was very mysterious to me. He was very calculating in parceling out any information. He he really did control what you knew about him, and he was one of my heroes. So all that stuff giving me a glimpse into his life. Uh, I'm ashamed. You know, it's like, wow, that's how he lived. And this is, you know, just <laughs> the, the, and then you read about, then you hear the stories about the, uh, I, I can see how I was, I defended him, especially because I just read his autobiography. I was defending him, but I can see his obsessing on the girl. I'm not saying, I'm not there yet. I think the tapes are pretty damning, and um, I could see the OCD, the obsessive behavior, and I could see that going from you know he was a magician that create that that being a magician doing card tricks that's obsessive. Uh, the clarinet is obsessive. Well, I think yeah, he as a magician, I suppose he was really interested in making his fingers disappear. <laughs> It's an old trick. <laughs> old trick. <laughs> uh, apparently more than just his fingers. I mean, well, we don't know. I mean, this is one of the things that I, that that disturbed me about the You know, I watched it I watched it last night and I watched the tape and I thought either this 7-year-old girl is one of the greatest actresses ever right. or he did it. But it really never says what he did. And I also want to know, was this a one-off? Did he do this over a period of time? It doesn't cover that either. And I'm, I'm, I find that somehow important in the, in the narrative, somehow. Um, you know, Woody Allen to me is probably like Woody Allen to you. Mm -hmm. um, I would never have gotten into comedy if not for Woody Allen. When I was 19 or 20, I, uh, they showed a, like a kind of, uh, retrospective of his films at this art cinema that I would go to. And I must have seen three or four all in a row, and I had never seen them before. You know, Bananas, Take the Money and Run. And then when Annie Hall came out, that was it. I mean, I had to be in comedy. He was everything I wanted to be. because And he, he made a, it look like, wow, this is this, you can be this way and still have the woman. Like you could be a bit... Yeah, uh, that's right. You could be weak. I mean, and, you know how how Christians have that WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Well, I had w, uh, WWWAD, what would Woody Allen do? Right. Um, he was that important to me. So um, when this stuff started coming out, eh, I just did, I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. I rejected it. There had to be another explanation. I've never felt comfortable with Mia Farrow. I think people who, you know, adopt 84 children, there's something wrong with them anyway. Um, what are they making up for? Although it was good in the docs, she tells you what she was making up for. Right. Um, and she had a kind of difficult family life. So you can, and she wanted a big family. So I kind of understand that now better. Um, but I still don't, there's something about her that is still kind of a bit untrustworthy. But the daughter, Dylan, there's no reason for me to find her untrustworthy. What, what's in it for her? That's right. Only, only more angst. Only I mean, unless, anguish. yeah, I mean, unless, well, yeah, I mean, there's nothing. And there was one thing on the tape, uh, the, the, 
I hate talking about this because it's just the uh, I do. I love talking about it. But I uh, when he's she taped the conversation with Woody and he said, I'm going to say I had an affair with Soon Yi, not that we had sex because that sounds better. He's trying to talk her into doing a joint press conference. Right. And, and then this menacing. Uh, well, if I don't show up for the press conference and he says, you'll find out. You'll find that way he kind of intimidated her, that tone. I go, whoa, I didn't think he was. That's a side of Woody Allen. I didn't know. I didn't know that he could be that arrogant. Thuggy. Huh? Thuggy. 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 Um, he doesn't seem, right? I mean, he seems thuggy, and that's certainly the opposite. You, The Woody Allen character is very carefully crafted to make him look like a coward. The cowardice is so ingrained in who, what the character is. It's one of the reasons I loved him because, wow, even a coward can get the girl. Right. That is actually the whole, pl- the whole plot of Play It Again, Sam. Right. The coward gets the girl. Right. So, uh, I, yeah. I don't think he was a coward. And the, the myth about him being asocial, you know, he threw the biggest New Year's Eve party in New York. He was at Elaine's every night. He was a party monster, but somehow he manipulated the image to make himself look like a lone, a loner. But uh, it just shows you how brilliant, how brilliant an actor he is that he got everybody to believe this wasn't a part he was playing. This was who he really was. It would be like Sasha Baron Cohen making people believe he was Borat. So what happened? So you go back, if he will never really, well, so go ahead. We'll never really know. It's, it's one of those things. No, we weren't there. We weren't in the room. We weren't there. Uh, but, you know, it, where there's smoke, um, there's some fire. And, you know, I, I guess before I saw the tape, I was rationalizing it and thinking, you know, it was a tickle game that got out of hand. And, you know, children do have a sexuality and she kind of, you know, threw herself. It's it, I've watched children, very young children, not older children, but very young children because they don't really know. They're kind of exploring a feeling that's kind of vague and not really attached to anything. But now I, I don't I don't think so. It sounds pretty bad. You know, he was friendly with Jeffrey Epstein. Who wasn't? That's true. Who wasn't? I mean, you know, who wasn't friendly with Jeffrey Epstein? What happens? You get so successful uh, and everybody treats you differently, I guess. So you think still working on it. (laughs) I would. I, 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 you know, my fantasy that I went into comedy. I wanted to be successful. I didn't want to have to work for a relationship. I'm being serious. I thought nobody's going to like me. So I'll become famous as a comedian and then I won't have to work at, you know, being uh, and then women will just love me because I'm funny and I'm famous. I never got funny. I never got famous. So I had actually become a nice person. But if if you become rich and successful at an early age, you just get accustomed to everybody fawning over you right so you can do whatever you want yes but people have greater or lesser moral centers even if they're famous at an early age it reveals your character basically that's what they say fame reveals who you are can anybody can anybody 
survive? Uh, can, can it be normal to be that uh, successful? Doesn't that in and of itself have its... Well, I mean, you know, there are, there are supposedly celebrities who do everything they can to... Um, did you see, did you see pr- uh, Prom? No. I oh. hear it's great. Uh, the first half is great, and then it runs out of ideas and it repeats itself. But the first half is great. But one of the fun things about seeing, uh, seeing Prom was watching Meryl Streep act like Meryl Streep would have acted in real life had she been, a, like, uh, you know, a sort of you know, a acquisitive, materialistic person because she has that level of fame and she doesn't use it that way. So right. it was really funny to watch her play a role where she does. Is, I, don't, I don't Did you watch I, the Golden Globes? I, I watched most of it. I watched half of it. What did I think? Well, I've never trusted the organization that has 78 people in it making a any kind of a of a decision about who's great and who's not. But a lot of those choices were pretty good choices. I hadn't seen a lot of stuff this year, um, mostly because it hasn't even come to Canada yet on any of our, our streaming services because it's different than, than what's in the States. But I, 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 I thought there were some interesting choice. I thought that it was interesting that um, Rosamund Pike won that award because I'd just seen that movie. But what's the movie? Wasn't a lot of, the movie's called I care a lot i think it's called and it's a very dark comedy i think you would like it david um it's about a woman who has a a career um stealing money from old people by becoming their legal guardian and then she runs into the one woman she should not have done that to i like that yeah i don't know it's definitely worth seeing um and rosamund pike is great in it Right. So um, that was a, that was an unusual choice, but um, I felt badly that uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven didn't win Best Picture, but I haven't seen Nomadland yet. And you so. and you liked the Chicago Seven movie very much, and I've seen every iteration of that, even a play that was. I I, I took this. Uh, Did you know Abby Hoffman? No, but he's one of my heroes. Yeah. He's always one of my heroes. Yeah. You but, know, um, I took a girl on a date to see um, a play based on the trial of Chicago seven, who was the, uh, like the head junior cheerleader, cheerleader in our school. She could not have been further from the target demographic of that play. And I thought, cause I'm 17 years old. Well, this is how I impress a girl. Mm-hmm. I take her to a, a play about the Chicago seven, a, a year after it actually happens. And then I take her for crepes. <laughs> And, um, yeah, that was me. Um, so, but I've seen everything, um, that I think that has been about the Chicago seven. And I thought that this was probably the best that it's been done. Not, not too Hollywoody. No, I didn't think it was too Hollywoody. If it it was more Hollywoody than it should have just been a documentary. And, And they portrayed Jerry Rubin as a complete dolt. Was he? Supposedly. Yeah. Did you ever read his book? Do it. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Well, does it hold up to any standard whatsoever? I, I read it as a kid. I mean, I remember reading Steal This Book. Steal This Book was great. Yeah, by Abby Hoffman. And Steal I remember them being heroes. The Yippies were really interesting because they played, they were like 
a cross between the weather underground and hippies. They they had they wanted to th- make you think they were going to be dangerous. They knew how to manipulate. They they knew how to plant seeds in your own head to make you think they were more dangerous than they really were. Yeah. But um, can you imagine that trial taking place in America now? They would they'd be in they'd be in Guantanamo. Yeah. Yeah, it was a different time for sure. But it, the the movie really, uh, you know, makes its point when Michael Keaton comes on and does the uh, the Cl- uh, Clark Clifford. Yeah, Clark Clifford. Um, no, no, um, and, and uh, no, 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 no. The, uh, the the Ramsey Clark. Ramsey Clark. Thank you, right. Ramsey. I knew there was a Clark in there. It you was know why he was called Clark. Ramsey Clark? Because he was wearing a ra- <laughs> he was wearing Ramsey on his on his penis. Because the father said, if "I wish I wore a Ramsey that night." You his father <laughs> was a Supreme Court. I think his father was a Supreme Court justice who stepped down so Ramsey could become. A tr- they made some kind of deal. He became the attorney general, and the father stepped down to replace, so they could give this seat to somebody like Arthur Goldberg or something. Ramsey but, is a really underused name. Yeah. Um, there's the Ramsey of Ramsey Lewis Trio with the famous, um, you know, in with the in crowd. Mm-hmm. He's so, such an amazing pianist. But I was thinking I could have named my son Ramsey Breslin. What do you think? I like or that. Ramsey Feldman. There's a name. Ramsey, Ramsey. Feldman. Ramsey. Yeah, Ramsey. It sounds like uh, well, I don't want to. Uh, so you're, are, are you finding yourself approaching reading like are you getting close i think by next week you can ask me what this book is all about and whether it's any good i i have i have the new york public library you can just download ebooks wow and it's all free everybody should use the library it's good for the publishing industry because they have to buy more books and you're not supporting amazon I download books fearlessly, and I and I, if, if I lose interest in a book, on to the next one. It's a it's a great way to unless it's a novel, but I'm not a big reader. You can skim books. You don't if you don't have that much skin in the game. If you buy a book, you feel I, I spent twenty five dollars. I should. That's read. why I do it. So I make sure I read it. I want to get value for my money. But if you go to the library, you can. Then I won't do it. You can approach. I won't the, read it. You'll approach. I may not read it. I may not read it. I will definitely read this. I paid for it. Damn it! I'm going to get my money's worth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Ask me next week. I'll probably have digested it. By then. Something happened in Canada. Really? Yes. <laughs> it's never happened before. <laughs> Did it, some, what was it? Because I, I read McLean's something. Oh, Trudeau and Biden held a summit. Yeah. There's that. Eh. Would That's they kind t- of a mad topic, don't you think? Yeah. What would happen? Before you go, I keep yeah. saying it's time to get out of this country. That it's just, I, I, this is where my head is at. Uh, I don't live on a farm. I live in the city and all I see are brick walls and I just see this, you know, I'm not experiencing America the way most people are because most people aren't looking at a brick wall and getting their, their dose of reality through 
the newspaper. So it's pretty terrifying uh, if your only dose of reality is the media. So I see this country, I, I think in three years, it's CPAC. I, I think what, what, what went down on CPAC, I, I see them taking, I think Trump or some iteration of Trump takes over this country and then we're done. I don't think, I don't think the Democrats are going to do anything. So it, I'm thinking maybe I should get out now, abandon the country. How easy would it be for me to get into Canada? No, we've discussed this before. I know. Um, you'd have to, you have to have a lot of money. If you brought in a lot of money and you invested money in the country, um, you can get in that way. You, you can't get in at this point um, as a political refugee, but just wait. It may happen. Um, the way that we accepted all those uh, draft dodgers from, uh, from America during the, the Vietnamese War, um, maybe that'll happen. Um, I, I kind of doubt it. Um, it's not that easy to, to, to uh, immigrate into, into Canada, to emigrate to Canada. It really isn't. Wow. You have to, you have to be, well, any country will, will always say the same thing, but Canada says it even more. You can't be a burden to the taxpayer. You have to show that you have money or will make money. So, and you have to have a, you have to be involved in a, in a field that we need. So nurses will get in. Nurses will have no problem coming to Canada. Guys who do um, vaguely left-wing uh, podcasts with a former life as a stand-up comic, it, there may not be a category. <laughs> I can't even get a vaccine for that. You know? So, um, yeah. So, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, David. But you should also look into um, New Zealand, which I understand is a wonderful place to live. I've had friends who've moved there and just But say there's nothing to complain about there. That's it. That's exactly the right. I would die. Yes, exactly it. I would die. If I, if I moved to a place where there was nothing to complain about, I'd have no reason to live. I need to stand and I need to stand and point my finger and say, I don't approve. Then you are in the best place you could be. <laughs> I know. I'm staying. Really? You need <laughs> you need somebody to struggle against. And as long as you live in the United States, you'll have people to struggle against. My new thing is I tell people I don't approve of their kids. That's my new thing. It's a good one. I so don't that's approve of really your old fogey stuff. That's wonderful. No, but it's a certain type of kid. Oh, okay. Mister, you know, anyway, I love you. I, I, I'm glad we got, let's start at six. I'm getting better at scheduling. Okay. No problem. Right. Don't Mark, worry about it. Mark Breslin, founder, president, yuck yucks. We'll talk to you next Monday. Next Monday. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Thank you. Let us now go to California, where Shervin Azami is standing by. Did I pronounce your last name properly? You did. Thanks for having me again, David. Well, I hope you're coming back regularly. We Everybody loved you here. You're running for Brad Sherman's congressional seat. We're getting you early. We're a That's year right. out. And what is your website? Shervin for the Valley. That's right. Shervinforthevalley.com. And let's support and let's support this man. Hey, uh, let's just talk uh, at some questions. People are saying I was too rough on Joe Biden. Earlier in the show, I went after him because he gave a speech yesterday talking about union efforts across the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but he never mentioned Amazon. And he Mm -hmm. said, 
you know, unions built our middle class and and right now people are voting in Alabama and across the nation to decide whether or not to join a union. And it's not up to me, the president, to tell you whether or not to vote for a union. But it's also not up to me to tell you not to vote for a union. And people are calling this one of the most pro-union speeches any president has ever given. What What is the role of a, of a, a president when it comes to unions? What, what should he have said? Well, look, it's there's such a focus on what politicians say and less of a focus on what politicians do. Because at the end of the day, if we're not translating those powerful words into direct policy-based action, it amounts to lip service. But he didn't even give them lip service. He didn't even say, I happen to believe the workers should vote for a union. Here's how Biden can demonstrate his support for workers. He campaigned on a $15 minimum wage. He campaigned on $2,000 checks. We haven't seen either of those things. Progressives got the $15 minimum wage into the House pass package that passed last week. We already know where conservatives like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema stand. We already know where the GOP obstructionists stand. And the fact that Vice President Kamala Harris said that she would not overrule the parliamentarian in the Senate for saying that the $15 minimum wage is quote unquote against budget reconciliation rules and blah, 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 doesn't do this to the deficit, everything. People are hurting. An unelected parliamentarian should not be dictating relief for 32 million people. Right. You want to demonstrate commitment, demonstrate it through action. And Biden could have done something when he made those comments around Amazon, talking about ensuring that billionaires and the rich in the top 1% pay their fair share in taxes. He could have talked about how Amazon has not been paying any federal income tax how people like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and others have rigged our tax code thanks to policies that members of Congress like Brad Sherman have fought for that allow people like them to rig the tax code to their benefit and dodge paying their fair share. He could have even come out in support of bills like the PRO Act. And the PRO Act, to my, in my opinion, still does not go far enough in really repealing some of the most dangerous union-busting laws like Taft-Hartley that go back decades because it would only weaken things like right to work laws. It would not abolish them. Yes, it would strengthen collective bargaining. Yes, it would strengthen unionization. But again, this bill was also introduced before uh, California passed Prop 22. And we talked a little bit about Prop 22 last week. And so I, again, I just, powerful words need to be supported and backed up by powerful action. But he didn't even give us power. They weren't even powerful words. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, you know, I, I, to be perfectly candid with you, I, I missed the speech. Uh, we were doing outreach yesterday with our unhoused community members and the cops showed up. Um, you know, the the city has a new ordinance where if it's clear someone is living outside of their car in their car, uh, the cops can't tow. We were doing outreach yesterday, handing out food, um, tarps, tents, and then our campaign also purchased naloxone and fentanyl test strips. We've seen a huge, huge spike in opioid overdose deaths among our unhoused. And so we stepped in since the city has not been stepping in 
and uh, providing these services. And we were doing outreach yesterday and the cops showed up and they were gonna tow uh, a veteran's car. This person served in the army. They were also served in the Navy. Uh, I think that he called himself both a, a jarhead and a squid, if I remember correctly. Right. And he's been on house for several years, living out of his car with his partner. And after the cops put their car on the flatbed, after that, they started chatting with them around, oh, where's your registration? Where's your license? After they towed the car. And I posted a video of this on our Twitter um, we were able to step in and intervene and really shame the cops for what they did. And thankfully they were able to step back and not tow the cars, but you know, that's what we're focused on. People are hurting in our communities all across the country and our politicians are doing nothing. I can assure you, Brad Sherman has no idea what's going on in this district. He has no idea. He never has. So I'm just I I am focused on our community, I'm focused so, on our district. So this is interesting to me because we're more than a year away from your primary. I believe the primary is in June. June seventh, twenty twenty two. And this is an interesting way to campaign because we've talked on the show about how the Democrats have five hundred thousand dollars to pour into digital ads to draw attention to, you know, Save near attendance nomination for OMB. The Democrats have half a million dollars to save near attendance hide, but they don't have half a million dollars to do what you're doing, which is actually help people to actually do what the you know what Ava Perone did, what mm-hmm. you know to you you build your campaign around helping people. That your your campaign rallies are about. The people, not the candidate. Right. right. Like if we're, exactly. if we're all here, you know, it's not about me. It's about us. Let's use this for a greater good. Never curse the Democrats, except for Bernie and you, mm-hmm. to do something like that. And if you want to win, that's how you win. Show, you're Again, showing what you're going to do once you have power. Right. Right, right. And, you know, we we saw folks like AOC and even Beto. They did more for the state of Texas and the people that were hurting lost power, lost access to water and so forth. They did more in terms of mutual aid than the senators from the state of Texas. You know, and, and mutual aid is something that progressives are very focused on because of the failures of government. We have we have to go through these private donations, get money from nonprofits, get money from community members to address the needs uh, of the people in our neighbors and our communities because our government has failed us. Because right. our government is not providing the essential services, the basic necessities that every single individual needs to survive. Everything right. from housing to healthcare and education. So we have to step in. Right. And we'll continue stepping in. But idealist but from a perspective of being idealistic about this or what the ideal should look like we shouldn't have to step in and provide mutual aid we will because we're going to need to meet the needs of our community members but the goal is to create a government that truly is for and by the people and those are not just catchphrases for me those are not just statements that i'll make throughout the campaign and forget about them if and when i get elected this is the work that we're doing that we will continue to do for each and every single day that I am in office. And I am fully here to be held accountable. If I'm not doing my job, get me out of office. 
If I'm not doing my job, then I should not even be a candidate. Our purpose is to be public servants. So I watched a little of CPAC. I, it's hard to take. I missed that too. Yeah, I mean, I and I and I just you know it was it was fascinating I, because Trump knows exactly what he's doing. He's supposed to speak at four. He doesn't come out till five. So you know it's the empty microphone, and everybody's you know anticipating his arrival. Uh, but when you watch CPAC, they're very clear what they stand for. Nativism, mm -hmm. America first, America first, nationalism, break up big tech, and no foreign intervention. Well, they only want to break up big tech because they feel like big tech has been silencing their white supremacist voices. And big tech owns the Democratic Party. Right. Anybody, you know, uh, Chuck Schumer's idiot daughter graduated from Harvard. She gets a job at Facebook. The whole Obama administration went to work either for Apple, Uber, or Google, or Facebook. So, of course, the Republicans would be against big tech, but they do have a populist message, that type of populism, America first, tariffs, uh, no immigration, no foreign intervention. You know what they stand for. Racist populism. Racist populism, but they're going to fight for it. Like, if, if you elect Trump. They don't care what the polls say. They hate Mexicans and foreigners more than they care what the majority of Americans believe. And they'll fight. They'll do whatever they can to get their way, which includes suppressing the vote. But they're going to fight for it. So the only solution is for our side to want what we want more than they want what they want. And our side, at least you, I mean, you know what you want, but Schumer and Pelosi and Biden, Here's what I'll say. they don't they don't they don't want anything. In 2018, in 2018, when the Democrats picked up, what, over 40 seats in the House. Did you hear Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell blamed the Tea Party for their losses? Did you hear them blame their base? Did I also hear didn't hear them talk about reaching across the aisle and trying to be bipartisan and try to find what a, the a Democrats third way. Do? What did the Democrats do after 2020? They blamed you and me uh, and AOC, the radical left. I, yeah, they blamed all of the defund the police hashtags. They blamed people campaigning on Medicare for all. They blame people campaigning for the Green New Deal. The very people who delivered the presidency to Joe Biden, black women in Georgia delivered the Senate to the Democrats, black voters, indigenous voters, and Latinx voters delivered the presidency to Joe Biden and to the Democrats. And yet the Democratic Party, and you know what? I'm not gonna get a lot of support for saying this, but it's the truth. For whatever reason, the Democratic establishment has decided that they need to eat their base. Why do we do that? When it's the base, when it's the people telling us that we're living on starvation wages, the people are telling us we should not go bankrupt just because we had a knee surgery or a back surgery. Everyone deserves clean air and water. Everyone deserves housing. These are basic necessities. And they're called radical. 
to say that when we invest in militarism and exploitation and incarceration, we're not going to address crime. We're not going to address the root causes of the issues in our communities and instead exacerbate them, prop up our prison industrial complex, incarcerate more young black and brown men, as opposed to investing in healing our communities, in economic justice, in a universal basic income, in guaranteeing housing for all, addressing the generational impacts of redlining, and how for-profit companies have been controlling our healthcare system. We have private equity that are buying out hospitals here in Los Angeles, private equity controlling uh, 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 physician groups. Why is it like this? It's like this because our policymakers have a revolving door between corporations and the policies they create. Same thing Bernie's been talking about for decades. And finally, we have folks across the country who are listening and waking up and saying enough is enough. And so my focus will always be on the policies because that's what matters. That's what changes people's lives. And we have to, we have to uh, have an angry wing. We do. We have to have an angry wing that calls BS in the Democratic Party and not allow them to say that's an unfair question. It's it's not unfair to ask. Huh? If you can't look in the mirror, there's a problem. It's not unfair to ask where Joe Manchin's daughter made her fortune. It's not these aren't unfair questions. If you're a Democrat, Mm -hmm. it's not unfair to ask how much you're worth and how you made that money. It, it, these are this is this this party is controlled by the pampered elite. They're at they're both parties. Both, both parties. Part, you know what though? The difference is the re, you know I often think why not join the Republicans? Because at least at least you you know there's a chance of turning the Republicans into the old Democratic Party, which was a coalition of racists and Game leftists. Well, the, you know, the, the Democratic Party th- at the height of the New Deal, that was racists yep. and, and leftists working there, there's together. A why, there's a reason why LBJ said we lost the South for a generation after they passed the Civil Rights Act, because he knew he knew that they're going to lose the pro Jim Crow Democratic segregationists from the South. And that's when the party realignment happened. Is that I sometimes was- wonder if. Blacks, gays, uh, Muslims, Hispanics should just invade the Republican Party and take it over, and, and just do what? And, and turn it into the into a populist party, because it's not going to happen with the Democrats. The, the Democrats are so tied into Wall Street and Silicon Valley that I just don't see them ever abandoning the richest 1%. Warren Buffett, Bill Gates. But but all of them. Larry, they, they all support Biden and Obama. The weapons manufacturers, the fossil fuel industry, Wall Street firms, they, they support both sides of the aisle. The only difference is we have one party that, as we talked about before, gives lip service to the issues. The other one to your point, is at least very clear what they're fighting for. They're fighting for nativism. 
xenophobia, exclusion, and racist populism. At least they are clear about that. I, I honestly, if the Democrats do not end the filibuster, if they do not put their money where their mouth is, if they do not back up their words with action, pass $15 minimum wage, pass recurring $2,000 survival checks, passing the For the People Act, legalize cannabis, pass single-payer Medicare for all, legislate on the Green New Deal. We need to do all of these things and initiate the process at least. Biden can do it now with Medicare for all. Believe it or not, under the Affordable Care Act, it amended a section of the Social Security Act authorizing the president to enact a Medicare for all type system during a crisis. Well, the pandemic is absolutely a crisis. Millions of people have lost their health care coverage. Biden can literally initiate Medicare for all now. He can cancel student debt, but feels more comfortable doing it for only 10,000, not for up to 50,000. He can do this work now. Why isn't he? Why isn't he? We've talked about why he isn't, because both parties are controlled by corporations at top 1%. And it's just, we're, we're at this breaking point. We're at this precipice where if we do not engage in the real structural reforms that working people are begging our lawmakers to enact, I don't know where we'll end up. Right. I can tell you won't be successful in the next midterm. I can tell you that for a fact. If but they got try- rid of the filibuster, the American people respond to to right. big things. They go, wow, I like right. that. Right. We like strength. But there's this, this inability to, to see beyond the moment and to always campaign from a perspective of defensiveness. Well, we might lose a couple seats if we do this. Or we, we might, might get blamed. We'll get blamed if we raise the minimum wage and there's a recession, we'll be blamed for a recession. Look at the recessions that the Republicans caused. No one will blame you for fighting for the policies that matter, for the issues that matter, for standing up for what you said you will do. You know, I, 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 I cold calling folks in our district every single day, you know, asking for them to get involved with our political coalition uh, get involved in volunteer, provide a small donation if they can, help spread the word with friends and family. And there are a lot of folks that are really, really excited about our candidacy, but there are also folks that are disillusioned. And they're like, will this really change? And I, I can't hold that against them for thinking that way. Look at what Brad Sherman's done and look at what some of the other progressives. We need to force the vote. We need to force a vote on Medicare for all. We need to force a vote on the Green New Deal. If we're not pushing for these structural reforms each and every day, then we are not doing our jobs. And we cannot, we cannot engage in silos. There are no silver. We talked about this a little bit last week. I'm going to reaffirm it again. There are no silver bullets. Medicare for all in the absence of the Green New Deal will not be as effective as it needs to be. Because climate justice works hand in glove with the health inequities we see in our communities with higher rates of asthma, higher rates of pollution, higher rates of cancer, 
and communities that live in close proximity to the fossil fuel companies, the oil wells, or what have you. That's why these things work in tandem. We have to be intersectional in our approach to policy reform. And I'm gonna sound like a broken record because I'm gonna say these same things over and over and over again because it's the truth. People's lives don't operate in silos. Why do our policies operate in silos? Excellent, excellent. Go to ShervinForTheValley.com. That's S-H-E-R-V-I-N, the number four, thevalley.com. And give this man money or volunteer. Uh, Shervin Azami is endorsed by Howie Klein. That's all you need to know. And if you have some money and you're an American citizen, go to ShervinForTheValley.com. Give him some money. If you live in California 30, uh, help him. Pay attention. It's the West San Fernando Valley. I'm sorry? It's the West San Fernando Valley. So folks in Bursita, Canoga Park, Wooden Hills, Granada Hills, uh, Sherman Oaks, Van Nuys, North Hollywood, uh, it's all part of our community here. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sherman. Hopefully I'll talk to you next week. You're fantastic. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Well, if you love Shervin, there's one person to thank for that, and that's Howie Klein, the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. And Wait a minute. What about his parents? What about his parents? Don't you think you have them to thank for it? They're the ones that, that raised him, not me. Yeah, but you, we wouldn't know about him if it weren't ah. for you. Okay. So he's, he is the best. I met, what is his name, Brad Sherman? Last year, he yeah, is, he's, the he's got to retire. Why can't people just retire? You know, you had a nice run. It's over. Yeah. Well, you know, it's very, very hard for people to retire. They define themselves by their jobs and they don't have much else going for them one way or the other. So it's, it's a difficult situation. It's not just in politics, although it's very much in politics because of all the power and the status uh, uh, that's part of that. But I remember when I was retiring from my job, uh, Warner Brothers, uh, you know, there were lots and lots of um, senior executives, presidents, senior vice presidents, chairmen, who were much, much older than me and way more out of touch with music than I was. But they, there was no chance they were going to give up their jobs. Some of them are still clinging to them now, uh, decades later. And would you say, would you stand in judgment of a system that... Uh, perpetuate sinecures. Older men who clog the system are out of touch, but are holding on to mythical power. I mean, nobody really respects them, but so they just hang out in the office and get in the way. Yes, I agree. I mean, that, and that's and that's really tragic when it, it's a um, when, when it's, it's the president gone. of the United States. Well, not just the president, but these members of Congress as well, who have long, uh, long passed their prime. You know, I think some of them are senile. Some of them are absolutely senile, and and their staffs do their jobs for them. Uh, there, there's, I, I I feel bad about naming him, so don't make me do it. But one of them has been on life support all year, and I mean, he, he, he people aren't even certain if he's alive or not. Joe Biden. You're talking about Biden? Oh, no. Someone oh. else. And people, 
No, this is a member of Congress who's very, very old and who has, is very, very sick. And basically, he's on hospice. I think he's actually on hospice. And, uh, you know, doesn't want to give up his, his seat. And that, now he couldn't even give up his seat because he doesn't have the capacity to do anything. He doesn't want to give up his stretcher. He has staff members. No, he's, he's in a hospital bed. And people, you know, vote for him. I mean, his staff votes for him. You know, I'm not saying that he would vote any differently than the staff, but we didn't elect the staff. So and there are a number of there are a number of members of Congress like I mean that's an extreme example, but there are a number of members of Congress who are you know past senile, and they shouldn't be doing it. And I mean I remember when Strom Thurmond had a guy with him because when when he was sitting and he was wearing uh, you know uh, adult diapers, and when the smell got too much for the members of Cong- of the Senate who were sitting around him, they would ask this guy to please take him out and change him. I mean, should that guy be in Congress? Uh, they're, well, they're all full of shit. So start with <laughs> start with strong. What, what, what happened? Did Shervin take the place of that really funny comedian that you you usually have on? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Mark Breslin. Yes, the guy. Who's uh, you know what? I never have time. I moved Mark to six because I, I never had time for him, but. Going back to uh, men of a certain age, we have a, a, a thing in this country where you're defined by what you do for a living. In America, the first thing they ask you is, what, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And when yeah. uh, I mean, you say the first thing they ask you, do you mean it's like a gal who's looking uh, to maybe date you? Right. Isn't that sick to define yourself but we, we, we've bred a, an entire nation of at least men who define themselves by what they do for a living. And so they can't see beyond. I mean, there are some who can see beyond their work, but they put their entire life into their work. And the insanity of thinking that work is going to give them something back other than money. And security, the, the the idea that you're going to get an identity from your job, that you're going oh, to... they do get an identity from their job. I mean, it's, but, it's, it's you know, I mean, you know, yes, they don't. That's what I'm saying. But that's sick. But the but a job can't jobs. give you. But a Not job can't give you money, a healthy but, identity. Sorry, you can't have a sense of self if you're depending on your boss. If you're depending on a corporation. Wherever you work, if your sense of self is in the hands of a publicly traded company, you are screwed. It doesn't end or, well. Or a, a private company also. And a private company. If, you're, if your identity, if your masculinity, if your sense of self is in the hands of the guy in the corner office, you're going to be a drug addict. You're going to get a divorce. You're going to commit suicide. And that and that's what this country has bred. Guys who, you know, I'm Brad Sherman. I represent California thirty. That's who I am. I am a congressman and I have been a congressman for decades. And I have power, although he doesn't really, but he can say that and people and, and you get, you know, you get special seating in a restaurant, you get taken care of on an right. airplane. Uh, when Ted Cruz uh, was escaping from Texas during these storms, he called up the state police and he, ha- he said he wants an escort. 
and not just an escort to take him from his house to the airport, but he wanted an escort to escort him and his family from the door of the terminal to the uh, to the loading to the you know the gate where they get on the plane. You know, Howie, working in show business, you get an insight into the perils of our system because you go for, in show business, you go from job to job. And I've had jobs where, you know, my identity is I'm working for this show or this person and I am completely marginalized and I have no, I have no say. I'm just showing up, taking a check. But there's an identity attached to that. There's an office, there's a briefcase, and there are, you know, people running around, and there's Xerox machines and coffee, and it, it looks like an identity. <laughs> Meanwhile, and I'm off in the corner. You have a title, and you could, people who don't know, you know, like maybe a girl you're trying to pick up, you can brag to them that uh, I work at, uh, you know, Paramount, and that sounds like a big deal. And and you're 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 dying inside, and all you're thinking about is. But my parents told me that a corner office and my own parking spot, uh, I'm somebody. And and there you're, you're 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 there's a guy above you who is trying to kill whatever pilot light that flickers inside of you, and. It's no wonder Americans are obese and addicted to opiates. Uh, I, I just, in show business, you get to see this nonstop. You get to see all these fake jobs because if you're a network executive, they, they fire you, but they give you a production deal. But the only way you can get the money from the production deal is to put together this fake staff for this fake show that nobody's going to buy. But you have to show proof that you started some form of production and everybody's working and they don't realize that this is going to be shut down in 13 weeks before they even make the pilot. They just want to keep this thing going long enough so this fired studio executive can get the rest of his payout. And everybody's showing up. Some of them know, some of them pretend they don't know that it's all a, a sham and a scam and a fraud. And, you know, you tell people, oh, I'm working in that building over there and you're doing nothing. You're doing absolutely nothing for a living. And that's your identity. That's, you know, your wife is going, that, my husband works in that building. What's he doing? Uh, trying not to drink all day is what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. It's well, uh, it's not, believe me, it is, it's not just um, uh, in, in, in show business. It's throughout uh, corporate America. But it happens quicker in show business. It, it happens in six to 13 week cycles in show business. So you see it, it, ha it happens much faster than it does in the in the rest of uh, the the economy. So I think that it, you can we're more attuned to the sham of big. Most of big business is a sham. Most of work you shouldn't identify yourself by what you do for a living. You're screwed. Even if yeah, you're well, even if you're Steven Spielberg, you're screwed. You know, I, I lived for a very very long time. Um, in uh, in Holland, I lived for four years in Holland, and I don't think anyone ever asked me as as a you know first question or second question what I do for a living. That just it wasn't what people asked you. 
I mean, eventually they might want, you know, they're trying to get to know you. They might ask you what you do for a living. But here it's right off the bat. What do you, what do, you do? And, and, I mean, I love it when someone asks you what I do because I'll never answer uh, with, with a, uh, an occupation or a career. If someone says, what do you do? I, I always give them a different answer. Me too. And they're shocked that, I, that I'm not telling them what my job is. Me too. That's, I, do it, I do it too. And then, and then they, they don't understand who you are. They, 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 you know, they cannot. Although in California, when I moved to California, fewer people asked you what you did than on the East Coast. I mean, on the East Coast, my experience has been, if I don't know what you do for a living, I have no idea who you are. Right. Try, try telling that. I mean, that's a really a New York thing all the way, of course. No parent, no parent that we know ever, ever brags to their friends. My son is in love. Yeah, but what does he do for a living? It doesn't matter. He's in love and he's being loved. Oh, look, look, there's Mrs. Feldman. Do you hear about it? Hear about her son? What? He's in love. Really? And somebody loves him back? Yes. Wow. <laughs> if I called my parents and said I was in love and I'm being loved back, they go, what does she do for a living? What is <laughs> right? We are so sick, and we just accept it, Howie. We just accept that this is the way it is. And when you say we, I know you're not talking about you and I. You're talking right. about society. But it nag, you know, it nags at me that you know there's a dignity. There should be a dignity to work. There should be a you know this idea. You know, I always thought somewhere out there there's a company, and there'd be dignity. And I'd look forward to going to work and uh, never, never happened. Never happened. I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess I, I, thought, I've had I some... thought you did. People tell me that you you've had, uh, you know, wonderful writing jobs at like incredible shows and stuff. Yes. But that doesn't mean and I was happy. Was... No, really? It didn't? Well, I, I, I like hanging out with other writers, other comedy writers. But in the end... Well, we until people realize that work sucks, we're never going to get ahead in this country. This idea that you should love your job. I mean, my father, God bless him, told me, find something that you love doing. And it's like you'll be working for free. You'll bound out of bed every morning and be ready to take on the world. Just do what you love. And I, oh, I, I agree with him so much. There's no such thing as that. Well, I had that. I think now you you enjoyed. Oh, I definitely have that. But no, no. But I did for much of my career in the music business. I had that too. I kept thinking like a bit. I mean, not the entire time. Once AOL bought our company, uh, that everything changed. But before AOL bought it, uh, Mo Austin had designed a company where that where your father's definition fit completely. Right. So, yes, I bounded out of bed and I was anxious to get to work and I would be the first one 
uh, uh, to my job and the last one to leave the parking lot at night. And I just loved it. It was absolutely fantastic. Okay. It's, it's a rarity, but, but most people don't have the privilege of being in charge. Most people... Uh, I wasn't always in charge, but I mean, before I was in charge, I, I had good jobs, but, you know, I, I had people. I mean, I always had people I had to report to. Right. Times. I mean, the, the, I don't know if anybody's ever like, in, well, of course, there are some people who are like really totally in charge. I am utterly. Then we'll talk about politics, but I'm utterly convinced that meeting, we are talking about politics, meetings, meetings, the idea of sitting around and meeting. I. People think I'm being funny, but meetings, the only purpose of a meeting, I would say 70% of meetings are to keep, so the boss can keep people in line so that they don't rise above them. The, you know, we, we used to have a, a senior vice president's meeting at Warner, at Warner Brothers every week, and it was called Korea. And when I when I first got there, I, I didn't even think to ask why it's called. It was just some quirk of Warner Brothers. They called it Korea. And then after a while, I, I asked somebody, why is it called Korea? And they said it's because it's like the Korean War. You go up a hill, you take the hill, then they come in and they take the hill. You go <laughs> up the hill and they come back and they take the hill and you never get anywhere. Uh-huh. If 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 this show, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm just going to, if this show were like massively successful and it was on, you know, uh, whatever, you know, a network and there was a lot of money coming in and everybody was working for me and I was threatened by everybody because I'm inadequate. I would hold meetings. Seventy percent of my meetings would be to make everybody else afraid of me and feel incompetent and take them from the job that they should be doing so that they don't get uh, too ahead of themselves. If we have this- I, was, I was so lucky uh, in my life. I, I worked for a guy named Mo Austin, who, who is the opposite kind of person than that. I mean, he, he was like, you know, just think of what the opposite of what you just described would be, and that was Mo, and that's how he designed Warner Brothers. I mean, it's tragic that it's completely changed now, and there's, nothing, there's no semblance of that left at all. In fact, uh, when Steve Case came in as the uh, champ, the, uh, the AOL chairman who bought the company, um, he specifically went out of his way to say, you know, those those days are over. Forget that. Right. Uh, but you know that that's that's how Mo uh, Mo Austin and Lenny Warnica. That's how they made Warner Brothers. Why Warner Brothers was the greatest label ever. They 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 did it that way. And I had experienced. Another record label, uh, which it's called Sony now, but then it was called CBS Records, and they were the opposite of that. Also, they were more like what you were just describing. What is- it was a horrible, miserable place to, to work. I everyone I ever met who worked there was, hated it. Was miserable in their lives. It was a horrible job. It was like you know going into the into the piss factory, as uh, uh, Patty Smith put it. Right. But Warner's was different. Everyone, we we made it at Warner Brothers so people would love their jobs. What anyway, is, we are off topic now. I feel terrible. What, what, I dragged you away to what, uh, Never Never Land. Okay. Is there anything that Biden has done or said in the past week that makes you think this isn't going to be a complete disaster? Well, 
he's saying some things. You know what got me uh, yesterday? Something that he said. But let me give you a little background. So, the, so the, the, I, I wrote about it this morning on, on my blog. The Washington Post had two headlines yesterday. They were within three hours of each other. One, one was the Democrats cannot give up on minimum wage. And it explained all the reasons why it would be a catastrophe for the, for the Democrats to give up on minimum wage. And then three hours later, top Democrats give up on minimum wage. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's that's sitting there. And in the middle of it, Biden comes up with another, you know, bunch of, uh, you know, platitudes. And it's what I would expect him to do. You know, and and it's like, you know, he gets on and he talks about how, you know, uh, uh, workers are entitled to have unions in Alabama and and okay okay so he's full of shit and he's just saying this to take off the pressure from from lying to minimum wage workers that they were going to get a $15 minimum wage because he's willing to fight for a a reactionary piece of garbage like uh, Neera Tandon he'll go to the wall and fight for her but he's certainly not going to expend one iota of energy I don't know if an iota describes energy but he's not going to spend anything uh, of political capital on uh, trying to get the minimum wage passed and he keeps saying when it, uh, that that lying secretary uh, what the press secretary keeps saying he put it in his bill he wants it <laughs> no he doesn't want it Bernie Forsten put it in his bill as a as a um, a condition of Bernie's support in, in the uh, in the election, and and he never wanted it. He doesn't care about it. I'm not saying he's against it. He just doesn't care. It's not one of his priorities. So he comes out with this thing supporting unions. Is he going to fight to help? No, of course not. It's just something he said. But what disappointed me, David, was one progressive online one online progressive after the other, including some who I actually like and respect was saying, oh, isn't he the greatest? Look how that, it, this is the most amazing thing and no president has ever done this. Not even FDR has done this. This is just amazing. So right at the time when he just totally shit cans uh, the $15 minimum wage, he's talking about, uh, you know, he just, you know, farting out this thing about unions, uh, supporting supporting unions. Great, you know, I'm glad he supports unions, but he's full of shit. So the answer is no. Right. Even when he says something that that is, is a good thing and that I like, no, no, it's meaningless. It doesn't mean a. It's damn meaningless. Thing. Make Bernie yeah, would have made the speech. Bernie would have flown down to Bessemer. He would be the second worst president in in our lifetimes, and I stand by that. I'm sorry. Say that again, please, because I was talking over you. I told you over and over and over again that he will be the second worst president in our lifetimes, and I will still stand by that. Joe Biden. Yes, Joe Biden. Unfortunately, I'm beginning to agree with you. Uh, You know, Bernie would have flown down to Bessemer, Alabama, and called out Amazon. Ticket line with these guys. Right. And why is that wrong for a president to support the strikers or the unions? in an, admir- an, an admirable way. I mean, yes. I mean, that's what Biden should be doing. Not that he would ever, ever consider anything like that. He couldn't even but, bring you know, himself to say Jeff Bezos or Amazon. Yep, that's right. He's so. You know, did you watch CPAC at all? 
Uh, well, a little bit. I mean, I watched uh, Trump's as much of Trump's speech as I could stand before I started, I started getting ready to throw up in my mouth. Right. And you know, I watched little bits and pieces uh, on, on mostly on YouTube. I didn't like. I don't even know if it was on TV, but I, I didn't go and try to find it on TV. What would you say the the Republicans, the party of Trump, stands for? Do you think they have a clear platform, regardless of what you know? Obviously, it's odious, but. Do they have, do they know what they want? Well, there's always been a split between, you know, the, the greed and selfishness part of the party and then the, uh, the hatred and bigotry part of the party. And they come together to win elections. And now the hatred and bigotry part of the party is sort of pushing the greed and uh, selfishness part of the party a little off to the side. Not that they're not full of <laughs> greed and bigotry themselves. I'm sorry, greed and selfishness themselves. But the, the Republican Party is a split thing, just like the Democratic Party is a split thing. Right, right. They are, uh, they are nativists. They are nationalists. They are anti-interventionists. They, they don't want to go to war. They are for tariffs. They are for... Go to war? What do you mean they don't want to go to war? Some of them are, are, are hawks, are big time hawks. Uh, we didn't go to war. We, we, you know, we did the drone wars with Trump, but he wasn't taking. He wasn't so quick to take us to war. The way Hillary and Obama. I mean, didn't Trump want to bring the boys home from Afghanistan? Well, he said he did, but they all say they want to bring the boys home. Trump didn't. Uh, Tamp down wars. I mean, Trump did what was good for Trump. Period. Nothing right. more. Nothing. So tell me about he, tell me about Elizabeth. Him, he would do, but he didn't have any any beliefs or any ideology. I mean, his only ideology was, uh, you know, how does he make some money for himself and his family? Right. Mostly for himself. So uh, I remember why I used to love Elizabeth Warren. I was reading Down with Tyranny, and you have a piece today about her introducing a wealth tax. She wants to tax estates that are worth $50 million at, what, 2% 2 annual tax? 2% for for estates worth from 50 million to a billion, and then over a billion, it becomes 3%. So it's a 1% surtax added on. Right, tell me why that's such a great idea, because it is a great idea. Yes, it's a great idea because for, for, I mean, for two reasons. The, the reason that is important but less important is to raise money uh, so that um, Congress can spend it wisely, if they ever do, on, uh, on projects that are needed. So that's good. But there's a much uh, more important there's a much more important reason. Exactly. There's a much more important reason. And that much more important reason is for getting to some kind of semblance of income inequality and wealth inequality and getting rid of that and making a, a more equitable country. That's the real reason, and that's the most important reason, but it's hard. Uh, it, it's a hard thing for politicians to talk about because it sounds like socialism. Right. You, ha- you know, I was reading parts of the Tom Hayden's, uh, don't get old, the uh, Lake Huron uh, manifesto that he wrote in 62. And one of the things he talked about in the Lake Huron manifesto, the Lake Huron statement is 
the government has a responsibility to provide the American people with the media to explain democracy, to make to keep the democratic principles going. We don't have a media that allows us to discuss the merits of the redistribution of wealth. There's nothing wrong with the government redistributing wealth. In fact, they've been doing it for the past 40 years, but just in the wrong direction, in the wrong direction through the tax code. And you have to take money from the the one percent you because it's not just money that can be spent on education and feeding the hungry. When you remove money from the richest one percent, you take away their power. They have too much influence. So when you remove that money, they have less of a say in Washington, D.C. They have they have less money to give to these political action committees. They, they you're, you're taking away their speech, which you should. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this, but it will never happen. Right. I don't I, I, I hope you're wrong, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever happen. I hope it'll happen. God believes it'll happen. What are you making for dinner tonight? You can't get good eggplant parmesan in California. You can only get it. It's only good in New York. Well, it's actually fairly good in uh, Italy as well, believe it or not. But uh, it's hard to get it in, in California restaurants. You're right. But uh, I make my own, so I like to think it's pretty wonderful. In, in, uh, very, they don't use enough it's salt. It's very, very hard to do. It's very hard to do. You have, What is it? Is you have to salt the eggplant? For a while. You, you, yeah, the night before, you have to um, take the eggplant and lay it out flat. You salt, you salt it, and you uh, put something heavy on it so that the e- excess liquid comes out of the eggplant. And then in the morning, you turn them over and you salt the other side, and you put, you know, like a heavy frying pan with a big bowl of water on top of it. So it's heavy and steady, and just it, it just forces the excess liquid out of it. And uh, it, it just makes it, you know, eventually much, much more tasty. So that's how that's just that's even before you start cooking it. I mean, at the end, which is you probably heard me uh, making a little bit of noise just now. And that's because I'm setting up my uh, my station, my three stations to you know be dipping things uh, before I bake it. And you got to start with egg and then you go into flour, and, you know, the various things that you're going to use to make it, uh, you know, absolutely scrumptious. Well, well, Howie, uh, Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates, some socialists around America. Read them every week over Down With Tyranny. A lot of people are grateful for all the candidates you're introducing us to, but they're complaining that we don't get to talk to you. So, well, yeah, we talked. Yes. But have have we had uh, Jason call on yet? No. You you think you like Shervin? Shervin is wonderful. He's He's, one of Shervin is unbelievable. You yeah. are going to worship Jason Call. Okay. So we got to have him on too. Okay. Uh, it doesn't mean we have to have fun next week, but you you got to meet this guy. I, I guarantee, I'm saying it right now. 
you are going to love if you invited uh, Shervin to come on once a week, right? The, the audience gonna, loved him. They you're absolutely You're going to invite Jason to come on every day. <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you later in the week. Thank you so much, Howie. Bye, David. Bye. Let us now go to the Upper Peninsula where Henry Huckamacki is standing by and he has a guest for us. I can't wait. That's right. A very special guest today. I'm bringing on Margaret Kimberly, who is the author of Prejudential, Black America and the Presidents, and also editor and senior columnist at Black Agenda Report. And everybody should go check out Black Agenda Report, blackagendareport.com. And everybody should pick up Prejudential. And before I bring Margaret in, I'm going to read the blurb from Cornell West on the cover of the book because if, if me saying how good this book is doesn't get you to want to read it, this, this quote will. Cornel West said, Margaret Kimberly gives us an intellectual gem of prophetic fire about all the U.S. presidents and their deep roots in the vicious legacy of white supremacy and predatory capitalism. Such truths seem more than most Americans can bear, though we ignore her words at our own peril. And... I, truer words could not be spoken about this uh, about this book. So, Margaret, thanks for joining the show. Thank you so much. How are you? Excellent, excellent. I just finished up your book, and uh, let me tell you, uh, it, it's really fantastic. And I'm going to uh, put a pitch out there for any teachers that are watching this broadcast, including my friend Taylor Hootery, who I specifically told to tune in for this segment. He's a history teacher. Very good. Pick up Prejudential. This is a book that high school students need to read because the way that we're taught presidential history in the United States is absolutely not how presidential history should be taught. And I think that your book does a good job of rectifying Thank that. you. And thank, I'm going to... Thank you. I'm just going to advertise. I'm just going to hold it up. I, I do this all the time. There you go. There's the book. <laughs> Excellent. I, I, everybody needs to get it. It's, it's really fantastic. So... I guess let's get into this right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, right at the beginning of the book, one of the things that you talk about is the usage of language when framing presidents. Mm-hmm. And specifically, the example early on is the language around founding fathers and holding them up as somebody that we can identify with. Would you want to talk about how that language is used to prop up these individuals and kind of whitewash, both literally and figuratively, their, their <laughs> records? Well, you know, the, the, this, this word founding fathers, I mean, it's filled with patriarchy, but it makes, it makes them sound warm and fuzzy, like, you know, most people like their dad. And um, instead of uh, uh, looking at what they did, and, you know, if you look at the way we treat presidents, not just the language of founding fathers, I mean, the nation's capital is named after the first president, the state's named after him. Cities, colleges, schools, their faces on the money. There's a President's Day. They are upheld as the, um, excuse me, the people who personify uh, America and personify American history. And what, what that does is it makes it difficult for most people to see them in any objective way. Uh, and I, I blame the historians and scholars who've covered up for them. You know, when I started, the, the information I reveal in this book, it's not top secret. 
um, if as soon as you do research, you see it, you find you find out this information. So um, it's time for the cover-ups to stop. I'm I'm glad you're uh, you're telling your your friend, the history teacher, about the book. I believe um, high school students can can read it. It's a uh, a friend called it a brisk read. So I'm hoping college students and high school students um, all read the book. Yeah, and uh, just listeners, the way that the book is set up is it goes through every president through Donald Trump and talks about how white supremacy and predatory capitalism played into their ascension to the highest office in the land. And as you said, Margaret, it's not like these are secrets. If you if you do the looking, you can find them. You know, you can find that George Washington's teeth, and this is an example you used in the book, George Washington's teeth weren't made out of wood. They were slaves' teeth that he paid a quarter of the market price for human teeth for his dentures. That's not a secret. It's out there. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's, uh, you know, in mentioning uh, the slaveholder presidents, 10 of the first 12 were slaveholders. And but that tells you how important slavery was, that the most uh, the people with the most prestige, the people who were the elites of their time, that uh, so many of them were slaveholding. The fact that the fact that they built a new capital, there were already cities. Why would you build a new city? As a capital, you would do it if you wanted it to be uh, within the protection, the physical protection of uh, the states where slaveholding was important between Maryland and Virginia. So um, it explains um, wh- one of the things I, I hope people come away with when they read the book is that anti-black racism is foundational to the country. And it's important to and our present up until this very day, February 2021. David, I'm going to tell you to mute yourself since you're rattling around so much. Uh, Is he making me? That's for the podcast listeners. I'll kick the host ah. off his own show. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm very glad that you mentioned the fact that 10 of the first 12 presidents were slave owners, um, mm-hmm. the Adamses being the exceptions. Right. But uh, I have a direct quote from your book in this regard, and I, I really find that it drives the point home. You say, their slave ownership was not incidental to their uh, achieving the highest office in the land, but was inextricably linked to that fact. And you're right. Having slaves puts you on, a, on an economic pedestal that allows you to achieve these sorts of roles that other people that were not slave owners wouldn't have access to. Well, if you if you talk about you're right. So, how many of the first presidents were? I'll just look uh, look in the book itself. Uh, were um, uh, what what would you call it? rich Virginians um, from the Virginia elite? So yes. we have Washington. Uh, let's see. So Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe. Um, four of the five were Virginia slaveholders. George and Martha Washington owned together about three hundred people. Most of them owned by Martha, um, her first husband's uh, estate. But, um, but that tells you about um, how uh, slavery, how chattel slavery was so important to the economy of the country. And even John Adams, he was from Massachusetts and slavery was legal in the North at that time. And he said, I never owned a slave. Well, but he was a He sided with the slaveholders from the very beginning. There were these terrible compromises made on their behalf. 
Uh, he defended them. He um, feared free black people. He wanted black people sent out of the country, uh, a trend that continued for a long, up until Lincoln. Um, and uh, uh, so we can see by looking at these people, looking at their presidencies, why anti-black racism figures in so prominently in modern history. So you start with these guys who were slaveholders and in the late 20th century, early 21st century, you see people like uh, Ronald Reagan uh, making jokes about uh, welfare queens to get votes. Uh, Jimmy Carter before him, a Democrat, saying that uh, he didn't see any reason for integration, alien uh, intrusions into neighborhoods. Bill Clinton um, uh, executing a mentally disabled black man. The Willie Horton um, ads from uh, Bush 41. Even Barack Obama uh, disparaging black men at every opportunity that he could. Trump, of course, we need we say more. Biden, for most of his career, being on the right wing of the Democratic Party, being the point person uh, against busing uh, to achieve integration. So um, it starts um, with Washington's uh, teeth, uh, uh, rather uh, teeth for his dentures coming from enslaved people. And it ends with Joe Biden um, bragging about the crime bill. I wrote the damn bill, he bragged, that sent thousands of black people to jail. He said it has everything except the death penalty for jaywalking or, or something along those lines. So I, I'm going to bring up two presidents that have perhaps a little bit rosier of a depiction than other presidents surrounding them. The first being John Quincy Adams, who, as mm -hmm. we mentioned, as one of the two Adamses, was one of the two of the first 12 that did not own slaves. But as you write in your book, he really didn't do much for blacks besides rhetorically, perhaps, until after his presidency. And then there was a couple of instances after his presidency where he wasn't quite so useless. And one of the one of the instances that I thought was interesting, and I'd only briefly read about it in the past, uh, but your book reminded me to, that I wanted to look more into it, was the Armistad. Would you be willing to talk briefly about what the Armistad was? Sure. He was, um, Adams was a one-term president and then ran for Congress and uh, was a member of Congress. And uh, he, uh, the Armistad was a slave ship in uh, Cuba, traveling from one end of Cuba to the other. The people who were captives on board managed to uh, free themselves somehow, killed some of the, uh, and these, these were Spaniards, Cuba being belonging to Spain at the time, killed some of the crew, forced the crew. They were trying to get back to Africa, but of course the crew did not uh, sail north and they ended up near Long Island. Uh, so the Amistad was captured um, and there was a long legal case about uh, whether these people should be free or not. Now, Adams was not president at the time, but he represented uh, the uh, captives, uh, Sinku and others, on the uh, uh, vessel. And, um, and to make a long story short, uh, they were freed and were able to go back to, I believe, what is now uh, Sierra Leone. But uh, um, when he was uh, a member of, when he was president, when he was a member of Congress, he would say, I don't like slavery, but there's nothing we can do about it. You know, these people who were 
essentially useless. You're either for it or against it. Um, and uh, uh, so that was uh, John uh, Quincy. Now he did, there was something in Congress called the gag rule, which essentially prevented uh, the issue of slavery being taken up by members of Congress. And he was one of those who successfully fought against it. I will give credit for that. Um, but uh, he also uh, made, I'm looking for the exact quote. He said, I would not abolish slavery without a due regard to indemnify the save slaveholder for his loss. And to avoid the necessity for that would begin the process with the generation yet unborn. So um, that was uh, that was John uh, John Quincy. Yeah, and you mentioned Sinku, and if I recall correctly, Sinku was who uh, was the namesake for the leader of the Symbionist Liberation Army back in the seventies. Oh yes, yes, yes. If yes, I remember correctly, yes, one of them, uh, the Patty Hearst kidnapping. Oh my God, yes, yes. Uh, Yes, one of them took uh, took the name of uh, Sin Q. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I believe his his actual name was David DeFries, if I if I'm remembering correctly. You're, but you're, you are remembering correctly. Good memory. <laughs> some things I, I have a good memory for. Other things I forget. Two minutes later, I guess this was one of the former. He has but, memories uh, for things that happened before he was born. Well, I wasn't born that long ago, David. So but you are, I was about to say I'm impressed because I don't know how old you are. I was a teenager at the time and uh, i was like wait a minute how old is he does he remember and i'm impressed because nowadays so many people if something happened before they were born they don't know anything about it so i am impressed that you know this you have no idea you have no idea what i'm up against with henry oh really (laughs) i'm 25 by the way so yeah the symbionist (laughs) liberation army was a little bit before my time it sure was like uh 20 years before, like mid Something like that. Anyway. Uh, but I want to jump forward a little bit to another president that gets really warm regards in, in regards mm-hmm. to racial issues. And of course, you know, perhaps some people didn't know about the warm regards that John Quincy Adams gets, but I think more people are familiar with the, the sentiments towards Abraham Lincoln. And your book does a very good job of laying out some of the more, let's say, sordid uh, background of Abraham Lincoln, both before and after the Emancipation Proclamation. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Sure. He was not the great liberator. He uh, he would say things like, if slavery isn't wrong, nothing is wrong. But then he would also say, um, if I could keep the union uh, together by getting rid of slavery, I would. If I could keep the union together by keeping slavery, I would do that. He was in favor of the um, fugitive slave law, which sent those people who managed to escape, sent them back into bondage. He never gave up his hope of sending black people out of the country. He wanted an all white country. And he told black people, a group of black, the leadership of the day uh, met with him. And he told them, well, you know, it's, if it weren't for black people, we wouldn't be uh, white men wouldn't be killing each other. So it's all your fault. There was, in fact, uh, briefly a, uh, uh, a colony. They sent a group of um, uh, people called contrabands, those who managed to escape uh, during the Civil War. There was a short-lived colony off the coast of Haiti. Uh, he, as late as a couple of weeks before his assassination, he was still talking about it. So 
he never gave um, he never gave that up. Um, yes, he was the Civil War president, uh, not well educated, but very eloquent. Uh, but um, ultimately, he was, as Frederick Douglass said, the white man's president. Yeah, and you mentioned this, you know, proxy colonialism, you could call it, uh, expelling of the blacks in America mm-hmm. to, to other areas. And one thing that your book does a good job of highlighting is how pervasive that line of thinking was around, well, all the way back from basically the founding of the United States. Uh, I, I knew that there was some individuals that had that idea that, you know, we'll make this in a, a white colony or a white nation and get rid of everybody else, you know, genocide the Native Americans and, and send the Africans back to Africa. That's their thinking, of course. But right. I, I was unaware of how many presidents had that kind of mindset until I read your book. So I, I want to thank you for drawing that out. Um, let's move forward to Ronald Reagan and... Uh, Bill Clinton for just a little bit. And then I, I want to talk about one of your new pieces in black agenda uh, to close this out. But Ronald Reagan, we should all know that he was a rabid racist. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you could tell the story about how he launched his presidential campaign, I know a lot of the listeners are already going to be aware of where he launched his presidential campaign. But for those that are unaware, would you be willing to talk about Philadelphia? Yeah, Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Mississippi. He had, now I'm told that he didn't have the campaign kickoff, but it was shortly after he announced. So I'm going to stick with that. Uh, it was, he, af- uh, I think it was after, right after the convention. When he, okay. I think he officially kicked off uh, in Philadelphia right after the convention. All right. So thank you. So it, it's a pivotal moment. And at the time, uh, as I was uh uh, unlike you, I had been born already. Uh, he um, he had a campaign event near Philadelphia, Mississippi, and talked about states' rights. States' rights being uh, being in support of states' rights, a code word for segregation. Uh, that was always one of the excuses. The states have the right to do what they want. Namely, the southern states have the right to maintain Jim Crow segregation. Uh, Philadelphia is also the place where three civil rights workers were murdered in 1964, Shorna Cheney and Goodman. And uh, it, it was odd that this man from California, why are you having this major event in Mississippi? Why are you talking about states' rights? And it was the Southern strategy, which started actually under Nixon. Um, for most of history, the Democrats were the party of the segregated South. The Republicans were the party of Lincoln. After the 1960s, the, it was like the polls shifting. And uh, Republicans uh, became quote unquote, the white people's party and Democrats, the black people's party. And this Southern strategy uh, resulted now in that region being uh, white Southerners being, um, you know, 95% uh, Republican. So uh, it was a moment where uh, Reagan used uh, code language to uh, talk about, uh, to make it clear to white people, and they're still talking about uh, Reagan Democrats. Now they're Republicans. I, they need to ditch that expression. But, but at any rate, 
that is where um, where it all began. He defeated Jimmy Carter, lest we forget a Southerner. At that, there were still some white Democrats. There were they were all conservative. So Jimmy Carter and later after him, people like Bill Clinton were being elected in the South. But it didn't last for too much longer. Yeah, so we already talked about Bill Clinton a little bit, so I'm going to skip him. But I, I just want to read one of the more provocative quotes from your section on Obama, if I may. Uh, and we'll have yeah, and we'll have you we'll have you talk about it in a second. So you write the biracial child of a Kenyan father who had abandoned him. Obama never passed up a chance to lambaste black men as if they were all the father he hardly knew. On Father's Day and in a black church, no less, Obama gave credence to the most damaging myths about black men. Quote. But if we are honest with ourselves, we'll admit that what too many fathers are also, also are is missing, missing from too many lives and too many homes. They've abandoned their responsibilities, acting like boys instead of men, and the foundations of our families are weaker because of it. You and I know how true this is in the African-American community. And then you go on to talk about what would have happened if Hillary Clinton would have said a quote like that. Oh, yes, she would have, and rightly so, been called a racist. But Obama just followed in that tradition of beating up on black people, of telling uh, white people, don't worry, I'm not going to do too much for them. Uh, So he's talking in uh, occasions like that. He was talking over our heads straight to white people. Black people by that time were so excited at the prospect of seeing a black president that he could have gotten away with saying uh, just about anything. Bill Cosby he, used to do that as well. Yes, he did too. I, I Now, I can't remember who put down black people first. I think it was Cosby, actually, before Obama. And uh, it's, it's a sad thing to me that uh, Cosby was not condemned uh, uh, more. Black people have, despite what uh, we're told, unfortunately, have taken on uh, too many of the negative things said about us in uh, uh, because we are ultimately people who want to be accepted uh, by the system and, and thus sadly take on uh, some of those stereotypes. So yes, yeah, so Cosby got away with it um, as the man who was about to become a president, Barack Obama got away with it. Uh, actually, Biden got away with it saying, uh, you know, his, I just I touched on some of his racist remarks, the stupid corn pop story, uh, the way he spoke to uh, people who are have been labeled civil rights leaders. Someone leaked the Zoom meeting he had after Election Day it was very disrespectful, very rude to them. Uh, I met Joe Biden uh, right after I was working on a show and I met him right after he had gone this was like 2007, and said about Barack Obama. This clean is clean cut and clean and articulate. First black candidate we've had who's clean cut and articulate. And I remember meeting Biden thinking, this guy has logoria, that Biden can't keep his mouth shut, that he was an idiot. I, th- I met Joe Biden. I spent three hours with him. I thought he was an idiot. I always had that impression. I always felt there was something wrong with him. Uh, he could, you're right about his uh, gaffes, as, as they call him. Do you remember the day when they signed uh, Obamacare? And he was like, this is a big effing deal, he said to Obama. And right. the joke's about him in The Onion. And then, of course, who knew? They coalesce around him and they make him uh, president. He's never very smart. And actually, I mean, this goes to the depth of anti-black racism that those comments did not 
hurt him. Uh, his uh, history in the Senate did um, of the crime bill, school busing, helped him. And so Obama decided to choose the man who, uh, he, because he was black, he was thought of as a liberal, I wish, um, and uh, to choose this man who represented that wing of the party. So ironically, all of those uh, statements, those stances that he took helped him to be chosen as Obama's vice president and ultimately to be the 46th president. Before I talk about your, uh, your, your work on Black Agenda Report, I just want to mention one brief thing about the book that might get a, a laugh out of people is that you actually have something nice to say about Andrew Jackson. And that's the fact that he was not a hypocrite compared to the other presidents around oh. him because he didn't even pretend to not be a racist, which I found to be quite entertaining. Yeah. Yes, Jefferson and Madison and others would talk about how slavery was wrong. They wish they could end it. Jackson was, he dispensed with all of that. He was the great genocide heir of American history, ethnic cleansing of the indigenous people from the South, uh, which was necessary in order to expand the plantation economy and, and uh, expand the uh, slaveocracy. So your latest piece in Black Agenda Report, I believe, is the piece No Human Rights in Texas. But I, I, uh, listeners, go to blackagendareport.com and find that piece. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting. But I want to go back to a, a piece that you did a couple weeks ago uh, because it ties in more with the conversation that we just had, forced labor in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, would you be willing to lay out that, a little bit of that piece for listeners so that they, they'd, uh, you know, jump into blackagendareport.com and start exploring all of the, the interesting stuff? Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, I wrote it because um, uh, there's, we always, and I wish we had more time to talk about it, but I believe we can prove uh, that the stories we hear about Chinese, the Chinese government's, uh, there's no genocide against the Uyghurs. There's no forced labor. 90% of what we hear about that is quite simply made up. And, but it also, it wasn't just that that's not true. It's just that we have forced labor here. We have the biggest uh, in, uh, population of incarcerated people on the planet, more than 2 million people who are forced to work. And I wish the things they made, someone said it should say made in prison so that you would know that uh, furniture and Kevlar and uh, vests for the military. And I mean, it's not just license plates. All they work in. Um, They're rebuilding uh, the Capitol. Excuse me. For, this is a th something we talk. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. But after sure. the insurrection on J January 6, the, the uh, prison prison slaves in prison in America are rebuilding parts of the Capitol right now. They fight, they fight fires in California. Kamala and, Harris said, I can't empty the prisons. Right. So please what would we do without cheap labor? What would we do without cheap labor? That's so what the vice president I, I said. Wanted, I, I wanted to thank you for bringing that up, point out that not only are the stories about China untrue, but we're the country with uh, uh, an extensive system of forced labor, unpaid labor. And it's unco I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is it's unconscionable that we are not boycotting McDonald's, Boeing, uh, Visa, uh, the, the furniture companies, uh, Visa, travel reservations. Oh, absolutely. If you, when you call an 800 number, if the person you're talking to isn't in India or the Philippines, it's somebody in prison. 
How is it um, possible that it's so hard to get a list of the, the Fortune 500 companies that are using what, it, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me prison labor is less expensive than, am I wrong, a plantation? The, it's a, Because if you ran a plantation, you had a, the state is paying for the, Well, they are. I mean, but but people are charged for being prisoners. People get out of jail in debt. They charge people for being in jail. Um, So uh, you can man. It's the 13th Amendment of the Constitution, which said um, that you could have uh, unpaid servitude if the person is in jail. And the out the growth of prison was one of the reactions to the civil rights movement uh, and the prison population. uh, tripled in uh, a very short uh, period of time. And that's another thing we can thank Reagan for with his war on drugs. This is the end result. This is what let infuriates me. Hang on for one second, Henry. Hang on for one second. This is what really infuriates me about the media, the so-called liberal mm-hmm. media. They do, they'll, they'll interview Michelle Alexander mm-hmm. and talk about the, the loophole in the 13th Amendment. But Rachel Maddow and and Larry and and Chris Hayes and all the good liberals, they take you right to the loophole in the 13th Amendment. They say that African-American men are being arrested because of the loophole in the 13th Amendment. We need fr- free labor, but they don't go the extra yard and tell us who are the companies you don't hear on MSNBC, they don't no, list don't. the companies that are using prison labor in America. It's outrageous. It, it's journalistic malpractice, but it's to be expected from new, the news media, which is owned by these companies. They would never report. Well, one of the things we can blame Bill Clinton for is, first of all, Ronald Reagan, he got rid of the fairness doctrine. Bill Clinton allowed media consolidation. There used to be hundreds of radio stations and TV stations. Now there are six companies that control almost everything we see and uh, hear. So uh, who is it that owns MSNBC? um, Comcast. uh, Comcast, thank you. So, uh, you know, so it's going to be corporate news. And it's left up to us as individuals to find this information as best we can. But we're the country with the forced labor. Henry, I was sorry, just going to read. No, that's fine. I was just going to read the Thirteenth Amendment since I think that probably most people haven't looked at the Constitution in a little while. So the Thirteenth Amendment, <laughs> Section One, reads: Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. It's literally the second part of the sentence. You can't have slavery or involuntary uh, servitude, except as a punishment for a crime. Then it's totally okay to have slaves. Yes, and then you just make sure that uh, uh, the disproportionate number of black people are 15% of the population, but half the people in jail. And the U.S. has so many people in jail, a quarter of the incarcerated people on the planet are black Americans. Yeah, exactly. Can so I ask again, a question? My, yeah, go ahead, David. Uh, the, the prisons, we're, we're always told that nursing homes are hotbeds of COVID, but it turns out it's the prison population, something like 600, 700,000 
prisoners have contracted uh, COVID. Can you tell me who Mumia Abu Jamal is and how he's feeling? Well, he has uh, uh, COVID. I'll cut to the chase. But he's he's a political prisoner. He's been incarcerated in Pennsylvania for now almost 40 years, accused, uh, convicted of killing a cop, uh, has always maintained his innocence. Uh, they are killing him now the way they have done, by, by depriving him of medical care. He's lost his eyesight, complications of diabetes, and now he uh, has contracted COVID as well. Uh, so, yeah, so Mumia is... Um, you know, a symbol of, in so many ways, but uh, a symbol of so many things that are wrong with this country, the mishandling of COVID, mass incarceration, uh, the uh, people who are political prisoners from back in the late 60s, early 70s. We have some of the political prisoners who've been held longer than political prisoners anyone, anywhere in the world. Right here. So my guest today was, again, Margaret Kimberly, the author of Prejudential, Black America and the Presidents. Everybody should pick it up. And again, especially teachers. I know that there's quite a few teachers that listen to this show. But teachers, pick up that book and, and bring it into your classrooms. It really will be important. I would like you to come back. Uh, I, 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 I was chomping at the bit. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I'll be back soon. I'll be yeah. back soon. Just let me know when. I'll I'll be in touch with you. We'll work out something. I certainly want to have you back. We'll talk about Biden and, uh, uh, you know, all this uh, hand-wringing and disappointment because he behaves the way he always always did and told us he was going to. But anyway. Margaret, uh, let me try to to stump Henry. Because I I remembered Sing Q, but I didn't remember his uh, birth name. Uh, I I, I think I'm going to get this right. Who was Patty Hearst's boyfriend? I think it was Stephen. I was going to say the first name Stephen. I don't remember the last name. Weed. I, I think it's I think I remember it was Stephen Weed. I remember uh, anyway, uh, just I, what, Margaret, whatever I can get <laughs> past Henry, you, you, anything I can get past him, I savor for a long time. The fact that he oh, didn't know that, that made my night. That was like a, was like a new reality show. Stump Henry. Stump Henry. Well, David, in, in return, what, what, what did the flag of the SLA look like? Uh, it's head, right? Was it, it like was. A it was what? It was a seven-headed snake. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll play this game again later. No, I'm not going to win, though. I don't like playing games. I can't win. <laughs> I, I like the, the level... Uh, unleveled playing field where I get the advantage. I'm an American. Okay. <laughs> wrap, wrap it uh, up. Please. All right. We'll wrap it up. So everybody needs to go check out blackagendareport.com. And, and Margaret, what's your Twitter handle for people to follow you on Twitter? Freedom Ride Blog is my Twitter handle. Excellent. And we'll definitely try to bring you back in the very near future. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you both. Thank Bye-bye. you. That was great. Henry, as always, great job. And by the way, go to patreon.com forward slash Huck1995. Would you like to join me with Dr. Harriet Fraud? I, I heard you guys had a great weekend together. Uh, I, I wasn't there for uh, the, the Marx uh, conversation. I generally don't have any time in my life. So what do I, I you do all day? A lot of stuff. So, yeah, I haven't been in the, the weekly Marx group because I just don't have time for it right now. But okay. uh but yeah, I stick around. 
Oh, okay, I'll stick around for a little while, and then I've got to get a sourdough going. Let's let's stump Henry, Doctor Harriet Fraud. Doctor Harriet Fraud hosts. Capitalism hits home, and it's not just in your head. Andrew Cuomo, horrible human being. Uh, Am I wrong? I I said earlier, uh, this is a man who, while he was writing his autobiography, sent our grandparents off to die at nursing homes and covered it up. Uh, Also, he had the big donor from the nursing homes. Yes, right. And prisoners didn't release the prisoners, so they died from COVID. But it's a hostile work environment because he sexually harassed some women. Now, nobody should sexually harass women, and he should admit to it, save us time and money. We're in the middle of a crisis. He should resign. Nobody's indispensable. Andrew Cuomo should step aside. We know he's guilty. It's time for him to go. He won't. We know that, too. I'm sorry? He won't. We know that, too. Right. He's a bully and a power grabber, and he got himself in a good position because he was more responsible about COVID than most governors, and it went to his head. I mean, he he is a power-hungry guy with no commitment to the mass of people or he wouldn't be letting people die like that. Right. And and I don't want this to come across as misogynist because we had Lindsay Boylan on the show. I believe her. I believe her. It's what he did is horrible. But to suddenly say he created a hostile work environment when he's killing your grandparents and letting prisoners die and fighting de Blasio on uh, universal preschool Suddenly it's a hostile work environment. What did you expect from this monster? I mean, you, the brother is constantly you know, p- threatening to punch people. These are. Go ahead, Henry. You, you raised your hand. I was just going to say that I saw uh, another poll come out just after the Lindsay Boylan accusation came out, but before the second one did. So in between the poll was done roughly at the same time that that accusation came out and well into the investigation by the FBI on the uh, whole nursing home fiasco. And this poll was an approval rating poll for Cuomo. And if I remember correctly, his approval rating in in New York was still like 57% with only 36% disapproving. There's a very small percentage of people that don't have uh, an opinion one way or another, but 5736 is still a very, very positive, uh, very positive approval uh, spread. I don't remember if that was the exact numbers, but it was something like that. It was roughly hey, I fell for his power. When, when I was at the beginning, you know, a year ago when he was doing those PowerPoints and the alternative was Trump, I was going, this guy's amazing. He yeah. was. He was very good in the beginning at COVID. And I think Lindsey Boylan and the others are coming forward because Cuomo's already off his pedestal. So they're not questioning somebody who is beyond question. They're questioning somebody who is falling off his pedestal. And so that it's safe to come forward. Because he's been, you know, because of the nursing home scandal, because of lying, all of those things. And because of his enmity to de Blasio, all of these things mount. So now 
people feel emboldened that if they come out with this sexually inappropriate behavior, they'll be heard. Otherwise, they wouldn't have. Yeah. Then we'll move on. The thing that pox on his entire administration, when the uh, Lindsey Boyle uh, wrote that uh, she was on a flight with Cuomo sitting next to him, and he said, uh, we should play strip poker. And he's sitting right next to her, and he whispered into her ear, we should play strip poker. And four of his aides stood up and said, we were on that flight, and we never heard him say that. On a, on a small private plane with the engines running, you're supposed to hear Cuomo whisper into a girl's ear, we, we should play strip poker. Of course, they didn't hear that. And for them to say that, they should be forced to step aside as well, the way they cover oh, for they him. Want their jobs. You know, he's a very harsh boss and authoritarian and controlling, and they want their jobs. And they probably didn't hear it. But of course, they didn't. You know, this is a very familiar scenario. And we'll see what happens. But one of the things that's happened that's really laudable is that Cuomo, instead of volunteering to run for president, which he did at the height of the pandemic, of, that he would volunteer if they couldn't find another candidate, he now is in the doghouse. Okay. And he is for good, very good reason. And so people are coming out. They're braver now because they can see that he's already falling off the pedestal, so they may be believed. So that's why these women are coming forward. Have you watched the Woody Allen, speaking of uh, believing women, did you watch any of the Woody Allen documentary? It's No, I didn't, but I had studied that case, and I really am not feeling very positive towards Mia Farrow. If you wait till your husband leaves you to, to uh, say that he abused your children and you didn't say anything before that, it's pretty suspect. Plus... He agreed to take a lie de- detector test at Yale Psychiatric Institute for Children. She refused. And I don't know what's going on there. Clearly, it's inappropriate to have sex with your stepdaughter. But the other people who came, some of the people who didn't come forward said that their mother put heavy pressure on them to lie. So it isn't so cut and dried, even though I do think sexual abuse is terrible. I think that case is not so clearly done. Well, the the HBO series makes it, uh, you know, they they stack the the deck against against Woody Allen. And uh, well, I don't think that's fair. I really, I think it was inappropriate to have an affair with Sung Yi, but I also think that. Since other of the children said they were pressured by their mother to lie, and since she didn't even accuse him till after he already was leaving her, then she accused him of having sexually abused the other children. That looks pretty gross to me, too. If your husband's a sex abuser, why wait till he's leaving you to let people know? I mean, I I said to my husband when our kids were little, lucky you don't abuse the children. I would murder you if you did. Right. I was quite convinced that I would. What is the statute of limitations? What what is acceptable? What is legal and what's acceptable? 
it's changing. I think the legal thing is 20 years later. But then. Oh, I'm sorry, not the. I meant age of consent. I'm sorry. Consent uh, is 18. Is 18. Yes. In New York or. Uh, that is a national age of consent, 18. And I think that what the Catholic Church did is that they fought hard and with considerable funds to keep the statute of limitations for these crimes very early after the crimes were committed because people don't even realize they don't allow themselves to know they were abused usually until later on in life. So they wanted to make sure that they wouldn't have to pay any more than the three billion they had to pay for the people that already proved that they abused them, like the 40,000 Irish orphans and so on. Well, any good news? Do you see anything coming out of the Biden administration that makes you hopeful? Or just. Yes, Yes, I do think that as far as. Defeating the pandemic, he's really making an effort, unlike his predecessor. And that's laudable. But nobody should expect Biden to suddenly depart from his entire political history and be progressive. He's not. There are some atrocities that are outrageous, like bombings in Syria. But we have money you know, for that. Somehow we found a couple hundred million dollars for that. Exactly. But, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about is what's the psychological effect in the United States of living in a dying empire, a declining empire? Because the United States is obviously in sharp decline. China kept developing between 1% and 4% throughout this pandemic. The United States is going down economically. That's just one of the things. We can't control forest fires. We can't stop the pandemic. We can't, you know, stop the depression. We can't fix our roads. We can't educate our kids. We, we, can't. we can't stop a depression that's consuming our people. We can't. And I, as I try to understand it, first I try to understand what's happening and then what its effect. The way I understand what's happening is the United States has been a capitalism without constraint for most of our history. We didn't have a feudal tradition and we didn't have a really powerful ongoing communist and socialist tradition. What happened with the last big depression was that FDR and the mass movements of Americans saved capitalism from destroying itself because it put constraints on capitalism. Those constraints have been removed. And so our economy has been exported The idea is to make money, and there's very little constraint on it. So if you make more money going to other nations where production is now that don't have ecological constraints and have very low wages, you make much more money. Then you come home with your money and you buy the political system, which is the best democracy money can buy. And so you change the rules, and capitalism is unconstrained. And Texas is the most beautiful example Texas 
as a state is the only one that is not on the national grid where all states contribute to the electricity and they all have to meet the regulations the federal government imposes. Of course, it's much easier to bribe officials for just one state than national officials. And so Texas withdrew from the grid. They hired a board, five of whom don't even live in Texas. Those board members, just for having a couple of board meetings a year, get 65 grand a year and are mainly not even related to Texas. And it's easy to, for them to vote that it's better to save money not to weatherize than it is to weatherize and protect the people of Texas in case of an emergency. Okay, El Paso is the only one of the cities in Texas that is on the grid. They lost their electricity for four minutes until electricity from Arizona and New Mexico flooded in and they continued their lives. Capitalism destroys in its rush to make more and more and more. It destroys itself. Piketty, who wrote a like four-inch volume on the inevitability of untrammeled capitalism to destroy itself, is well documented. McDonald's, the United States from in 1970, we were the most egalitarian nation in the industrialized world. Now we are the least egalitarian. In 1970, CEOs got on average 40 times what the best paid worker in their unit was paid. Now, the head of McDonald's gets $3,000, 3,000 times a year more than the people at McDonald's who he tries to cheat. And the average CEO gets, I think, between three and 400 times what the average employee gets. Wow. So the things have gotten entirely out of control and America is declining. It also should be mentioned that we haven't won a war since World War II outright, except again against Grenada, which is about the size of Rhode Island. So, okay, um, Korea was a draw, Vietnam was a draw, the countries were divided in half, everything else we lost. We just lost Afghanistan, which is t- being taken over by the Taliban. The United States is declining. Okay, how do we deal with that? Well, 74 million Americans dealt with it by pretending it wasn't true and that if only black people and uppity women would stay in their place and refugees wouldn't cross our borders, we would again have the prosperity we had when all of Europe was destroyed after World War II and we were the only economy providing the world. Hello? And where men could be the heads of household of dependent wives and children, and he could support that whole feudal arrangement where they were the lords of the manor. Well, that's over, because in their rush for more, they left, and wages are depressed. So that people don't get family wages. So you're saying that uh, with that American men, white American men, are internalizing the decline of this empire? Well, I think they're desperate because they, instead of what we need is what everybody needs to get well, you need to first admit the problem. 
you go to any 12-step, you have to say, I am Harriet, and I'm an alcoholic. Not, I'm an Harriet, and these damn black people are alcoholics. But you also have to, you have to also confront the cause. You have to say, I hang out with people who keep pushing drinks on me, and I have to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just the problem. You have to identify the cause. Right. And you have to say, this is what happened to me as a kid that makes me want to anesthetize myself with alcohol and talk about it and have the support of a group. It's a communist organization, although they hardly brag about it. But from each according to his or her or their abilities to each according to his or her or their needs. And there is. And by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you. AA, I'm an alcoholic. AA is the only thing that works. You, you, they have people, uh, we, we have this, as you know, class system where people think I must go to Betty Ford and learn to how to empty my garbage. And I see on television these advertisement. There's a British guy here in New York who advertises a recovery center at, at the Hamptons. And it's like the Ritz. And it's, it's big business, Bain Capital. Is That's m- making a fortune off recovery. The only thing that works is AA. Nothing right, else. It always work, but it can work. It, but it you have work. a better chance of rolling up your sleeves, drinking the bad coffee, going to the church basement, and sitting with people who may not be of your class. Exactly, who are all over the place and share a problem. But it works in my analysis because it's a communist organization. From each according to his, her, their ability to each according to their needs. Okay? And there's no money exchanged. And you get the support of the communal group. And everyone is respected. And everyone is included. And it's outside the capitalist system. It's a system of communist support and communal support. And it is such an antidote to American capitalism that people flourish in it. They feel supported. They are supported. It's the one thing they don't have to pay for. And they can feel like they have replaced their dysfunctional family with a level of a supportive community, something they don't get when they leave the AA meeting unless they communicate with the other people in the meetings. So that it has replaced with our rapacious capitalist society, a communist society, which feels good and is supportive. You know, there was a, there, there was a great HBO movie. It must have come out 25 years ago. David Schwimmer starred in it. It's called Breastmen. And he played one of these Texas uh, plastic surgeons who was giving the silicon uh, breasts to all these strippers, and then they started a leak, and it caused all this cancer. And so, uh, so what happened is he made money giving them the breast implants, and then he made even more money removing them. The ending of the movie is great because uh, he dies in a car accident. Spoiler alert: Most people aren't going to watch it, and he just you just you watch him die in a car accident, and you go, "Yes, this is perfect." And McKinsey, Pete Buttigieg's old company, we we find out that they were advising Purdue Pharma on how to convince doctors to overprescribe oxycotton, and then they have to pay a couple hundred million dollars in fines to the the state 
attorney generals. But it turns out that McKinsey also runs uh, opiate rehabilitation centers. So all that money that they're paying in fines that is supposed to go into rehab, they said you're going to pay for the rehab. That was the fine. It's going back into McKinsey's pockets because they're in the rehabilitation business as well, as is Mitt Romney, Bain Capital. Bain Capital, Bain Capital, Bain Capital. They make billions off rehab. There's a lot of money. But in any case, we are in a dying empire, a dying capitalism, just as the two great powers post-World War II were the Soviet Union and the United States, the Soviet Union imploded out of its own corruption, and we are following right along. So then the the question is, okay, what do we do about it? Well, the first step is admitting, okay, we are in a dying empire. Give it up being the world cops. Try to create a peace economy rather than depending on having seven times more armaments than the next, than all the other armed countries in the world. All right. That would be one. And you'd have enough money to take care of your people. And you'd have the ethic of caring for people and protecting people across the board. You could see some of that develop in France when they were a terrible country when they were still trying to hold on to Algeria. But once they understood that, okay, this is impossible, they started pouring much more money into social protections for people and became more progressive. I think that we have to first admit we are a dying capitalism. Capitalism is a system that destroys itself. It is unconstrained and it is destroying itself. We hope it doesn't destroy the entire planet. That's certainly a hope. But um, as American capitalism starts to fail, it doesn't bring down the world. But it is a failing capitalism, and we have to deal with that. We have to admit it. That would be something that Biden could do very differently from his predecessor. He could let people know, look, we had our time. We have lost all these wars. We can't control anything. Forest fires, pandemics, invasions of the capital. Oh, my God. Depression. Psychological destruction of our people, the fact that we are dying younger than we have for many, many years, and that people aren't having kids because it's too expensive, (laughs) because we don't provide the child care and the after-school care and the parental leaves that every other Western industrialized country does, because they're saving money. And they used to count on immigrants when they actually employed people. They counted on immigrants to keep the population up so they didn't have to take care of people who are parents. Well, now that they've exported production, they don't need that either, and they don't need the immigrants either. Right. So they can invest in China and Brazil and the rest of the countries in Asia. America is being abandoned. Our economy is going down. Okay, face it. Face it and create something wonderful for all of us with what we have. Because psychologically, Americans are suffering from every single disease associated with inequality, whether it's addictions or whether it's homicides. or These are all spiking 
suicides, sex abuse, cirrhosis, child abuse. Yeah, that's from drinking, right? And um, and the murder rate is going back. Violence, homicides are yeah. off the roof. Crime. All of these things. Podcasts. There's an epidemic of podcasts now. Yeah, because people are home and, and need something to do. But, you know, there's every social ill is magnified. We're in trouble. Right. Not only because we lost the wars and we can't solve the pandemic and we can't stop forest fires and we can't um, stop invasions of our own capital in the United States with all those armaments. You see thugs overrunning the capital. We have the most incarcerated people in the world. Wow, our country is in trouble. And if and what happens is people know there's something wrong, which I think Trump's people feel also. And some of them look for a simple self-aggrandizing explanation and a lot of people internalize it the american myth if you're so smart you'll be rich you know see we we have to wrap it up because uh but uh here's what i like about the about cpac and we should wrap it up they not only state the problem they have a solution yes and they and they point fingers you know Blame those people. Why can't our side state the problem and point fingers and blame the right people? Because we're owned, or at least the Democratic Party is owned by the people who are causing all the problems. Right, because if you if you owe your soul to the donors who get you elected, then you know, you don't have to pay attention to anything but the donors. Texas, once again, you know, Cruz could take off to Cancun because instead of worrying about two things, pleasing the electorate and pleasing donors, it didn't occur to him to have to please the electorate. He could keep them from voting. He could blanket the state with propaganda. So it wasn't even on his mind. Right. We have we have to wrap it up. Dr. Harriet Fraud is the host of Capitalism Hits Home and It's Not Just in Your Head. And Henry Huckamaki is the host of Guerrilla History. Thank you. Great job. I wouldn't know Dr. Harriet Fraud if it weren't for you. But if it weren't for me, you wouldn't know Professor Adnan Hussein. I'm getting very uh, c- competitive with Henry. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, it's, I'm in New York. Everything's transactional. Uh, Thank you both. Uh, I haven't seen Professor Adnan Hussein, so I'm going to hog him uh, for myself. Henry, you were going to say something? Thank you. I'm going to head out, David, but uh, I just want to, uh, well, I I see Adnan says, don't say bye, but unfortunately I have to get my sourdough going for tomorrow. Uh, But I will. You're trying to get a rise out of us, are you? Well, hopefully it'll proof first and then it'll rise tomorrow. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm going to advertise for the episode of Guerrilla History that we just put out. Uh, it was featuring Gerald Horn talking about the counter-revolution of 1776. He's been on this show a couple of times, so listeners should be pretty familiar with him at this point. And uh, yeah, it's a good time to subscribe to Guerrilla History wherever you get your podcasts. And we're also starting to upload 
episodes on YouTube on the Revolutionary Left Radio YouTube channel. It's just audio with the, the image of the shows, but uh, Rev Left, Red Menace, and Guerrilla History, all three sister podcasts are now being up, uploaded onto YouTube. We're just a, starting at the beginning of our catalog and working our way up to present right now. I was great. Thank you. Professor Adnan Hussein, I was reading this article, I don't know, the Wall Street Journal, it was the New York Times yesterday, talking about the big business of podcasts. And I just see the list of all these people and the billions of dollars being spent on giving, you know, uh, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle a podcast and Dak Shepard and these, what, what do you... What do these people have to say that you can invest an hour of your life listening to these people? I mean, you know, I'm not saying they're bad people, but this is it's just. Uh, soporific. Well, it seems like everybody's got a podcast and uh, some of us like myself and Dr. Fraud have, too. So, you know, there's a very elite uh, group. And of course, uh, see, a I'm a simple man. Me, I'm a simple man. I just have one podcast yeah, that lasts 14 hours. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just a simple. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Fraud. So it's so great. How was your uh, your meeting? You you did a, a course with Dr. Yeah, Fraud. Well, we. Oh, you're so breaking up. Two, sorry. Two powerhouse uh, at Weekly Marks. It was wonderful. Yeah. Professor Wolf and Dr. Fraud were so incredibly generous with their time. They answered every question and were absolutely brilliant and inspiring to our group. So we had a wonderful capstone kind of experience on completing Capital Volume One. And we thank them so much for joining us for a wonderful conversation. Oh, you're muted here. It's a great group that. It w- it's really inspiring for both of us. This is just what you hope will happen. Inspired, engaged people, and you did it. So we were really happy to do anything for it and would again. Well, Rorikey, I, I, Rorikey is the one, I believe, who started Weekly Marks on Twitter. And- yeah, he started Good Morning Marks, a daily Marks reading online group on Twitter, four pages a day. And then he asked me, well, publish a weekly summary of the 28 pages. And I thought, okay, sure, I'll do it. And then I thought, well, why just have me throw this into the ether? If people want to join, let's create a conversation so we can have some back and And it's wonderful. We're going to keep going. We're starting. Oh, and we got some great suggestions from Professor Wolf and Dr. Fraud about other Marx and Engels texts we can move on to after the Communist Manifesto. And uh, we're going to educate ourselves and out make these. You know, you're, you're breaking up, Professor. I, I don't know why. Uh, yeah, I, I have a bad connection, I think. I thought it was my fault. I've ju- I just had my connection. The guy came, and I, I saw butt crack, so I knew something was being done. I looked over, and oh, that's definitely 
he's working. Nobody would show me that on purpose. So he was definitely fixing something. Uh, but uh, so I think it might be you. It is. It is. Unfortunately, I've been having trouble with my Internet. So this America, it's just a, turning into a third world. America is, is getting so bad. It's affecting Canada. That's how bad things are getting. That's, that's how bad it is. <laughs> Islamo, Canada, Canada catches a cold. Right. America sneezes. Uh, so Islamo fascism. There, there is well, now, now we're dealing with Islamo leftism. That's the new in uh, configuration that is a threat to all civilization. So it used to be just Islamo. Unfortunately, the Islamo fascists seem to be aided and abetted, according to the Macron government. The leftists, so in, in a new formation uh, called Islamo leftism, which is leftist social theories, colonialism, post-colonialism, uh, accommodating building. I'm Islamic. sorry, accommodating. You know what I'm going to do? Because we're, we're losing you. It, um, here's what I'd like to do. Um, do you want to try just calling in using the number to, yeah. to, to call in? And see sure. if if we can't try it that way. I will. I will dig up the. Let me send in. you a, 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 an invite. It is, by the way, Doctor Fraud. It's amazing how few technical problems we end up having. It is. It, it really is. I was talking to Dan. That that we're able to do this nonstop, no commercial breaks, and uh, you know. Something like this happens. And let me send you the invite. Uh, and while I'm doing that, uh, the, the thing that that people need to understand is if something is being advertised, if, if anything is, there's the invitation. I'm going to hang on for one second. Copy invite. And I'm going to put that in the chat room. I hope this you should get it. Did you did you see it now? Yeah. Okay. So if you could call in, I think we'll have a clearer signal over your phone. It it, it seems to me that we we need to indoctrinate Americans that if something is if a product is advertised, you can't trust it. Anything that's being advertised is bad for you. It's bad for the country. They're trying to get something past you, over on you. You you should always look at anything, any advertisement has to be suspect. And then you have to ask yourself, I'm watching something on television. If they're running ads, if they're running commercials, Everything the people say is suspect. They can't be trusted. Some things they say may be true, but their worldview is shaped by whoever is sponsoring them. And that means you can't trust museums, universities. Find out who is funding 
the people you're taking your information from because it informs what they're willing to share in terms of knowledge. Amy Goodman. Watch Democracy Now! You can trust Amy Goodman. No corporate funding. Is uh, Professor Hussein in? And I, and I, I worry that way too many... I'm waiting that way too many Americans don't understand that, that they don't understand that you can't, you know, the Washington Post, I subscribe to the Washington Post. Good luck getting somebody from the Washington Post to talk about Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post. Yeah. Any, any luck, Professor Hussein? Good. Talk to us. Are you there? I can't. Can't hear him. Oh, I think this might be. Is this you? Is this you, Professor Hussein? Okay. Um, all right. Oh, 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 are you? Okay. How do I unmute on? Oh, well, there you are. Question. There you're back. You're back. But I think oh, that's okay, your. Great. But it seems like my uh, the the phone is muted. But I'm I'm speaking through the the regular Zoom connection. Well, let me great. see. Is this your is while uh, we're does your first is the first digit in your phone number a six, Professor? Uh, Six one three. Oh, it's not. That's not it. Okay. Okay, it's not me. Let's see. Uh. Well, if you can hear me, I can um, hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe the connection is a little bit better right now. So sorry about that. So Islamo leftism is uh, that sounds uh, a little better than Islamo fascism. What happened to Islamo fascism? Well, I think it's not that they think Islamofascism uh, has disappeared. Um, my theory on why Islamofascism is less a term that's used, it's something that's more from the two right after 9-11 that decade, but certainly recently in the last several years, it hasn't been uh, that popular to use that formulation. I think one of the reasons why is with the rise and emergence of far-right parties that evoke the memory of genuine fascism in Europe's history, that it's a little too uncomfortable to try and call, you know, Islamic radicalism fascism because it just reminds people that the anti-immigrant, the white supremacist, anti-black racist uh, dimensions of far-right nationalist and extremist movements that have emerged across Europe, United States, in Canada, all over the world, um, are, the, are a real danger. So I think the, the interesting nature of this formulation is that they, the French government, Macron and his uh, minister of education, are blaming radical left theories, social theories in U.S. Ac academia 
that they've come and infected the French Academy and that these leftist ideas are accommodating Islamic radicalism and enabling it. So they think uh, studies on race, colonialism, and post-colonial history are a threat to society and its integ- you know its integrity and are and undermining the kind of common culture that France prides itself on of laicite, a certain idea of aggressive secularism and the ideals of the French Revolution. Um, it's a very different idea of secularism than we're used to in North America, where you have freedom you know, to have different religions and you just, there's no established religion, but you don't have an aggressively secular state. Um, this is a different conception of it. Is it, is it uh, pro-Christianity? The no, people? Well, obviously on some level it is because it validates and ratifies the secularized Christian culture of France but they think of it as making the state very neutral and not allowing any religion. But of course, Sunday is still a holiday. So France is primarily a Catholic. Is that fair to say that it's a Catholic? Yes. Historically, it was, uh, you know, dominated by uh, Catholicism. But of course, the reason why we have the idea of secularism Um, as an outcome of the Enlightenment and after the wars of religion in Europe is precisely because there was so much internecine uh, violence uh, between uh, Protestants and Catholics, and particularly there needed to be some sort of resolution where the state would not choose sides within this. So they, you know, the idea of secularism is really to avoid that kind of internal conflict between different forms of Christianity and not to have any of them established as the official religion. So what, uh, just trying to understand, this isn't really new. I can remember Newt Gingrich describing Obama as a post-colonial Kenyan. It was the most racist, I mean, the, the British committed genocide in Kenya as they were trying to decolonize Mm-hmm. It's just the most racist, but this isn't something new. So the the complaint on the right is that the left is celebrating uh, Islam in France and this is dangerous? Is, is Yeah, I mean, what they think is dangerous are ideas identity. France is very famously in its census, for example, does not document people's race, for example. They don't ask, you know, in their census what your religion is. They think that this means that the state is totally neutral. And so those who do what we would call have a sense of identity and identity politics, that is that they remember, for example, Algerians in France remembering A, that they're Muslim, B, that they're Arab, and that they come from Algeria is somehow a threat to public order and the fabric of society because they are organizing themselves around an idea that is not just their French identity. 
you know, they want to combine French identity with being French Algerian. And that seems to be a form of multiculturalism that the right wing in France and increasingly the Macron government that is courting right wing support uh, sees as a threat to, uh, you know, French culture and uh, French, uh, uh, the French nation. And how much of this is related to austerity? Because the French were known for having a generous safety net. Uh, but even Hollande, the socialist, turned to the right. They didn't let him implement a socialist uh, po- economic uh, policy after the Great Recession. How much of this Islamophobia and racism uh, is a byproduct of austerity? Do- does this serve the EU? Does this serve the ruling class to see this kind of attack on the left and and? Uh, complaining about their celebration of identity doesn't that help the ruling class the neoliberals yeah i I think i mean this is an interesting issue and an interesting question of uh, the nature of the politics of this and whether it has something to do with the the neoliberal moment i mean in some ways it seems to be uh, antithetical to the way neoliberalism works, say, in the United States or Canada or even in Britain. Um, it's a different sort of model. In, in, what, in what way? Well, I mean, in the way that it's, you know, if we look at the Biden administration, if we look at the politics that undermined a kind of sense of class consciousness um, that might have built a movement for social democracy in the Democratic Party, you know, that it is really the celebration of the cynical, I would say, in some ways, celebration of uh, identity uh, in the absence of any class uh, analysis or, um, you know, so we, this is why we're supposed to be, you know, so entranced by the idea that Kamala Harris is the first black uh, woman to be the vice president and why Mira Tandon, you know, needs to be defended in her uh, position and her nomination for, you know, the Office of, of Management and Budget because she's the first South Asian woman to inhabit this position. And, and so, Pete Buttigieg, is exactly. first, even though he's from McKinsey, and Neera Tandon is from the the, the Hillary think neoliberal. What's it, American pros? What's it called? Pros- Senator, Senator Center for American Progress. Center for American Progress, and yeah, yeah, yes. Celebration yeah. of forms of identity um, in the absence of class analysis. This is an interesting. Uh, twist on it where there's an erasure of identity again without class analysis but it's the valorization of I'm sorry in France or in America the erasure in France they're erasing France, identity erase identity you know uh, erase these kind of uh, sub identities of high- I'm sorry you're breaking up sub identities of what Sub-identities and multicultural identities need to be erased. That's a model that the French don't want to adopt because they think it undermines French secularity. If you accommodate people being, you know, Algerian French and Muslim French, you know, they want to have a kind of ideal of national culture that is secular. It's a secular form of Christian culture, but it's secular. And um, they think that if you, you know, have these uh, 
multicultural identities that uh, organize themselves around racial consciousness, that that somehow undermines the ideal of French citizenship. Um, if you have this sense of post-colonialism, which suggests that there are after effects and legacies of colonialism into the modern period, these need to be addressed and dealt with. This undermines the French national narrative and myth that they're out of Algeria. So when Dr. Fraud, interestingly, was talking about how there was a progressive turn, in fact, actually, I think France has denied and never really come to grips with the consequences of its brutal, you know, 100, 150 year colonial control of Algeria, the wars, the killings, and the fact that the liberation struggle was, uh, you know, a bloody war uh, that killed maybe a million or maybe more than a million people in Algeria, mostly Algerians. So if it's uh, about laïcité and secularism, I remember the uh, troubles that the Arab community was having in France about eight years ago. They were marching, things were on fire, the police were trying to control it. The thing that struck me was that the Arab community was not living well. They were warehoused in public housing. So if it's not about identity, then are the French willing to address the problem of being an Arab in France and that you're being left behind? Well, this is this is what I meant by saying that they had a new twist on this neoliberal orientation to erase cultural difference and unify it as a way of of overcoming class differences, because the sad reality is that black and brown uh, people in France are mostly living in these horrible suburbs outside, basically ghettos in uh, outside the center and core massive unemployment, uh, terrible services. The schools are awful and there's no, uh, you know, pathway out. And this isn't and when it bubbles up into the kinds of street movements that you mentioned, where people rose up because there was police brutality, it's very much like Black Lives Matter. You know, before Black Lives Matter coined its, its name, there were similar sorts of uprisings, you might say, in the banlieue, these, these suburbs. And uh, very little has been done to actually invest in those neighborhoods for better opportunities. There's a bit of a labor aristocracy. We're delighted that they have strong unions and are able to bring the French state to its knees by going on strike, um, the transport workers and so on. But it also means that there are very few avenues that that is a privileged kind of labor com community, mostly white, and there are very few ways in which uh, people from these other communities and neighborhoods can be integrated. So the demand is that you must be integrated into French culture and not carry your you know, identity and grievances about the past and about racism and, and all of that. But at the same time, there's nothing being done to actually integrate them on a socioeconomic level. Right. They're being so locked out. Right. So you can't disentangle your identity from your plight, from your poverty. They're, they're linked. Exactly. Is, is, are the head coverings still banned in France? Yes, in schools, uh, they, they still have a very strict uh, line on this. Um, 
And that's another reason why they've recently passed this uh, draft law. It has to be ratified by their Senate, but it has passed in um, the, 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 the other house, um, uh, which is on the on antisem. I'm, I'm sorry, on what? On anti-separatism. And basically that is to say uh, that there's all kinds of new regulations where they've identified and defined things like homeschooling because you can't wear the hijab, the headscarf in school. So families have kept their uh, daughters out uh, of the school system and are educating them at home, which is, of course, really sort of terrible for everybody involved. But they've now banned that. And so essentially it's for um, adhere to these draconian and, and I would say illiberal ideas that you can't wear what you want, you know, um, the, the in, in the public uh, public settings like schools or universities. The justification I heard for banning the headscarves, uh, one was it's oppressive towards women, and two was they could uh, be suicide bombers. If you can't see their faces, we have to be afraid of these people, and uh, they... they uh, well, I mean, it can be oppressive to women if it's imposed on them. But what do you do in certain politically? How did they get that passed? What 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 was it that convinced the French to ban the headscarves? They did they did they told themselves it's oppressive towards women, but that's not the real reason they voted for that, right? I I feel like. Um, it was manipulated uh, to, um, to to shore up a declining sense of French uh, national identity. I mean, they're dealing with the fact that uh, the population has changed as a result of colonialism and immigration from their former colonies. There are a lot of black and brown, Arab and African people now in France, and that means that the culture uh, will change, and they don't want to acknowledge and accept that French culture, conserve cultural conservatives, and also, as we've just mentioned, there are ways in which this maps out on also opportunities and class stratification and so on, is that this is a way of maintaining the fiction that we're really egalitarian and so everyone needs to adhere to a common culture and that that's the pathway to advancement while at the same time in reality generation after generation of these people who have been in france since the 60s you know for the last 50 uh, 60 years um, have not been able to progress uh, as a result of the ways in which the system excludes various kinds of people um, yeah. Let me ask you about Charlie. We have to wrap it up. And I hope we'll, we'll fix your connection. I remember Charlie Hebdo when they shot up Charlie Hebdo. It was horrible. And it should, yes. you know, obviously nobody should be shooting a satirical magazine up for because they printed pictures of uh, Muhammad. Mm-hmm. I believe that's somebody uh, now. But I remember saying, uh, the government wasn't censoring Charlie Hebdo. Government says, go ahead, draw pictures of Muhammad. But the the community has made it clear that 
we don't approve of you drawing cartoons of Muhammad. Uh, in the best of all possible, this is what I said, in the best of all possible worlds, you could say, you know what, uh, we're a satirical magazine and our job is to piss people off. But you're also, you're also supposed to punch up, not punch down. Well, and yeah. Charlie Hebdo was punching down with what they thought was impunity. And there, there was something classist. It was, be, it was not just uh, racist and anti-Semitic. Uh, it, was, uh, it was arrogant, disrespectful. Of all the things that, that you know, austerity... Uh, the EU, Dav, of all the people that a satirical magazine could go after, why would you? Why would you go there? What, to what end? What, what do you accomplish by doing that? Again, obviously, I don't think anybody should have shot. Obviously, obviously, yes. Well, I mean, obviously, it was racism. There is a kind of racism islamophobia that goes back for a very long time particularly in christian polemic against the prophet of islam so there's a whole history there i could certainly uh talk to you a lot more about that whole back history down to the medieval period but what i think really needs to be noticed here is that French culture wanted to galvanize and rally itself around this ideal of we believe in free speech and this community doesn't understand these liberal values. And yet these same people now are behind. Or behind what? Behind this Islam leftism idea and the suppression and investigation of social theories in the universities. They've announced an investigation that there's going to be a kind of inquest to make sure that these dangerous ideas that are being imported from the United States in colonial history uh, don't undermine France. So that's real censorship. If you believe in free speech and academic freedom and these liberal ideals and values, you will defend the academy from being able to investigate history, literature, social theory without gov the government imposing various standards on what's useful for society and what fits the politics of the then reigning government. So that seems to me the real uh, hypocrisy of the situation. Fantastic. Professor Adnan Hussein is chairman of the religion department at Queen's University in Ontario, Kingston, Ontario. He is host of Guerrilla History and the Mudgeless podcast. And uh, I have to put you on the spot because that's the only way that's the way we do things here. Are you going to be uh, available for office hours? And we're going it's our monthly 24 hours of office hours. Are you? Uh... Yeah, I will. I will be there for some portion of 24 hours. And I just want to tell people, if you want to hear uh, more and learn more about this Islamo leftism issue, please do check out the latest episode of the Mudgeless Day on the topic in discussion with several uh, experts in the field. Great. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Professor Adnan Hussein. Before we go to Aurora, Illinois, where Professor Marianne Cummings is standing by, I want to remind you that you're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com, and we are doing office hours and hours this Friday. Now, every Friday we do office hours, but this Friday is office hours and hours, 24 hours of comedy lectures and conversation. We start at 8 p.m. on Friday night, and we go until 8 p.m. Saturday. Who will be left standing? Who will go the distance? Who will go 24 hours? Can you go the distance for an invitation? Go to David Feldman Show dot com and sign up for your invitation just go to davidfeldmanshow.com and hit uh, office hours and i think if you've already attended office hours that link is still good well let's go i don't think we're going to aurora illinois we're going to professor marianne Cummings. she's the a parks commissioner in in aurora illinois but it seems to me you are coming from an undisclosed location. I would say a hotel room. Mm-hmm. Are yes, you on the uh, lam? Uh, not really. Uh, no, this is a meeting that was uh, postponed about six different times in the last year, and we're finally all doing it. So I love hotels. I could live. You know what? I, I can concentrate in hotel rooms like I can't anywhere else sometimes, it seems. Yes. And, and and as isolated as I am it, it, during COVID at home, I mean, like, I talked to nobody in the last 24 hours. So it's... Uh, Put me it's, in an industrial park with a residence in, and mm-hmm. I will be... I, 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 I could live there forever, just having... You know, well, you know, one of the nice things about uh, getting in last night was uh, I just turned on the TV and it just happened that the Golden Globes was coming on. Now, I haven't had regular TV in my house since the cable guy failed to show up back in the late 90s. So I just haven't had TV and of any kind. And even where I live, you're not missing before, anything. no. I don't miss it. I mean, I remember watching it a lot in the 90s, especially when I was doing ship work and coming home after midnight ship. But, uh, but you know, those it, that got old. I mean, I have to say, watching um, Boris Yeltsin on C-SPAN on Moscow TV because it was International Women's Day, and he's like, he starts talking about women and then our mothers, like Mother Russia, and I mean this, I, I thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. He's going, ah, 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 ah. he's like the big, ugly Oprah cry, but he's really sobbing on Moscow State Television. Yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah, he was. A- but apart from that, you know, I, I don't miss it. But I did watch the Golden Globes last night, which, you know, I got to feel, I got to reconnect with the broader culture. Some, But you're not reconnecting with the culture, with the Golden Globes, because it's the yeah. Foreign Press Association. 87 people decide who wins, who doesn't win. 
They're mm-hmm. bribed. They're wined and dined by the studios and the celebrities. You know, it, it's they, the, the actors and actresses and directors know exactly who those 87 white people are. And they send them Christmas gifts and presents yeah. and they bribe them. And we accept it because it's, you know, because yeah. it's un-American. There seemed to be a bit of a diversity quota, uh, quota this time around, so... Well, I mean, it's, a, it, it's not just diversity. Yeah. I mean, no black people. It, it's yeah. it's Making a bogus decisions. organization. Yeah. It's bogus. And, and the idea that it's one of the highest rated shows on NBC and people think it actually means something because 87 drunks <laughs> from, you know, around the world mustered up enough sobriety to pencil in a couple of picks i mean and just another reason to celebrate nonsense nonsense and the idea that it's a competition so it must be you know we must watch a competition but it's not a competition hey i wasn't watching that so much but i was very happy to see like jamie lee curtis and janie fonda like go totally natural like you know I have what a, does totally a, um, natural mean? I mean, like, you know, they, they're going gray and white. Uh, one of my former problem children was able to get me one of these products that Jamie Lee Curtis uses on her hair when she went gray. So it's this, I'm still, I, I, I need to get more of it, but it turns your fright wig into something that looks like you might have had it done in a salon. It's crazy. Is, is this Activa? Is this keep you regular no, too? No, no, this is like a, this, I don't even know. It's like an unmarked tube, but only licensed beauticians get it. And she was one at one point. You don't, none of this stuff gets sold in, you know, like on eBay or anything, because then you wouldn't have these salons, you know, so they've got this. So it's, but it's good. Nonetheless, it's, it's good to see women like go gray. And now Jane Fonda. Ah, Jane Fonda is something else. I was Jane. impressed. And I was even more impressed when I first thought she mentioned Buddha, Jesus, and Mao. And then I realized, no, she meant Lao Tse. <laughs> she did say Mao. But, but uh, this is a woman. Mao. We were going. We were at war, and we were fighting an illegal war in mm-hmm. Vietnam. And she went and with Tom Hayden to Uh North Vietnam. And she, you know, uh, consorted with the quote unquote enemy, trying to get the bombs to stop and tried to prove that the North Vietnamese were no worse than the the South Vietnamese. She sat on a tank and that should have been the end of her career. And she went on to have this amazing and rightfully so. This she yeah. defied all the odds. You know, she. Uh, That's what fearlessness does. I mean, she's kind of fearless. Yeah, I mean, she grew up in privilege. She was the kid of Henry Fonda and all that. But she was uh, well at that point. Women's you know women's careers in Hollywood ended at thirty, or you know when you could no longer pass yourself off as thirty or younger. And uh, she was willing to just take risks. And it's paid off. It's paid off all her life, all her professional life. So I appreciate the hell out of, of Jane Fonda. Right. So she's trying to get a little bit of substance in, you know, in there. 
But uh, it it was just kind of fun, you know, watching, seeing what people thought was important. I do want to watch Nomadland. I I do want to watch that. Is that Frances McDormand? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And apparently it's very topical. And I talk about another woman who has not, quote unquote, gone Hollywood. I mean, she's. uh, Well, she's married to Hollywood. Oh, that's right. She's married to one of the Coen brothers, isn't she? So, you know, I don't know. But let's talk about more important things. (laughs) What's more important than that? Uh, Yes. The. the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. Mm-hmm. Now, I told you that Biden, I'm kidding. Everything you and Jim Earl said uh, has come to fruition, only more so. Yeah, we jinxed it. It's all our fault. Well, it's worse. Yeah. It's worse. It's actually worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people starving in America. We're Uh a third world nation, despite what the government and the stock market tells you. Uh Evictions are going to evictions are already happening illegally and they're starting up again in March. They've been going on all along, by the way. I mean, even though there's been a moratorium since last year, it doesn't matter. It's only a matter of whether the local governments or state governments enforce the moratorium. And they don't. And and Jonathan Bick, Professor Jonathan Bick was saying on uh, Friday show that the parliamentarian who rules that the minimum wage bill can't be attached to a budget bill, that's just a a construct that can be disappeared overnight. That you, you it's just it, it's not it's 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 not even a thing. I mean, it's advisory. They they have traditionally deferred to the parliamentarian, especially on on very obscure matters of order. But in this case, this is this this is a very this is an emergency. It is a very clear cut situation where this is needed. And as by the way, for the Democrats, Joe Biden's uh, approval in some polls is up near 60 percent. Um, that, of course, will probably be the high point. I mean, Obama's approval was 80 percent. Obama had a ton of political capital he could have used on recalcitrant members of the Senate, like Max Baucus and those guys, um, to uh, basically force at least a public option. But he had no interest in doing that. So uh, I think one of the bright spots is that the press are getting a little testy. I mean, even Jake Tapper, somebody's flipped the attitude switch on Jake Tapper. When did that happen? What, um, what 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 did he ask? Oh well, they they were just say, they it was in a conversation about uh, CPAC and they were talking about uh, the the um, the convention, the DNC convention, where uh, they wanted to show people that they were not just a bi-coastal, uh, they were not just by coastal party that. And that they wanted to show on a big map of the United States where all the speakers at the TNC were located. And most of them were coming out of like Martha's Vineyard and are, are, are in those locations. So they decided. Were you talking about the sp- CPAC speakers? No, or? no, I was talking about the, the DNC. They were talking about CPAC, but they were also bringing in the DNC. It was like 
obscure conversation, but like Jack Tapper was in with some very snarky, snide and snotty remarks about the Democratic Party. But um, what was more substantive was I saw that little, uh, they, they had, <clears throat> were playing videos, a little question and answer with the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki is her name. And, uh, oh, I mean, the, uh, the, the press was demanding some follow-up. They were going, hey, look, you don't have the votes, but you don't have, you, you say you don't have the votes for the minimum wage, to force the minimum wage. You don't have the votes for near Tandon either, but, you know, the chief of staff of the White House says that we are going to, like, you know, fight like hell. We're going to, uh, you know, just just push this to the limits to get the votes. And and uh, and I can't remember what the direct quote, quote was. Uh, fight my fight guts, out. guts out. Ron Klein said, we talked about that. I'm going to fight my right. guts out. We had both at the same time on the yeah. last show, <laughs> we're just about to say that he was going to fight his guts out for near attendance, but and, not the minimum wage. And she was tap dancing around, and the, the, the reporters wouldn't let go of that question. The next reporter came and wanted a follow-up, and suddenly I was getting some real Ari Fleischer vibes from Jen Psaki. And like, here's a professional, a professional liar. She's able to spin sentences about how the two situations aren't anywhere near alike. And She's from the Obama I, White House, isn't she? She was, yes, she was in the Obama White House, uh, like, from the last three or four years. Right. And we're close oh, to yeah, because they're Because some wags on the Twitters are pulling up statements about uh, um, bombing Syria that... Um, you know, she's squatting down. We don't have no right to bomb Syria and the Republicans telling us to do that. And um, and I, I think there was she was responding to some comment that then President elect Trumpy was making. I wasn't sure the context, but, you know, she had a very definitive statement on, you know, the issue of bombing Syria without consulting Congress. And uh, so these guys can turn on a dime and right. I mean, they're they're pros and. Uh, I, I said good news because it looks like the press isn't just letting all these things slide. And I think some in the press may not all be just traveling in elite circles. They, some of them may actually know what the mood is outside of academia and outside of, you know, the professional classes and that the Democrats could be in real trouble. And uh, now I just look, by the way, before I went on, in the last two hours, Bernie Sanders apparently has come out with a statement that he is bringing up the minimum wage one way or another. Many people are speculating that's either a standalone amendment to this package or by some other means. So, like not voting for the, the, the stimulus well, package. He's, I think he, is, he just basically wants to get everyone on the record voting against this. And I'm sure whatever it is he's trying to do, I'm sure that Chuck Schumer is going to try, try and board it. But here's what I here's what I don't understand is. If you're going to go down, go down for something. Yes. Worth fighting for, you know, uh, if if the Democrats are going to lose the, the House and it looks like they are. At least lose it because you pushed Medicare for all through and it's unpopular mm -hmm. or you pushed a, a $15 minimum wage 
or uh, universal basic income for children. Go down fighting for Biden's going to be 80 years old. He doesn't have much longer left. What's he what's he fighting for? Whether whether he was 80 or 50, I mean, as uh, Harvey J.K. and others have pointed out, you have about 100 days to really make some strong statements, to make some bold moves that are going to define your presidency. Other, after that, people are back to worrying about the, the midterm elections. So, but, so they're just squandering this window of opportunity. I mean, this guy, Biden, Biden, Ron Klain, Schumer, they, they want for nothing. They, Pelosi, they, they lack, they have everything you could possibly want. But one thing, a legacy. They will go down in history as the, uh, the the Democrats who ushered in fascism. That, that This is where this is leading to. If they don't deliver, if they don't deliver big right now, mm-hmm. I, you look at CPAC and what's coming down the pike, this is going to be a lot worse than Trump, and it's going to be impossible to stop because there is palpable anger among the 99%. And if you're not going to offer the 99% health care, a livable wage, a roof over their heads, we're going to turn, we, we, history shows we're going to turn to more authoritarian rulers. And it's going to get racist and sexist and anti-Semitic and homophobic, and it's going to be turned over to the gun-owning warlords. And well, you, know, you cannot stop the me. white supremacists and the, yeah. and the nationalism by not paying off the 99%. Well, I just think they're, well, first of all, to your first question, I think people like Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, I don't think there is a future for them. They like what they have right now, and what they have right now is their power and position and all of the benefits that come with that, whether you are in the minority or the majority, it doesn't matter, they're in control. And I I think it was... uh, They have no values. Chuck Schumer is a disgusting human being. His two daughters... Got into Harvard because yeah, he went well, to Harvard. One of them got a Harvard law degree and went on to become like the general counsel for the Council of Economic Advisors. And another, the other Cretan, other dimwit is working for Facebook. This is what you do with your life? Your well, father uh, is, as, is as, Chuck Schumer and you go to work for Facebook or the Council of Economic Advisors? You're worthless. But that's but part of that is a function of that is their world. That's, that's and they're up. wrong. Their values yeah. suck. Their values suck. But that is their world, and you know it's a I disgusting world. What would happen to me if I became a a congressperson or senator, and suddenly everybody's butt kissing my butt twenty four seven? That that I wonder what kind of creature I could possibly become under those circumstances. But that's what it is. And they're and they're insulated. Look, one of the two guys, one of the two Democrats that voted against the COVID relief package in in the House. I can't remember his name, but Howie Klein pointed out on his Twitter feed that uh, 
that he's getting support from the DNC against a possible uh, primary challenger. In other words, they are protecting their own. And while they, they value loyalty to the party above everything else. So that's... And, and you know, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. To I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when you look at somebody like Rashida Tlaib or AOC, mm-hmm. Cory Bush, and uh, Chuck Schumer should drop to his knees and crawl out of the Capitol <laughs> because this is he, he his daughters had every opportunity had every lever of privilege available to them and th- and they dedicate their life to Facebook this is a democrat he gets his daughters his dim-witted daughters into Harvard and they go off and work for the Council of Economic Advisors. Oh, would it, would it have been Facebook? better to go work for Raytheon or the oil companies? Oh, gee, I don't know. Maybe uh, become a union organizer. Maybe uh, get <laughs> use your law degree to sue Facebook. So, you know, I know <laughs> what Chuck Schumer's values are. Yeah. And I don't approve of the way he's raised his kids. I think they're disgusting. I think Chuck Schumer's disgusting. And well, I stand and point my finger and I say, I don't approve of your kids, Chuck Schumer. You're repulsive. Now, you know, I think the problem for those people, and especially their kids, is that they don't see anybody. Well, somebody has to tell them that they're worthless pieces of shit. Well, they won't hear it unless they go on to the David Feldman podcast. Yes, so sorry. Sorry. How to invite them on. Well, that's really true. I mean, look, um, when my mother, my mother grew up in a poor neighborhood, she went to the Catholic schools, but there was a couple rich family, families in that parish that sent their kids to the same Catholic school. She went to a parochial school, excuse me. And uh, in other words, there were kids of all classes that knew each other. And then later on, my father would have the same way at St. Mary's of Redford. And, you know, they met and re-met in law school <laughs> Uh, Detroit College of Law, which you did not have to have a college degree to get into. I mean, there was much more mobility and much everything was a little easier. Things have things have hardened now. Things have institutionally hardened. Um, hey, even in my past, I was able to just kind of go up to a professor at the University of Michigan and said, hey, I'm interested in working at Fermilab. Can I work there? And some already did say, sure. Now we've got these programs that you have to apply to and you know you have a bunch of people a lot of whom aren't scientists making the determination of who administrators be a summer intern rather than people just curious enough to want to like work in a science on a science project and for a summer and those summer interns are they paid oh yeah they're paid at fermilab no, this is an Fermilab is not quite, you know, the oil company or the financial companies, but you know, where it's a, it's not, it's not profitable to have a, a career as a research scientist. Let me tell you, I mean, even a even a pro- college professor, except for some of the real prestigious universities, it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's it's an okay living. And professors, it's it's more important that you are. It seems to me, well, mm-hmm. not you, but it seems to me that in these so-called top schools, it's more important that you get famous than be a good 
teacher? Well, it's more important that you get money. I mean, so one of the common complaints uh, that a lot of our colleagues have is they have hardly any time to think about physics because they're always writing grants. And between writing grants and teaching classes, making sure some of their postdocs and graduate students are paid, you know, that's kind of what takes up all their time. And that's, you know, a much saner approach would be uh, if you are determined by your peers and by people to, once you graduate with a PhD, to be a uh, to be a reasonable, competent person, I think the Department of Energy should have been paying us directly, and then we get to choose what experiment that we we go on. Right. But now, I mean, even when I was applying, I actually got actually got a few uh, interviews, which was amazing. And every job I was interviewing for had like over a hundred serious applicants. And uh, one of the things people were advising me was that, well, you're going to have problems because you're talking about stuff you want to do. And the, I had a, uh, I was a spokesperson on a very small experiment at the time, Fermilab, one of the few independent ones. And, you know, they don't like to hear that. They want to hear that you're part of their team. They don't want, it, it was, and that was really true. I thought that they were joking. But when you, when you go into some of these universities, uh, they usually have great big grants that they're giving to, you know, the senior guy. And the senior guy wants to be, is the person that decides which of the more junior faculty will be deemed worthy to get these, uh, to, to be part, be a PI on one of these grants. So it's, uh, it, the way grants ha- operate is, you know, not really competitive. It's, it's just highly political. And, so you're not really encouraged to go out on your own as much as you are um, encouraged to be part of the team. Now, you saw, you saw that in the 2000s when um, people would come, astrophysicists would, would come speak at Fermilab, and there was kind of a great period for astrophysicists where young people could really be independent because there was all this fantastic data coming out from, you know, these uh, mapping the cosmic ray background and all these telescopes. And uh, and so some people got tenured who, at that time who really were independent, like the people who proposed their own measurements or their own experiments and had kind of attitude. It, when you see high-energy physicists from that same era who are in the tenure track, they're much more um, conventional. You know, they're they're... A lot of them are project managers because these experiments are big and it's much more like, a, you know, being part of NASA rather than being an independent researcher. But um, anyway, um, let me ask you about Andrew Cuomo. Oh, really? OK. He's lawyering up. Guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. Three women have come mm-hmm. forward so far. Uh, yeah. Say uh, uh, Lindsay and another woman say that, uh, well, Lindsay said he forced himself on her, gave her a kiss. Uh, But there's a photograph now of him touching uh, a married woman's leg who works for him. That's rare. I mean, the problem with sexual harassment or sexual assault or things like that is that they're often in private. And really the only thing you have to go by when these people come forward is what they told their close friends and family at the time. Right. So um, that's why somebody like Anita Hill, for instance, or Christine Blasey Ford, or even a Tara Reid, to me are, were credible in a way that Paula Jones was not. 
you know, because it just their stories, the, the, the former group, their stories jived with their, uh, with their uh, accusations, whereas Paula Jones was, did not. There's all kinds of other reasons to suspect her, too. But um, so that's, you know, and I'm sure, but I, on the other hand, I'm sure Cuomo didn't think he did anything wrong. Like what? What? I was what joking. I, 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 I was joking or it was, you know, and yeah, a powerful guy. So we've discussed this before. And it's very easy for human beings to normalize because we're kind of group animals. And we, when we see, when we see the head ape or whoever he is, you know, just kind of like get away with certain things, then that's what is deemed okay to get away with. And as I said, you know, for instance, Hollywood, it wasn't until women were not some, not the actors or even directors, but where women became producers. In other words, women became money people, substantial investors in Hollywood. Did people like Weinstein actually uh, get called to account? By the way, Cuomo's hired Weinstein's lawyer. So this may, <clears throat> they may be sitting on something. Uh, well, that might have been a good choice. There may be more than, quote unquote, just sexual harassment. I mean, oh. You read what Lindsay Boylan went through where he um, wouldn't leave her alone. He was just suffocating her. And, you know, she's working for the most powerful man mm -hmm. in the state. And then she said they, she complained and then they transferred her out of the mm -hmm. governor's office and she was afraid that he'd be angry with her, and she missed out on an opportunity to work for the the governor because yeah. he can't control himself. Well, that was the Nita Hill story, too. I mean, you know, the, she was in a very competitive field and uh, was, uh, Clarence Thomas headed up some civil rights organizations. She wanted to do that kind of law. And even after she felt she had to leave, she couldn't really cross him because she's still doing that kind of law, and he was she was recommending students to him. It, it's it, it, I, it well, gets complicated. That's right. It, well, it's when you have these powerful people in very small, like you know, big fish in a very small pond, sort of thing. In, in many academic situations, and many of these specialized political situations, like human rights law, things like that. Uh, you know, you don't want to cross the powerful people if you want to have a career. And you can easily justify it by saying, hey, when I get a little power, then I can say something. Right. But, I mean, Anita Hill, a year after, people forget it was a year after she had been subjected to all that nonsense in front of Biden's panel that David Brock wrote that piece for the American Spectator, the real Anita Hill, where the you know, little bit nutty and a little bit slutty phrase came from, a 7,000-page article. And uh, now he's she, the big Hillary guy. Now yeah. he's in bed with Hillary. Yeah, she was. Well, to be no, no. Uh, David Brock now there. is uh, is a uh, Clinton. After he wrote, he broke the Paula Jones story. He was a hatchet man he for the did. right. He was that was uh, Trooper Gate. There was a whole bunch of other things. Um, and then he came out of the closet and went to work for Hillary. Out of that was, um, who was it, uh, Anita Broderick. Now, that was the exception to all the other gals that Clinton had problems with. I always, thought, I always thought she was a little bit problematic 
she didn't want to go public with her story. She only be sure her name got mentioned in one of David Brock's articles, but she didn't make any public. Oh, uh, she did. I, I no, no. I, until until uh, uh, Ken Starr named her. I she, he was Ken Starr's people were just going all through Arkansas. I mean, they were hounding people. They were hounding the former Miss Arkansas. They were um, they were questioning uh, Juanita Broderick rather early. NBC. And, she did an interview with NBC. You can, okay. you, it's on, uh, I think it predates Ken Starr. She went forward. I remember Jane okay. Pauley introducing the piece and you can okay, barely so find it. Look up Juanita Broderick okay. on YouTube. I, I'll, I'll do that. I was, but she was, I remember hearing about her during the whole Ken Starr thing. And I thought, Ooh, this one might be a little problematic. Uh, Paula Jones was obviously political, as was Kathleen Willey, but Paula Jones, or uh, Juanita Broderick, and at the time, the Clinton people handled her very delicately. They didn't say anything bad about her. They didn't. Now, that wasn't the case with Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so that was not a good move on her part. But uh, anyway, I think that... Uh, Look, this is a, a generational thing somewhat, a lot, I think. Uh, look, you know, hey, I remember making it a point to hit my, my father's law firm's Christmas parties <laughs> going, driving from, uh, driving from Fermilab to uh, Detroit and uh, seeing some stuff that uh, I kind of raked my father over the coals. You know, it was just a... The, the Mad Men years didn't end in 1970, let's put it this way. I think um, they ended, I think Anita Hill ushered in B.C. and A.D., before Clarence and uh, after the Democrats yeah. and the Judiciary Committee blew it. B.C. and A.D. I, I if, you, if you were behaving poorly after Clarence Thomas, yeah, that, then it was uh, time for you to go. Well, obviously, not the case in some in, in some circles. I mean, Cuomo was uh, his behavior was kind of atrocious. Of course, you know, I was I never was one of the ones that were a fan of Cuomo's handling of COVID because I remember, like, literally about a year ago now, where uh, Cuomo and De Blasio got into this big public fight. Remember, because De Blasio was going to close the schools, like, as was he was right to do. And uh, Cuomo was going, hey, I didn't tell you, say you could close any public schools. And they got into this big pissing match. And they were both, you know, wasting weeks, valuable weeks where, you know, they had shut the state down at the beginning of March. You know, let, it was put the, uh, the nursing home situation aside. They could have saved thousands and thousands of lives. And I, I remember there was talk in Manhattan of closing the bridges. Like in at the end of March of last year, I had talked to some people who heard rumors and the, the talk was just shut the entire city down for a month. Like nobody can come in and nobody can leave. Well, nobody could go out, maybe. But I mean, by that time, you know, it, it was already it was already raging um, about a month or so too late. And, you know, this it was hard for everyone to really wrap their heads around it because one of the things that, you know, under clocks, 
stop twice a day or something. He he did ban flights from China probably a good month or so too late. And both Cuomo and Nancy Pelosi was was giving him all kinds of crap. And Nancy Pelosi, as late as late February, was telling everybody to, you know, come and enjoy Chinatown. And I'm like, are these guys, I mean, this is a pandemic. <laughs> this is going to hit us sort of sooner or later. But as Henry and Irritable have said, I mean, People don't, it's just not intuitive with people when you, when you say there's going to be a doubling every week. Well, one, two, four, eight, 16, nothing exciting, nothing exciting. And then suddenly 500, 1,000, 2,000, suddenly people are panicked that that's the way pandemics go. And, um, you know, they weren't really listening to their scientists much. But um, anyway. Let so, me bring Jim Earl in. Hey. And... Uh, I'll dress him down as well. Boy, did, oh, okay. we were just talking about how uh, Professor Marianne Cummings was saying she she owes me an apology. She wished she had voted for uh, Joe Biden. <laughs> Jim, are you willing to acknowledge that you made a mistake, that that you've never seen such action? Have you, can, you, can, can you hear me? Am yes, I, I can. Is my audio okay? I'm not yelling, am I? No, 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 I'm, no. Because the last time you accused me of yelling when I wasn't, and I, I, I really want to make sure that you can, that I'm not yelling right now. Can you hear me? Is that all? Can you saying? lower your voice, please? It's, it's, I don't, I don't want to. Hey, Jim, if, this is not the kind of show I want to run where everybody's screaming at each other. Will you lower your me. voice? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I, Jim, I can't. I feel threatened now. You're creating a hostile. Is it violence? Is it violent? Do you feel violence because of my passionate tone of voice? Are you talking? I don't believe for a moment that uh, Professor Marianne Cummings wishes she had voted for Joe Biden. Yeah. I think that's one of your false rumors. Here's the thing. There's Rick Overton. I I have a bone to pick with you. Okay. Well, hang on. Let me introduce Rick Overton. Because now we're on, we're back on we're only ten minutes off schedule. Comedy genius. I'm going to embarrass him because he can't correct me yet. Comedy genius Rick Overton joins us from Los Angeles, and uh, this he's a comedy genius. And the minute he unmutes, he just has to unmute. You're all, there. You are. Say hello. Nah. He's a, a genius when it comes to comedy. I'm going <laughs> to... He's... Dodge... Blink twice if you can hear me. I, I can't hear you. He's, 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 he's saying do something. I, I, hmm? You look good, though. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> You look fantastic. Uh, Nod your head. Let me ask you a couple of questions, Rick Overton. Uh, You can hear me. Nod your head if you can hear me. uh, Is there something wrong with your microphone? Oh, you you have a problem with your microphone. Maybe. Maybe. You have a problem with David. You're on your iPhone. You want to use your iPhone, but you're you. You can't use your iPhone. You have two iPhones, and you're using your bad iPhone, not your good iPhone. 
Is that, is that correct? And do you want to try your good iPhone and not your bad iPhone? Or, it, it, you know, I kind of like this. Two syllables. This is an interesting way. Uh, this might be an interesting show. This might be interesting, Rick. Uh-oh. Nice. Now, but you froze. Uh, okay. Let's play What Does Rick Think? I think Rick Overton wants to apologize to my listeners for trashing Joe Biden. I think Rick Overton has seen the light. Can you hear me, Rick? I think Rick. <laughs> yeah, he is. He, Rick just gave me the finger. Rick has seen the error of his ways, and he now realizes that the Democrats, they're looking out for us. They care about us and they care about the working people. Yeah, and they're looking out for us so they don't see us and they can avoid <laughs> us. That's what they're doing. You yeah. know, I made the mistake at office hours of saying to Dan, isn't it amazing how we never seem to have technical problems? And today we're, we're lousy with technical problems. Uh, Rick, what, what do you think we should do? Cut it, cut our losses. Do it on, come back on Thursday. Will you come back on Thursday? You come back on Thursday. Yeah. I can't hear you, but thank you. Rick is trying to say that uh, Jim Earl is an FBI informant and can't be trusted and has named the names of all the comedians who've contributed to Al-Qaeda. And uh, I'll name names, uh, but I just can't remember any. I'm I'm getting to that age where I can't remember the names that I have to name. Uh Uh-huh. All right, we'll we'll see if uh, Thursday show Rick. Thank you, that was Rick Rick Overton. Everybody, well, we're having one of those uh, those days where not everything goes the way way you want it to. Rick Rick uh, can't do the show, and unfortunately, Jim Earl can. So it's one of those one of those days. So, uh, have you been, Jim? I'm kind of I'm still pissed off at you, David, for you know throwing you under the bus. Throwing me under the bus. Let's discuss it. Well, you threw me under the bus. That's it. You just threw me under the bus. Yeah. You, know, you accused me of yelling, and I look back over the the YouTube recording of it, and you know everybody else is yelling. You're the one who's yelling more. Right. And then J- John Ross is is interrupting me and yelling, and then. And then the, the, all the factual uh, inaccuracies and out, outright falsehoods that were can you uh, lower take, your voice, please? Taken as <laughs> can you lower. Jesus. I feel Jesus. this is gaslighting. <laughs> I know this is so. I, is it, listen, I feel like I'm at a fucking the Phillips sixty six right now. <laughs> have you ever been in a real? Have you ever been in a relationship where you've been gaslit <sighs> this way, where you're, <sighs> you're talking very calmly? And they told you to lower your voice. Do you know that I once got sent home uh, from a work situation because I was arguing with somebody and I was whispering and they found it menacing? Was that the uh, Daily Show? No, but it was a a job they had. We'd like you to go home. The boss was 
is scared of you. You are whispering. Oh, who? What, where was this? The Jim Earl Show. I, there was never a Jim Earl Show. Oh. There was a Jim Earl Theater, which yeah. lasted two weeks in San Francisco. Okay, so you felt John and I. I was just trying to get a fight going. I'm trying to make well, this show. No kidding. No huh? kidding. But you know, I, was just, kidding, I just but... wanted to see sparks. Jim, will you stop yelling? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then don't provoke me. <laughs> anyway, where were we? We were talking about your feeling that uh, when you were on with John Ross. My feeling? I was, yeah. It was, that, 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 well, and John felt we were uh, teaming up on him. Well, and then, then. And then the two days later, you had him on, and he does all this. Oh, I'm. And he he admitted himself. He said, "No, you guys weren't ganging up on me. You said sorry, we ganged up on you." To to John, he, he felt said, no, he didn't have no. a good time. He yeah, felt ambushed. He, you felt you were being. No, he didn't. He did not feel ambushed. He said specifically on that show with you that he didn't feel ganged up on and. That's, that wasn't what bugged him. What bugged him was his supreme disappointment in Jim Earl. Okay. For But he wouldn't say specifically what the supreme disappointment was about. And for, so I go back and I watch the show. And the only thing I can see is that, well, I, he, you know, I made the claim that for four to five years, the Democrats and the leadership had continually called Donald Trump illegitimate president and a traitor and uh, facilitated by uh, an arch enemy of the U.S., the Russians, and he wasn't really elected president. He was a fraud, and they were calling him, and still are, by the way. And my point was that after four years of that, what, how do you think the Democrats would have reacted had Donald Trump been reelected? Do you think... You don't think they would have been out in the, the streets? Day, the day, January 6th, New York Times, read Thomas Friedman's column, January 6th, 2021. He said he would storm the White House if Trump succeeded in stopping Biden from becoming president. Yeah. And John Ross, John Ross uh, said that was completely false, that my claim that all these people had called Donald Trump an illegitimate president. And to my witness, I would like to read you a few things. Joe Biden, May 19, uh, 2019, agreed with the town hall audience member that Trump was, quote, an illegitimate president. Neera Tandon, top Democratic Party fundraiser, said Hillary won 2016 in Russian hacked voting systems in swing states to elect Trump meaning illegitimate. Jimmy Carter, on a couple of occasions, called Trump illegitimate president. Adam Schiff on the 220 election said in November 220, said that if Trump, uh, we cannot be assured, quote, that the vote will be fairly won if Trump wins. So that's enough. John Lewis, January 2017, 
What do you think he said? I but, don't see but, Trump. But, as, perhaps, I, I don't did, see, wait. Let me finish. I do oh. not see Trump as a legitimate president. Hillary Clinton, September two thousand nineteen, said he was illegitimate, and still to to this day does. Jerry Nadler. 2017, illegitimate. Pelosi said the election was, quote, hijacked. So what does that mean? Legitimate or illegitimate? Right. Do you, do you think it's a false equivalency? Pelosi, again, August 220, Trump illegitimate and unworthy of a debate. Rep- Representative Veronica Escobar of Texas, illegitimate. Paul Krugman, illegitimate. Robert Reich, dark cloud of illegitimacy. Traitor. Right. Lincoln Project, darling of the link. Uh, last time I party. heard that much. The last time I heard traitor, the word. Traitor. Excuse me for one second. The last time I Democrats. hang on, hang no, on. I'm not done yet. I'm not. Done I want to say I'm something. Not, no, 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 no. See, this is. I have a joke. I have a joke. I don't care about your joke right now. It's not going right. to be worth it or funny anyway. <laughs> Whoa! Oh. Sixty Democrats announced they would not attend Donald Trump's inauguration. What does that make? Do you think that, you know, just just like Republicans said they wouldn't do the same to uh, Biden, but they, but they suck up to the Lincoln Project. They call Liz Cheney a hero. So, you know, I I ask you again, how do you think? Well, listening to what you just uh, read to me, first of all, I didn't know you were going to come with you were going to bolster your argument with facts. That's not also, fair. I feel ambushed. Well, you know, that's ambush. Ambush with facts. You you invited me to come on this show. I didn't know this was a hit job. Let me just say one thing, Jim. I haven't heard the word illegitimate that much since I was in court being brought up on charges of not paying child support for my bastard. See, I told you what <laughs> My bastard. I, Your bastard. I haven't heard the word illegitimate. Have you met my bastard? Several of them. You know what? When my son, when he comes to town, I'm going to start introducing him as my bastard. Will he ever come to town? Even after he's vaccinated? Has he been vaccinated I miss him. yet? I miss him. He's, he's so funny. Possible. He's so funny. Is he still speaking to you? I haven't spoken to oh, him in a while. He's the funniest person in the world. Uh, he'll call me right before the show is starting. He, I, I can't talk. The show's about to start. Oh, okay. How are you? <laughs> it'll just, it'll just. Um, so, but do you worry, Jim, uh, that uh, Pelosi and Nadler and Schiff are right? Nadler, that, Nadler, that that Trump was illegitimate. Hang on for a second. And that the Russians did assist and that there was trolling and they did interfere. Do you worry that maybe that's true and that would make him an illegitimate president? No. What what did the Russians do? Did they hack into the voting tallies, as Nira Tannen claimed, and and, and, and switch the, the vote count? Is that what kind of? Well, there was there was there was, uh, there was no there, there was no nastiness. There was no. Who cares about nastiness? You know, you know what? We we've interfered in about two hundred countries' elections and overthrown. Uh, I think you're winning. I think you're winning this argument. I think you're winning. 
I think you're winning, but I may be hungry and weak. Plus, plus we installed uh, Yeltsin. It's on the cover of Time magazine. Say you, the United States installed Boris Yeltsin, who uh, brought uh, rapacious capitalism and drunkenness to the. He was a drunk. Kremlin. He was a useful idiot. And, Wall and Street. for the Russians to be slightly resentful for that is, you know what, to their credit. And they deserve to. Okay, and, uh, here's the thing. We does, this, my point is this country deserves everything it's gotten, including and especially 9-11. And whoa, 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 whoa. We asked for it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't it, come on. You can't, <laughs> you can't say that. For us not to expect any kind of blowback for our behavior over the last 200 years is Pretty arrogant. Remind, what was and, nine? Remind me again. What was nine eleven? That was September eleven, correct? That's when I was supposed to uh, get a haircut uh, underneath in the uh, mall underneath the Twin Towers. But uh, I got a call at the last minute saying, "Hey, don't go. Here's We're the doing th- it today." Here's the thing: you are the id of the Democratic Party. You are the id of the left. You are like Trump. You say the things that cannot be said. Now, let me address some of the things you said, okay? First of all, I resent your coming on my show and uh, being difficult to argue with and, and, and loading up with facts. That's the first thing. Uh, I, I, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take back your comments before I... Uh, For your what? Well, there, there's there's basic decency, and some of these things. Trump is a grotesque mobster, and he not a very good one. Well, if you watch CPAC, you you see what's coming down the pike, and. It's a, an increasingly stupid country that turns on a dime. Whatever the leader says is our enemy or who has to be rounded up, we go for it. These are stupid. The Republicans, Jim, as much as I hate the Democrats, these Republicans are craven, opportunistic, diseased sociopaths and the democrats are not okay i get it well they're at least they they're they're not as dangerous you know obama and hillary and bill are dangerous to foreign countries but they're not as dangerous as trump mcconnell they they don't harbor the hatred for Gays, blacks, Mexicans. I don't know where you're getting any of this. Uh, well, you think, they, they, and, all, and they don't who, hate who, women. Who, who, they, maybe who, in their personal lives, they hate women. But Hillary pol- doesn't hate women. She's she's uh, Hillary's not trying to close Bill pla- Clinton. Hillary is not trying to close Planned Parenthood. Hillary's not trying to close Planned Parenthood. Hillary's pro-abortion. Okay, you know you. you that's you, a big you, thing. That's a big yes, thing. It's a big thing, but it's not everything. And she know, isn't in bed with the evangelicals who are dumbing down this country 
You keep bringing up people. That's not true, David. She was she was attending those K Street, you know, the family meetings. So did I. Didn't mention any word of that in the Netflix. Okay, but she she didn't get their endorsement. She listen. The, the, the Hillary, but but to say that there's no difference between Hillary and Trump. Well, but David, all right, sorry to, uh, go ahead. Here, what? But it's it's not a matter of they're not being different. As I've said many times, the the corporatist Dems and the corporatist Republicans, two different roles in the same scam. It's a good cop, bad cop, and sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference. There. There are Obamacare. Hang on for one second. Two ends of the same shit. That, that's, that's that's not that's true. All it is. That's not true. It is. It is. It is, yeah. it is true. And and you wouldn't have McConnell, the McConnells, and the Ted Cruz's and the Donald Trumps, and there are going to be more of them without people like the Clintons and Obama. So without the well, Democrats, you, the, the Clintons, the Clintons are not that uh, wise. They're corrupt, they're despicable, but they're not propping up Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is filling the void that the, the Clintons and the Obamas created by Wait a minute, not- wait a minute. The Clintons propped up Trump. I mean, yeah. everybody forgets that Bill Clinton made a phone call to his old golfing buddy, the Donald, and urged him to take a, quote, leadership role in the Republican Party. And both sides- uh, uh, confirmed that that phone call took place, and like within three weeks after that phone call, uh, you know, Trump is announcing his candidacy. But, but do you think that was because he wanted Trump to be president, or he wanted Hillary to be president? Did oh, he did did he I, not know that Trump was a disaster and would lose? How Didn't could tr- he not know? I thought tr- I thought Bill was this brilliant guy. Yeah, they knew. They knew how racist. But but he they was. did. But I mean, they didn't think Trump. But but. The Republican oh, Party deserved. Yeah. Excuse me for one second. Excuse me. Yeah. Trump. If I'm Bill Clinton and I want my wife to be president and I have nothing but contempt for the Republicans, he, I would know that Trump is the logical extension of this party of miscreants. That 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 he, Trump is the Republican mm-hmm. Party. So I would want my wife. Or I would want to run against Donald Trump. He's an ignoramus, a sociopath, and he and he's a mobster. He'd be easy to beat. And they, how how egotistical and maniacal do you have to be to risk the whole nation with Trump? Because nobody Best knew. To, I'm not defending. I don't. I, I'm no fan of Bill Clinton. But to to they they travel in the same circles ivanka mm-hmm. is friendly with chelsea they're di- they're all disgusting bill is still better and smarter than donald trump they're not the same people they just well, aren't that, that, no that, but it's the same scam there. it's no Look, it's first of all hillary i don't think that, don't think that uh, excuse me for bill one second hillary clinton hillary clinton i didn't vote i voted for her because i had no choice but the, these yeah, you have a choice. Hang on for one second. Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton gave us chips. That's child uh, mm-hmm. funding for child health. She saved millions of children's lives because of chips. She gave. She tried with uh, Hillary Care. 
when she was first lady. She tried to get some kind of universal health insurance. It wasn't universal health care. But the first thing she did as first lady was she tried to fix the health care problem in this country. She worked with uh, Marion Edelman. She's worked with has concerned herself with poverty. She became corrupt. And yes, Marion Edelman had a lot to say about Hillary Clinton. Medicare for all will never happen. Yeah, I'm quoting her. Okay, to think that that's different from Trump. That's different Mm -hmm. from Trump. Trump is Trump is a grifter. Trump Trump is looted. He looted. He looted the federal government. That's not why the Clintons went. The Clinton Foundation. Trump. Twenty percent of what the Clinton Foundation does is good. So it's a. The federal government was looted by. United States Congress, both parties voting for a, a five, six trillion dollar transfer of wealth from the working and lower poor classes to Wall Street. All those tax cuts, 1%. all those tax That's cuts. What those were? Those were Bush and Trump who passed those those tax cuts for the wealthy. And no, Obama about Obama. Obama basically allowed like 95 percent of the tax cuts to not sunset in 2011. That's how we that's how that was ended. The Bush tax cuts for the rich. He opened up, but he he didn't want to be. I'm not. Listen, nobody attacks. Nobody. I nobody attacks Obama Mm -hmm. and Clinton more than I do on this show. No, but but Trump and the Republicans are far, far worse and far okay, more no. dangerous, far no, no. more dangerous. Trump you, isn't far more. He hasn't been in office long enough to be far more dangerous than people like uh, uh, Bush and uh, Obama, who, who so all, so, went so, from two wars to seven so in, in eight years. Since, since militarized every since, police department across the country with almost a billion dollars worth of uh, lethal weaponry from the military. Hate crimes are on the rise because of Trump. He has given license to bigots to 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 attack. Well, that would have been uh, John McCain and his sidekick vampy Sarah Palin. I mean, if you saw those YouTube videos of her rallies, I mean, it's like those people have always been there. And and, and, like- the, and the president of the United States, Donald Trump, was was turning ICE into a, a Gestapo-like operation. I know that Obama deport was the deporter in chief. I know that he separated families. And you I know, know that, that he and Biden built the cages. Yes. Sorry. And Biden's still right. using cages. So right. my, my question, you, you he's not using he's not using cages now. Let's circle back. He, he's fixed. Let's circle back to when you, you were talking about how stupid the American people are. I didn't say the Amer- I said the people who vote for Trump are stupid. Oh, OK. Well, well you know what? The, the people no, who not. vote for Trump. No, they're not. Are, yes, know, the they people are. Who vote for Trump are, are voting for more than uh, outright stupid. And how did it work out for them? How did it work out for them? Let me finish. How did it work out for them? Let me finish. OK, the people who voted for raise Donald your Trump, voice, Jim. Let, let me finish. The people who voted for Donald Trump 
did not vote, you can not make a blanket statement that tens of millions of people voted out of sheer ignorance yes, and sir. racism. Yes. When when you have somebody who, when you have the economic conditions in this country that fuel racial hatred and help we- weaponize racial hatred, and that's exactly what Donald Trump did. He used racial hatred, the ec- economy, as a weapon and he helped weaponize racial hatred in, in order to distract the, about what did he offer from the economy? What did he offer? It's just like uh, what, what, what is Trump? Look, Trump offers he nothing. offered relief, economic relief. What, what? He offered economic relief. What? what? And he concentrated. He actually ran. He actually had a platform of economic but, but relief. But what did he accomplish? Well, the Democrats what did he in 2016 po- had nothing. But what did he do? That's not the point. That's not the point. Well, what the you're, point you're saying, you're saying that Trump. He ran. He, no. David, the people the who voted for him. Platform. The people who voted matter. for him. Hang on for one second. The, the people point. who voted for him in November of 2020 are ignoramuses especially if they're part of the 99%. They spent four years and they they ended up worse than they were under Obama. They are gun-toting. 70 million people. Se- yeah, that's about right. 70 million, ignorant, 70 million ignoramuses who, who look that, back that at statement, four... That statement is exactly why you are going to help Democrats lose the midterms in less than two years. No, you go for the 100 million people who don't. You're not going to win Trump's voters. They're they're ignoramuses. That's not true. Uh, Half of my family voted for Trump. Some of them would have voted for Bernie. Yes. Even the dry drunk uncle. A lot of people. Well, a lot of Bernie supporters, with all due respect, Professor Marianne, a lot of Bernie supporters are ignoramuses. How could you say with a straight face that that Hillary Clinton was as bad as Trump. Okay. I, just, I, I hate Biden, but he's better than Trump. Because well, that's just like saying Donald that, well, Trump. Meyer Lansky was better than, you know, name your thug who actually ordered, gave the orders to kill people. I mean, it's just, uh, you it, know, it, it's a system. Trump We're trying to talk about been, a system that perpetuates itself. And you have the heel, which is Trump. And then you have the hero, which they're trying to be Biden. But then the heroes just enable the next Trump to come along. And then you just keep this going. Look, I when I saw people supporting Trump supporters among the ranks of Democratic primary voters, I was listening to some of them and they hate the system. And if you're somebody not doing well after eight years of Obama, things are getting worse for you. It's not irrational to say, look, I want somebody who might rattle the system. It's not irrational to break down the system, not the country or your own community, just this political system. They wanted somebody to destroy. They thought that might be Donald Trump. And turns out, you know, Trump's cabinet is as lousy with Goldman Sachs as Hillary's would have been. And he mostly, the one thing, though, I, I think is, really gelling with people because there were so many people talking about good Republicans versus Donald Trump. No, Donald Trump is the Republican. Absolutely. 
And, you know, I don't care. There's no Liz Cheney. She's still a Republican. And, and you know, Biden Susan and Collins. Biden is and Biden is the Democratic Party, unfortunately. And, and he's, and he's a little Party. better. Now, hang on for one second. Yeah. Hang on for one second. I trash Obama all the time on this show. Mm-hmm. But when you look at his presidency versus Trump's or George W. Bush, without interrupting me, Obama got us out of Iraq. Yes, he didn't get us no, out of didn't. Afghanistan. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He he, he removed. He did not get mo- us out. We, we, we just bombed most, Syria he re- because, because of he re- uh, I'm ta- contractors still in Iraq. We have more. Yes, we have contractors, but he brought most of the troops home from Iraq. Excuse me for one second. He uh, passed a stimulus bill in 2009 that is responsible for the growth of green energy. There were, there were Easter eggs inside that, that stimulus package that is responsible for windmills and solar power. Excuse me. Obamacare is a disgrace, but it took 10 million Americans and gave them health care. There are pre-existing conditions. You can no longer be denied health insurance because you have pre-existing conditions. Kids could stay on their parents' health insurance until they're 26. Not enough, not even close. But it, it, it moved towards the future. Uh, George W. Bush was uh, privatized Medicare, tried to privatize Social Security. So did Biden. So did Biden so wasn't did president back then. And grand bargain. Every, I, they're not good people, but you can't say they're the same. You No, they're just as they're worse. They're in, not in worse. Respect. Yes, because they've been doing this all their professional life. They've accomplished Donald things. Trump, Donald Trump hasn't. Obama didn't get us into a war. Obama didn't get us into a war. Yes, he did. He he, he got us into five additional wars. Not like and, continue, a, and, and continued the two. He promised along not, with Joe Biden. He didn't. Joe, he excuse me. He was there, there was competence. You get what you get from the Democrats is competent government. There was an Ebola. Oh, Jesus. There was an Ebola epidemic. And Ron, Ron Klain, Ron Klain ran the Ebola office for Obama. We're we're going from five additional wars to the Ebola office. now. You know, there's wars and then there's what Iraq was. There were, there were no terrorist attacks under five Obama. Five additional wars. Five additional Th- wars. These are, these are, they're not the same as Afghanistan and Iraq. How, how do you, you, bought, you drop because, a bomb because, on civilians and wedding parties. That's a war. That is, and it's illegal. It's a war crime. Yes, but it's it not the same thing. There are Just degrees. Like excuse me. There, there are, are degrees. degrees. There's a difference between Andrew Cuomo raping a woman and forcing a kiss on her. If you don't see the difference between a drone strike. I'm sorry. You don't see the difference between an illegal invasion of Iraq under George W. Bush and drone strikes over Afghanistan and Somalia. You don't see the difference between that. 
Frankly, no, because they're a continuation of the. Well, ask Lancet. Uh, something like three million people, people, people are dead. Hung. Three Nazis million people are dead because of the legal invasion of Iraq. Nuremberg, Nuremberg for less. Okay. There's a difference between being responsible for the deaths of three million Iraqis and and two million refugees in Iraq million. and some drone strikes. Some drone strikes. OK, I don't approve of the drone strikes, but there's a difference. There's and just what, there is, and, you know, you're you're setting the, the bar so low. Jim, you, that, you can't. It's, it's not the same thing. That it's meaningless. If, you know what? Jim, if you're if you're if it, saying if, a if, you, if you can defend any of these people, your moral compass is like fucking spiral. I'm not around. defending. I'm saying that that Obama and Biden, and Hillary and Clinton are better than George W. Bush and you Trump are better than Trump. They are better than Trump. How? I don't understand. Because well, they've accomplished things in their presidencies. They got think they got some things done. It was not enough, but they got some things done. Some things done. So you're you're basically. I happen to think Obamacare is. is I think Obamacare did something. Yes, it it gave trillions of dollars to the insurance company. And I which think was, that's right. Its purpose. And, that's right. And but you know what? Ten million people have health insurance now. And and the Republicans fought him every step of the way. And, you know, uh, pre-existing conditions. It's a little better under because of Obama. It's a little better. What did Trump do for anybody during his four years other than take? He gave uh, the Democratic Party probably the greatest gift they could ever have. But what what did he which, do for the American which, people? Which what did Trump do? What did Trump do for the American the, people? Which, which, which the Democratic Party, again, squandered. What did Trump do gift. for the American people? On his deathbed, on Obama's deathbed, on Clinton's deathbed, he can meet his maker and, and point to some accomplishments Mm-hmm. And ask for for let me into heaven. What can and, Trump and, say? What can and, Trump and, say and to Saint Peter? Which compliments uh, are going to outweigh the uh, the horrors that these people have inflicted on humanity? Do you think they're going to equal? Do you think the horrors are going to? I don't know. Five hundred thousand dead Americans because of the way he mismanaged COVID. The that that is worse. More Americans mm-hmm. died in less than a year than World War yeah. II, Vietnam, and Korea combined. I don't see uh, Biden eight, eight, or 80, I don't see Biden or Obama doing that to America. 80,000 uh, people die every year from lack of health care in this country. That Medicare for all, single payer. What does that have could, to do? With, what does that stop. have to do? And, and Obama tried to address that. He didn't. No, he, he fell didn't. short, he but at least he, he tried. He trashed it. He didn't try. How could you, you're pair. comparing he, Obama? I, I'm to, not, you know what? I'm going to, with the facts here about the, what Obama t- intended to do. And he trashed single payer. He gave it away. 
And he, he, he could have super much. Yeah, he was wrong for he, that. He, and reconciliation. He, 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 he trashed the public. It. He didn't pass the public like the option. But you know like what? The Democrat, just like the Democrats could use reconciliation now, but they won't. They could give you instead, instead of giving you uh, us uh, $15 starvation wages, which it is, but there would be an improvement instead of that, instead of Medicare for all, and instead of uh, yeah. vast improvement in our, in our infrastructure, they, they, Instead, they bombed Syria and killed 22 people. Wrong. A war crime. It was wrong. Of course it was wrong. Oh, it was wrong. Mistakes were made. Yeah. I'm you not. Know, def- I, I said that. I said on the show, we have money for bombs, but none for Medicare for all. Right. And that's. But there's that's a, a difference between Hitler and von Poppen. Oh, Jesus Christ. Hitler and von Poppen? Yeah, there's a there's a difference between true evil and media mediocrity. You know, Obama See, is a mediocrity, Biden is a mediocrity, and they're horrible and they should never have been president. But the Democrats are still better than what I saw it's a, at CPAC. It's a meaningless better. Yeah, I think it is, because I think what Somebody mentioned that uh, Jim is trying to do a, an analysis, a structural analysis of the situation, which I tend to do also. When you have a good cop, bad cop facet of the same rotten system, both of them, the, the good people, quote unquote, like Obama or Bill Clinton, enable the bad people that come after them because they've killed any chance of us getting off of this downward spiral. I mean, they've killed every ch- what What did Obama do with Obamacare? By the way, yes, millions of people got on, on Obamacare. It came at the expense of people like myself, yeah, who yeah. for a couple of years basically went without any real coverage because it was, it was just priced out. It, it hurt my company because we were, my company was, was covering the cost of people's individual insurance. They could no longer do that under Obamacare. I mean, we're such a small company that we couldn't really get a group rate. Things like that. I mean, there were adjustments. Yeah, there were technocrats. They were polite people. They were, but you know, the the bottom line is is that they enabled the horde. They they enabled a horde that came after them, and they enable these people to still exist. I mean, it is no, I don't think anybody can argue that Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer would much rather have seen another Trump term for them, for their own power, than to have Bernie Sanders be the nominee or to have Bernie Sanders in ascendance. Because that would have been the beginning of getting us off this downward spiral. Things get a little better. You know, Team A gets a little out of control and wacky, and Team B comes in and gives a few sops to people, and they go back to brunch, and everything doesn't seem as horrific. But a lot of horror is still happening. A lot of horror all over the world is still happening. Kids in cages are still happening. The incredibly unjust, murderous, psychopathic, so-called criminal justice system is still happening to poor people and people of color. That just continues. And then we have in our faces, you know, these Hollywood types, which is, you know, rainbow coalition of diversity. And, you know, as as your earlier guest was pointing out, uh, African-Americans, less than 13% of the population, 50% of the incarcerated people in this country, and basically a quarter of all people incarcerated on planet Earth. You know, and the system will keep going on like that until it's broken. 
some of us have said, look, you know, until progressives maybe don't vote for Democrats, I mean, really don't vote. Say they're not going to vote and mean it. They're not going to listen. Or if you get into the Democratic Party, you be disruptive. That I agree with. Okay. That I agree. I agree I mean, with look, you. That I agree with you. So, but they're but they're not. You know, they're not doing this. And you know, of course, if they were getting a little testy because uh, they're getting pushback from the outside, they need to get pushback from the outside. I agree. Uh, there's a very interesting conversation between. Excuse Mary me. And let, me just, let me just let me just excuse me for one second. Uh-oh. I agree that it is the responsibility of the left within the Democratic Party mm-hmm. to make. Joe Biden's life miserable and and nothing Mm -hmm. is good enough and hold him accountable. But uh, we had Cale Brooks on uh, from Jacobin and he said, we have to be the malignant tumor in the Democratic Party that eats away at uh, the structure and take it over. You're not going to get you're not going to win elections and you're not going to win over enough Americans by saying there's no difference between Trump and Biden, because it's just not true. And there, yes, there are structural deficiencies in America. We are a declining empire. We, we have uh, problems that are beyond that. Sometimes they seem insurmountable. But uh, every system, by its very nature, is corrupt and broken. I understand. And we have a corrupt, both Dems and Repubs equally contribute to this corruption. I'm not saying that Dems and Repubs are the same. I say they're playing two different roles. The difference is... the same scam. Here's what Dr. Harriet Fraud said on this show, because she Mm -hmm. voted for Biden. She said the difference between Biden and Trump is Biden won't shoot us in the streets when we protest. Yeah, well, that's not necessarily true. We, that's not necessarily uh, true. We had Obama <laughs> and we, the cops were shooting black, black people in the streets all the time. You, you say there's no difference. That, you say there is a difference. And you think Obama, yet. you think Obama. You say there is, there is a difference. Yeah. You, you, you don't think Obama didn't look into Ferguson. Obama, you, the most breathtaking. Did you read the consent decree that Eric Holder wrote about Ferguson? You say there is a difference between the two parties, yet the outcomes tend to be the same. And they take the money from That's the That's not true. People. The outcomes are not the same. The Democrats are a little better. A little better. That's not, you know, that's an illusion. No, it's that's not. not a, that's not a, a little better that can help anybody. That's just like giving people false hope. And and you say there's not enough people who will believe, who will vote for uh, anybody who says there's no difference. or or, But the majority of the electorate doesn't vote. And they believe... They don't vote because they don't think there is a difference between the two parties. They don't think their vote will make any difference. The vote is, we have to wrap the majority it up. Of people, that's I will give the you the. I will give you the last word. Okay. That's. I'm going to. I'm going to give you the last word. I'm going to give it, but I'm going to say something. I'm going to say. Hang on. Let me just say something. 
Eric Holder is a corporate lawyer uh, and has always been a corporate lawyer. We have a structural problem in this country where poor people and African-Americans cannot vote. We have a structural problem in this country where the Republicans have gerrymandered places like Wisconsin, where Democrats win the statewide statewide vote, and uh, but the Republicans have rigged the the maps so they have more representation. This is a, a problem that a president and a party sometimes cannot rise above. For example, a Republican-appointed Supreme Court gutted the Civil Rights Acts of 65 in Shelby County versus Holder. Holder went to the Supreme Court to keep the Civil Rights Voting Act intact. And the racists on the Supreme Court said black people don't have any problem voting. So we're getting rid of that section of the Supreme Court. That was Shelby County versus Holder. That was Obama's attorney general fighting for the rights of African-Americans to vote. But the president is not a dictator, nor is the attorney general. And they lost that case. They also lost Citizens United, which the Obama administration in 2010 argued against. You know, Obama is on the side of getting money out of politics. Yes. Hang on. When he ran, he took. I know he took. What is your point? The point I'm making is. He, he, as a candidate, he didn't take public financing because he was playing the game. But he knows right from wrong. He knows that Citizens United was a bad decision. He knows that black people should be allowed to vote. The Republicans suppress the vote. That's how they win. And the Supreme Court facilitates that. There's a difference between Eric Holder and... Uh, Jeff Sessions as attorney general or Bill Barr. There just is. And for you to say that, please come back. For you to say the things you've just said, please come back to the show. And Professor Marianne, please come back. I mean, you know, I went from explaining why why almost 90 to 100 million people don't vote uh, every major election. 100 million you, people you, don't vote. To, to, you, to, you, to you saying they're not voting because they're not allowed to or because of gerrymandering? Did you ever so see the lines in Georgia? One, Did you ever see 100 million people? You think... You think Kemp people. should be? You think Kemp should be governor of Georgia or Stacey the, you Abrams? Know, you don't think that was stolen? Dave, if you if you would let me finish, the don't you you think that a hundred million screaming. people? You think a hundred million people were gerrymandered out of voting? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're? So that's why uh, Hillary Clinton lost three Democratic states, swing states. She should have taken easily. Is, is, is that why Donald Trump 
I think there's voter. I do think there's voter suppression. Is that, is that why? Is that why voter ID? I think they is make that it why harder. Joe Biden won with less of of a margin than uh, Donald Trump, or, or less of a margin than uh, Hillary Clinton lost the election in 2016. I hate Joe Biden. I'm not going to defend Joe Biden. He just happens to be better than Trump. But you're defending the Democratic Party. I'm saying they're a little bit better than the Republicans. And and to say that they're not. It's like you want. I I don't know. It's like you're arguing for syphilis of the penis as opposed to syphilis of the ass. I don't see, you know, syphilis of the ass. I'll take syphilis of the ass. <laughs> there you go. That, see, that is a how could you not platform. know the difference? Well, well, you're that's, an idiot. That's, that's the Democratic platform. They could have won 2016. But you don't know. But here's the point. There's a difference between syphilis of the ass and syphilis of the penis. And syphilis of the ass is much better than syphilis of the penis. And for you not mm. to know that. You, you know, this is how we end up with fascism, because people like you don't know the difference between syphilis of the penis and syphilis of the ass. Well, to continue my point and end, end with it, uh, I don't attribute over 90 to 100 million people not voting every election to pure gerrymandering and racism alone and voter suppression alone. There are a lot of people who see that without their votes don't matter. And this has been proven in a... Uh, Yale study about what your vote actually gets and the corresponding to what you vote for and your your wishes and what the platform you vote for and what actually happens when the person is elected that you vote for. And there's no correspondence whatsoever to what you're voting for and and the person winning and you're actually getting anything that you vote for. And they see that your vote doesn't matter. Last question. My vote didn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. Last you know, question. The only, the only time when your vote can possibly matter is probably in local elections. Okay. And that's the only thing. Here's I'm going to win this this discussion. Here's here's where I take you down. Ready? Corey Bush, AOC, Ariana Presley, Rashida Tlaib, Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Name me one good Republican congressperson. See? Name me one good Republican senator. I can't name any good Repu- uh, Democratic senators or congressmen right now. AOC, Rashida Tlaib? No, no, they're not doing their jobs. Well, they're, they're, they're captured. They're captured by the Democratic Party. It's Chris Hayes. I keep bringing up Chris Hayes in his AOC? That, you that really? Wrote, AOC isn't great. I, I, no, she is not. Really? She made it, she, she $3 million dollars she raised for Texas. She went to Hunts Point. I don't give a shit about to that. support you know, the strikers. You know, she, she, she should be supporting every uh, citizen in this country by forcing a vote on Medicare for All. And she failed that. And she accused people bringing that up as, as bringing, uh, uh, being violent against her in with words, you know, verbal violence. Ted Yoho from. And now uh, she, they could do the same thing with. Uh, the minimum wage, $15 minimum wage. They could force a vote on that, too. But they won't. No, they'd rather make excuses for their mama bear and their leadership for bombing uh, people in, in Syria and killing 22 pe- people in another, you don't like Corey in another war crime. I don't Jamal Bowman. About any what about Jamal Bowman? I don't care about any of them because they're not doing their jobs. 
you know, they're in protected situations and they make a lot of money and they get government benefits and they all have health care and they're not doing their jobs. We're in the middle of a killer pandemic in the worst part of the pandemic. And it's been over AOC. I've over never seen now, has AOC ever now, made a mistake. They, has AOC ever. I don't give a shit. What kind of question is that? Yeah, people uh, make she's she's right time. on everything. <laughs> Who? Okay. Well, we'll if you're if you're going to come on this Kellogg's. show, if you're going to come on this show and trash the Democratic Party yeah. and my country, I have one thing to say to you, Mister. Can you be, be here back. for Thursday show? <laughs> come back, and we'll be here with uh, Nancy Pelosi. Oh, good. Is Nancy Pelosi? Oh, good. Oh, fantastic. Man, well, you can pull strings, Jim. I don't know how you got Nancy. That's amazing. Thank you, Professor Marianne Cummings. Thank you, uh, Jim Earl. We've been keeping uh, Professor Mike Steinell waiting, and I apologize. But it was, uh, I had a, a little argument. Hello, is that art? Can you hear me okay? Is that a Picasso behind you? That is Miles Davis art. Really? We watched a show, uh, American Masters. Is this? Is my volume okay? Uh, you know, people say it I'm is a little and low. it isn't. Sound good, Mike. Dan, okay, good. how does it sound? He sounds great. Okay, good. They say you sound great. You know, we watched American Masters, this show on Miles Davis, and... I, Miles Davis and, and Bob Dylan are my two greatest influences. Who was Miles he Davis. married to? Was he married to a famous actress? Cicely Tyson. So, yes. I, okay. Yeah. She just passed away. Yes. He uh, hit her. He hit all his wives. Oh, he did? Yeah. He was, a, he was, he was, a, he was violent. But anyway, he, he. he, you know, he changed the course of jazz. <laughs> we can't, hang on. You can't What's say that. that? <laughs> he was violent. I That's mean, but, worse but, than what Cuomo did. Probably. But he was very loyal to his women, though. You know, it's, who would hit Cicely Tyson? Well, that implies was, that some women are worthy of getting hit. So I, that's not what. No, I was. no, no, no. That's right. That's right. Shame on you. I apologize. I'm the bad guy now. Yeah. Cancel. I wish. Be, I don't know how many people will see this, but just Google uh, Miles. He started drawing and painting like he had a period where he uh, just was. He said he he didn't hear anything and he quit playing for five. He, he didn't touch the trumpet for five years. And then he uh, came back uh, in 83 or something like that. 81 came back in 81 and one of my best friends from college he's much younger than he's he's about five years younger than me bill evans not the not bill evans the piano player but bill evans the tenor player um when i was an artist residence uh, i had him out for a week and during that he was he was in the studio making miles davis's comeback record they worked for a year he was he, miles paid his band every day some days they would just watch uh basketball at his place on uh on the off of central park he had a, he had a brownstone there but uh they got triple scale for a whole year 
every day. And uh, they made this great album called, uh, oh shoot, Man With The Horn. That was his comeback album. And uh, he, he, right around that time, he, uh, he was involved with a painter, much like Bob Dylan started painting later on in life. But I think I was just, they showed these on this America Masters, and I'm, I was just, I was gasping. They were showing, this is just one of them. I have another background I can show you, but this is radio, so it's, it's kind of foolish to, to do this. But just if everybody out there, if you think you know Miles Davis, go look at these paintings. They're all spectacular and all different. Well, it's interesting I because I said, is that a Picasso? And Picasso hit his women as well. Yeah. You know, Miles, Miles's art is a lot like Picasso. Everything is rearranged. Everything is, he was so creative. He was so, he went against the grain. He would just do something totally the opposite. Like in one, in one of the first interviews they ever had with him, he, they said, who's your main influence? And he said, Sidney Bechet. And when I read that. I was just listening to him before the show started. Right. Sidney Bechet had like, he had a very, uh, a nasal tone on the soprano sax and he had a wide vibrato. He came from that New Orleans school that was French influenced. He, didn't and Sidney Bechet move to France? He lived in France for a while and then yeah. they uh, deported him. He got in trouble. One of the famous pictures is his mug, mug shot from, but he, I was just Miles, listening to him before. I can't believe you mentioned yeah, him. I was just listening to him. But listen to, listen to him and then listen to Miles, and they're not even... But he said, maybe in the same interview, I'm not, he, says, he said, doing the exact opposite is still imitation. So he had a gift of whatever was going on. Like if you listen to The Birth of the Cool, that came out of like a reaction to highly chromatic, fast, uh, inter very um, invigorated bebop hard bop and he did this cool this whole cool thing you know which is so beautiful and um but anyway um the, bill evans was in the band he was telling me about recording and he, and he stayed at my house for a week and we play, we did a tour i was an artist in residence and i could bring guys in and i had a lot of different people and we would do tours throughout the midwest and miles called he says i gotta call miles miles wants to talk to me i gotta call miles and I didn't have, I said, can I listen on the, on the wow. extension? And I didn't do it. But you know, he had a voice like this. He said, he hired one guy. He called up Marcus Miller. This was on the, on the documentary, which is very good, by the way. Everybody I'm going to watch it. Yeah, American Masters. You'll learn a lot about jazz. He calls up Marcus Miller when he's putting the band back together. And he goes, be at my house at 11. Click. That was it. He didn't say who he was. He didn't say where his house was. He didn't say, right. <laughs> but he wanted, he wanted, he had heard him play. And that's the same thing with, with uh, Bill Evans. He just heard him play. He wanted young guys. And so he put this band together that was uh, an amazing rock band. He, he kind of did the same thing that um, Dylan did. Started to play, you know, uh, he turned his band from a very experimental jazz band with Herbie Hancock and Ron Carter and Tony Williams very ethereal, free jazz. He turned it into a rock band in the course of about three years. So he came out with, um, there's a famous memo, the, the album that started this all off was Bitches Brew. <laughs> and they, they showed this memo from, uh, uh, who, who was the head of, of uh, Columbia? 
who er- Erdogan or uh, no 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 no, no. Uh, you know the name uh, but anyway he just retired actually kind of recently uh, the guy from to... Harvard who who turned what's his name they did a documentary about him okay but anyway um, he there's a, there's a famous memo it says uh, Miles Davis wants to call his next album Bitches Brew please advise <laughs> right <laughs> because was, you know that it was pretty that was a pretty intense thing to name an album in 1969, a jazz album. You're killing me now. I can't remember the name of the guy. He, he was... Uh, Clive uh, Davis. Clive Davis. Clive Davis, right. Clive Davis. See, those, those names, they just... They're not gone. They're just down there low in the brain. A whole bunch of names on top of them, and then they... Papa Clive right. Davis. I have a friend when I'm he he's a little older and he's we'll be talking. He can't remember. And he goes, just say, wait, just wait, wait, just wait. He just says, wait, wait, wait. Hey, did you see Renegades? Or did you listen to Renegades yet? Uh, no. Are you going to to listen to a podcast of Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama talking yeah. about how hard it is to be a, a father and a good husband? And I didn't want to like it, but I did. I didn't want to like yeah. it. He sing, uh, Bruce sings My Hometown. He does it like live on the thing. And then Obama starts doing his speech from uh, the Pettus Bridge. Oh, and, he, uh, while Bruce is singing. Bruce starts noodling, I think, in the background. And but then Obama imagine, starts doing a speech. It's laced in there. And then there's the live thing of the speech and dang it, he got me, man. You know, I think you're hard on Obama. I think everybody's hard. I don't think he was a politician. I don't think he is a politician. I think he's a performance artist who got elected. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, he's a great performer. You know, like those speeches. That speech, if you listen to that speech, you know, just the words are powerful. Well, between, you, between you and me. Yeah. I love Obama. I know you do, I, uh, you, but, 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 uh, we don't need heroes right now. We need Medicare for all. We need a $20 minimum wage and we yeah. need Obama down in Bessemer, Alabama right now telling the Amazon workers to vote for a union. So it's pretty hard to worship somebody who's off on Martha's Vineyard, getting a couple million to do a podcast for, with, you know, Bruce Springsteen for Spotify. I mean, he's just, he, you know, he abandoned us. So he yeah. deserves, he deserves to be reminded that he's a disappointment. He doesn't deserve to be thanked for what? For Obamacare, yeah. which was, you know, a little better. Yeah, I don't think he, I, you know, I, all I say is that. Jimmy Carter builds homes. Jimmy yes. Carter travels around the world verifying elections. Uh, Obama's walking around in $2,000 shirts and hanging out with Richard Branson and Bruce Springsteen. How do you, how do you know how much his shirts cost? Because this is a $2,000 shirt. What you have on? Yeah. <laughs> Can you get it? Why, why don't you try to, why don't you get, hey, you know what? I just made an observation. 
I listened to the whole show today. I was putting up. And, and, and by the way, the song you want me to play, I've yes. been thinking about it for weeks. I, actually, during your uh, discussion with air quotes with <laughs> with Jim Earl, I, yeah, I, I wrote a whole nother song <laughs> that I can do live. Yes, please. You know, I had we we had um, our shots Friday. And I've been kind of, you know, because the minute they tell you all the list That's of for, uh, for heartworm, I believe, is what you got, right? <laughs> no, I got the vaccination. I got the oh, Pfizer. Okay. We got okay. the, the Pfizer. And then they tell you all the things that might happen. Of course, immediately, you know, like you start noticing. But today I did notice that I was trying to write a song for tonight. And I, <clears throat> I was a little foggy. I couldn't, my mind wouldn't kind of let, you know, I couldn't get things going. But then somehow your discussion <laughs> with Jim Earl, I wrote a song about the filibuster. I thought I thought that would be a good. Uh, okay, you want to? I can I can do it live actually. Yes, please. But if it's a song about the filibuster, keep it short. I'm <laughs> or keep it long. I had to do I had to do a little research. You know, um, Huey Long used to do. Uh, he was the master of the filibuster. And Is that a joke? I don't think so. Well, you would think a guy named Huey Long would either be good. Well, he would be good. Fili- he'd either be, he good be good with the filibuster or in bed. But go ahead. Yeah, and almost nothing rhymes with closure. Filibuster is hard enough, but anyway, nothing I rhymes with closure. Um, well, not that I could find. You know, it was a slow day for me. I got to change my headphones so I can hear myself sing. Coacher. So I probably won't hear what you're saying because I'm only hearing my microphone. Okay. How's that volume? Sounds great. I'm just a filibuster. I've been here a while. I can't read my writing. (laughs) Put that in. I like that. I may have lost my style. No, okay, I'm going to back it up. I'm just a filibuster. I've been here a while. I may have lost some luster, but I still got some style. I'm not in the Constitution. I was birthed by Rule 22. (laughs) If you want to slow things down, I'm just a guy for you. I'm getting kind of tired I'm really past my prime Many think I should be fired But Schumer won't get off a dime So in the chamber of the Senate Where nothing's happening at all Just roll me in a carpet And throw me in the hall Please, Mr. Schumer, Mr. Schumer, please, I'm getting down on my knees. Shoot me in the head, drown me in the bathtub. If I'm not quite dead, hit me with a big club. I'm ready to go. I've done my time 
put me out to pasture, I'll be just fine. In the chamber of the Senate, where nothing's happening at all, just roll me in a carpet and throw me in the hall. Please, Mr. Schumer, Mr. Schumer, please, I'm getting down on my knees. You're the best. <laughs> you just wrote that? Yeah, I wrote that while you we were having your discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, I noticed a theme today in your show. Anger? A lot of, there was a lot of griping about all the people that have podcasts from people that have podcasts on your show. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of podcasts out there. There, thinking, there were three. Did you see the one. piece in the New York Times yesterday about all the podcasts no. that are worth listening to from you know other podcasters deciding what... Yeah. They're, um, they're all, you know, they're all sponsored. They're all distractions. Not all, but most of them are distractions from. Yeah. You know. For sure. You know, a murder. You know, you know this thing on Netflix and Hulu and the podcasts. I, I know you just wrote a detective novel, but, you know, solving a, a murder is not a documentary. It's. You know, uh, titillate. It's titillation. It's puerile. Yeah. It's prurient. It, it's. And know, that's bad. That's bad stuff. It's pornography. <laughs> These, you know, tell me a murder, write me a murder. All this, not, not what you're doing, but I'm talking about when I sit you down can, and I want to hey, watch. No, yeah, when I'm talking about watching a documentary, uh, the, the police and the detective solving a murder mystery is not moving the, the the arc of social justice forward. You know, if it's a rich guy getting away with murder, maybe. But most of these documentaries celebrate detectives and the police. And it's, yeah. uh, you know. Well, you got to, you know, everybody's got to have an escape. But, David, I think you need some sunshine. I, I do we, need sunshine or some had, vitamin D or a sun lamp. We had sunshine here today that broke through after about six days of, we had fog and we had just gray and, you know. I think uh, people in New York City are listening to this podcast because I've said on this show, I'm afraid to go outside because if I see somebody without a mask, I'm going to assault them. And they're doing it? And I think I've no, I was... I called my sister and I said, everybody's wearing a mask. I think they're afraid. I I go for my walk and if I see somebody without a mask, you know. Do you give it to him? Do you you lay into him? No, no, because I did something. I made a deal with God that if this was not, I said, God, if, if this isn't captured on videotape, and doesn't if I'm not like a Karen or something, I will never confront anybody about ever that, again. Ever again, because I did something over the summer that was so dangerous. 
uh, I went after a guy who was easily six foot four, and he must have been 20, 25, just this arrogant prick without a mask. And I went after him wearing an NYPD cap. I wear a, a policeman's cap. Yeah, I cap. heard about you. That's pretty, that's pretty, uh, that's and, pretty cool. Uh, yeah, but uh, he thought I was a, a retired detective. And uh, if that were captured on things I said to him, I'd be uh, in Rikers right now. <laughs> hey, have you seen The Spy? Sasha Baron Cohen? Have you seen no, The Spy? No, I, I, I love him, though. It's really, it's really good. It's a true, I, I started watching it, then I realized, I Googled the thing, and it's, it's a true story about Ellie Cohen. Right, he was an Israeli who went undercover. Was it in Lebanon or Egypt? Syria. Syria. And he eventually became like a deputy defense minister. They made him a... <laughs> That's he was funny. so He was such a schmoozer and so... Uh, oh, don't... Uh, but, but, uh, so, okay, I'll... Uh, that's funny. What? Well, that he... That... Uh, he rose through the ranks as a spy. That's kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he uh, he was amazing. If this is a and and it's all set in the '60s, so the spy craft is kind of old fashioned, like Morse code and stuff, you know. And, uh, for the Israeli Morris code, it's for the Israeli. <laughs> is it Morris or Maurice? No, yeah, Morris. <laughs> <laughs> which is an. Hey, it's good news about caffeine. Did you read that? No. Three cups a day decreases your risk of heart failure by 35%. One cup doesn't do anything. So that's good news. And tea, tea doesn't count. It's not tea. They don't think it's the caffeine. They don't really know why, but this, this, and they've ruled out all the other. That was in the science part of the, um, Science part of the New York Times. They say that uh, coffee, caffeine prevents diabetes. It prevents Parkinson's disease. Wow. I think if you drink as much coffee as I do, I won't do a joke about shaking. But uh, my theory about these uh, coffee studies is they're probably paid for by Howard Schultz from Starbucks. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. They finance all these studies and then they put layer upon layer of plausible deniability, you know. But I'd you're be so, curious to see who funded. You're so suspicious of everything. I uh, you don't need trust more anybody. sunshine. You need more know, sunshine. You would just it would all change if you just got a little sunshine. Right. So, you know, I, I, I need vitamin D, and I'm told the vitamin D supplements aren't enough. I should go out in the sun. And I tell my mother, I'm out in the sun. She goes, you're going to get skin cancer. <laughs> it's like I can't. Can't win. You can't, can't win. win. No. Hey, uh, you're, let's play your Jeff Bezos. What, what else have you been reading, though, before we get to Jeff Bezos? Well, um, you know, I finished that book, and I've been proofing, and, and then I've been, I, I haven't written. I just read the newspaper. I need to do some more reading. Um, I'm, it's, it's hard to proofread. Jeez, I'm horrible at it. I can't believe what I miss. Oh, you're proofreading you know? your novel. 
Yeah, and plus the jazz book. I farmed my jazz book out to about 10 friends and told them, okay, I want brutal honesty. I want critique. I don't want... Don't do you're that. shaking your head. Don't do that. No. Well, I'm not saying I'll listen Maybe to it. Maybe you have a better class of friends than I do. I ask for I've brutal some, honesty and they give it to me. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I want, to, I want it to be really good. And, and uh, these are the people that are going to buy it. Right. I told him, if you don't give me at least one negative thing, I, I will make you purchase it. I'll send you a bill. But uh, I see that's interesting. That. You're a good person and, and you're a good friend. And I have never asked my friends to read anything I've written. And when I used to do TV as a comedian, I would never tell them. They'd be furious. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me you were going to be? And I go, because it's my job. And, you know, I don't, I don't want you to call me and, and say. But you've collaborated. You've worked in a writer's room. I love collaborating. But I'm, I'm talking about well, friends. the same thing. No, well, I'm talking about, like, normal friends. Oh, okay. You know, comedy writers. Aren't normal? You know, I, I could spend the rest of my life around them. But, you know. Like real friends, you know, people who will, uh, people you don't want to be around, friends, people who are, you know, know too much about you, oh. people who remind you of who you really are, people you stay away from, friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's a twisted logic somewhere Friend, in friends, there, I know. They, they, they're, they, my friends, no, I'm kidding. You want to play the song? Yeah, I'm just thinking about uh, living. In, I've been living in New York too. How's Denton? You're suing the uh, the the utility, right? I don't know about that. Me personally? No, no. Is no, it Denton suing for? Well, the, they got to figure out how to pay that bill, you know. But meanwhile, I you think my wait, bills. You, wait a second. You think the power company ripped you off? Wait till the lawyers send you the bill. <laughs> I looked at we're we're locked into our rate, so our our electricity and our our uh, our heating and, and gas wasn't that bad, you know. For it's been a cold winter, and um, so I'm sure. Um, I hear Tom Selleck is doing commercials for reverse mortgages on your power bill down in Texas. Oh my God. <laughs> My, you know what? My mother-in-law loves Tom Selleck. She is. How much money does Tom Selleck need to be advertising reverse mortgages? You know, I read that he he his his career had kind of like fallen down. Like Blue Bloods was uh, Blue Bloods Blue Bloods. Hard to say that Blue Bloods was was uh, salvation for him because he was he probably signed those deals for the. Um, the reverse mortgage. Hey, speaking of reverse, I read a thing in the science time or the science issue. Did you know that at one point the Earth's polarity actually switched? There was a reversal in the poles, the North and South Poles. Like we're one big magnet. You understand right. that the Earth is a big magnet. So, and, so you're saying that at one time the northern part of America was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you live but in anyway, Texas. Yes, but anyway, they switched, and now they're finding 
anomalies that might, in certain parts of the Atlantic, where things are screwy, you know, the, the magnetism is a little off, and they think that we might be in, you know, maybe in 40,000 years, we might get another. It caused a huge uh, ice age. Right. 72,000 years I'm ago. I'm sure it got the spare change out from underneath your <laughs> couch cushions. That would be, That's good. That would That's be, good. so the, the earth was just... How many, how many jokes do you write a day in your head? None. Do you listen to this show? <laughs> I, I wish I could See, write that was a one right there. That was one right there. No, I... No, uh, that was... You know, real writing, uh, real writing is sitting at your computer and writing jokes. Being quick, most of the time when you look back at something you come up with while you're talking to somebody, it's not as funny as, uh, as an actual joke. Unless now, it's for stand up. Don't you know people that are just like intuitively fun? I know people that are no, intuitively fun. I, I can't handle that. You don't like them? No, they make me feel less than. And I ask them to stop. I say, please don't be <laughs> so funny. I like they, unfunny. No, seriously, if I'm going to watch, like I watch Chris D'Elia. Like Chris D'Elia makes me happy because he's successful and he's not and funny. And he's not funny. But then I watch like Dave Chappelle or. You know, Bill Burr or yeah. uh, or Dave Vitell and Todd Barry. And uh, I go, oh, OK, that's why I'm where I am and they're where they are. <laughs> I don't see. I like to watch Crystal. But everybody has a style. I think you got to get over that. You have a you have a thing that's appealable to to, to uh, three not people. everybody loves all those guys Here, here's my know. idea i want to i like louis ck i used to ask him like what's it like to play madison square garden or you know dane cook what's it like and i i thought would be really funny is like hbo to give <laughs> give me a special <laughs> and i play madison square garden and, and, nobody we don't, and we don't pack five it. people. You, you, we charge, you know, like a hundred dollars a ticket, and and I have to do the show at Madison Square Garden in front of nobody, or like three people. You that know, would make uh, me very happy to 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 do a special at Madison Square Garden. You know, be on the marquee, and and just see and promote it. You know, you know, go on TV to promote it and do radio shows to promote it. And I wouldn't sell a single ticket, not one. And then I have to do the make special. a documentary out of it, make a documentary, make a di or just make me do the special. And it, it would be so painfully funny and unfunny at the same time. You know, I, I haven't told I met there's a story I wanted to tell you a couple of weeks ago about the worst crowd I ever I do these clinics. I go out and do infomercials like at conventions for music educators. So I was right. doing Arkansas music educators over in Hot Springs, which is it's a pit. Hot Springs is a pit. We is that where Bill quick. Clinton? He was. Did he spend time in Hot Springs? Of course, yeah. And that's yeah. like a, that used to be a mob gambling hangout. Oh yeah, and and uh, the Babe Babe. It was spring training. They used to do spring training there, and uh, uh, 
Babe Ruth would, there's pictures of him all over the place because he would, he would work out and then he would get rip roaring drunk at night. <laughs> he was and so great. Rip, and then he, then he, he was like out. eating a hot dog. And I know. <laughs> he had like a hot dog in his mouth while he was up, up at bed. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm doing this thing and, and, and I look at the schedule and I'm, I'm in, there's a, there's a keynoter, this guy, John Frugal, not Frugalstein, it's, it's a name like that, Firerobin, John Firerobin, who's a brilliant speaker, and he's talking about early childhood education. And there's like six people in this big room, and I'm up next. How many people you, you broke up? 6,000. 6,000 people? It's huge. Yeah, it's a big, big room for a convention. It was big. I don't know, maybe it was... Might have been twenty. No, it was. <laughs> it was. It was like the whole people. It was the. It was the keynoter, and I'm following the keynoter. So I say, "Wow, this is this is wild." So I, I get there and I listen a little bit to his thing, and then I leave to go to the bathroom, and I got about five minutes, and and so he's done, and they start coming out, you know, and I'm going in. They start coming out, and they're still. <laughs> Walking out on you. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming in and I'm getting set up and they're walking out and they're walking out. Literally, there was five people there. And so I had to do crowd work. I was kind of like, uh, when it gets that small, you got to know who you're. So where are you from, you know? Mm -hmm. And and one one or two people said they were educators. They were, they were kind of there for it. And one guy said, I'm just here because my daughter's in a choir thing down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> and I, he, I said, you play music? Nope. <laughs> Do you teach music? Nope. Well, thanks for being here. It was horrible. It was well, horrible. And then Jim Earl and I have a history of walking audiences. And the thing that Jim and I have in common is deep down inside, we delight in the fact that we've ruined... <laughs> 50 people, 200 people's night. <laughs> like, we go home. Hey, I see a pretentious douchebag. Do you Is know who our pretentious douchebag? Dan, Dan Frankenberger? He needs a, he needs a pair of, uh, uh, a pipe and some bongos. Well, he's I got the pipe. I see three of them. <laughs> Do you have bongos? <laughs> That's not a euphemism. I don't mean anything by that. I have an idea. Yes. Why don't we we'll we'll play uh, "I'm on my way," which is one of my favorite songs that you've ever written okay. about Jeff Bezos, right. and because you know I don't know if you. Heard the Income equality. I did. I did. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah went, I was a little too angry today. You I, need a little sunshine, David. I need some sunshine. sunshine. Yeah. But you know what brings me sunshine? Dan Frankenberger. Why don't you yeah. stick around, Professor Mike, and, let, and Dan will do community billboard, and we can find what Glenn Costick. We have pictures of what Glenn Costick has been eating. This is what. This is why I feel sorry for the people listening to the podcast who don't get to join us in the zoom room where we can see pictures and by the way if yeah. you'd like to attend a live taping go to davidfeldmanshow.com hit attend a live taping and i will send you an invite and you can sit in the zoom room and talk to the chinwaggers in the chat room who uh, will lead you astray bad people in the chat room very bad people Okay. Yep. Mike, Professor Mike, stay out of the chat room. I, I'm not looking at it. I don't, I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't. Oh multitask. my God. They're animals. <laughs> animals. John They're Hayes funny. had something really funny. 
it was like perfect and I saw it and I forgot what it was. It was like <laughs> five hours ago. Oh man. And I, I was about to quote, I can't remember what it was. I almost quote. Anyway, how are you, Dan Frankenberger? We have a big uh, office hours and hours. Yeah, it's coming up. This 24 Friday. hours of office hours, if only Professor Mike Steinel. Hey, I don't know how you get scheduled on that thing. I show up and I'm not scheduled. Who do you who do you uh, have to sleep? Well, well, who do you have to sleep with around here? Well, it just so <laughs> happens. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, it turns out. So, uh, yeah. We're, we're, I'll do something. Thank you. We, we Yeah, even we're, Saturday. I just can't do it in the middle of the night, though. Well, we're we'll old. probably Dan. We're, what are we going to do? We're going to have the the Ferners, the Europeans handle the overnight. Yeah, the early portion and the um, we have a, a schedule set up through Calendly, which I'm about to post a link in the Zoom here. Okay, and there are still. Uh, so I go to that and I, I sign up. I sign up. I say I'll I'll take this. Yeah, correct. There's this? A, when you when you look at the calendar, highlighted will be Friday and Saturday, which a lot of the Friday ones are taken up already. And then Saturday basically starts at midnight, and goes you know throughout the day. Okay. Joe in Norway has set that up, and Andy Brown and and Lance and Grace and you. Am I leaving somebody out? We should probably have a meeting before uh, before that. Yeah, tomorrow is probably good. Yeah. Because one thing I'm going to mention in uh, Community Billboard today is Tom Weber's uh, starting a group on Wednesday night, which I'll get to that in a minute. But first I want to bring up um, Henry and Professor Adnan Hussein. They do... Uh, podcast called the Guerrilla History Podcast, which they've been doing for several months now. So it's it's Henry and Adnan and Brett O'Shea. And you can check out their podcast at Guerrilla underscore pod on Twitter. And Henry's Twitter is at Huck1995. And Professor Adnan is at Adnan Hussein, H-U-S-A-I-N. That sounds great. Yep. Along with this group, with the um, Professor Adnan has been doing a lot over the last few months with uh, the Gorilla History, and he has his podcast called the Mudgeless Podcast, and he also does another one, uh, another uh, group uh, educational situation with Roriki. We so love Roriki. Yeah, my mother so, loves Roriki. His uh his Twitter is at Dubhain H D U B H A I N H, and that's uh that's for Ricky and uh, you can find them easily on Twitter with uh, going for at Weekly Marks and at Morning Marks. Right. Um, Tom and Barb Weber. Yes. Uh, they're back. They're back on track. Uh, Barb had a. Do we surgery. have any of his art? I, I have not sent you any of his art. Okay. But um, they're back on track with their schedule as far as their uh, Facebook concerts. Mm-hmm. So every every Tuesday night at eight, they do a half hour concert, and uh, I watched their Saturday night concert a few days ago, and wow. 
that was they do an hour and a half one on Saturday nights. He and gives the out. best. Uh, Professor Mike, have you heard Tom Weber's lectures? On yes, I have. I've caught two of them. Nonviolence and yeah, yeah. It made I, me. I went out and uh, I hit my fist through a wall. <laughs> I, you know, with office hours, it didn't work. I, it didn't. It didn't take. Sorry. <laughs> I have a. Uh, I I have a ritual now on Friday nights. Like I know the week is over when I go turn on my iPad and I go listen to Tom. I, I lie in bed and I listen to it. it's one of the, it's so great. We we he is. I don't know. We should. Anyway, go ahead, Dan. Um, so they got their concerts back up and running after barber surgery, and she's doing well. That's good. Good. But Tom is uh, starting a group coming up. With um, He wanted to invite everyone to join the inaugural kickoff of the new spirituality and activism group. Wow. And, and, where, uh, and how do we join this? The first meeting is going to be uh, this Wednesday, the 3rd, from 8 to 9.30 Eastern. It's going to be on Zoom. Great. And the Zoom link is going to be available on the Discord server. Great. And during this meeting, Tom's going to lead a discussion on um, the possibilities for how this group's future can unfold and mm -hmm. insights and practices across religious traditions and philosophies and, uh, you know, without pr uh, proselytizing and uh Wow, that sounds great. Yeah, he says uh, it's open to uh, all interested individuals. Are we hosting faced. it? Are we doing it on our system? Uh, nope. Andy helped him set it up. Okay. So that's good. So right. any uh, faith traditions, Buddhist, Christian, Judaism, Hinduism, pagan, indigenous, uh, if, you, if you're not religious or a nun or agnostic, atheist, or if you're just curious, uh, stop on in. And again, it's going to be uh, Wednesday at 8 for about an hour and a half. And aside from the Discord, they don't have like a, a good infrastructure set up yet for distributing it. So if if you need the Zoom link and you don't do Discord, you can just email me at dentfeldman at gmail dot com and I'll get you the info. Okay, so that's good. Um, Andy Brown wrote in that uh, he got a haircut and he's pleased with it. Oh, good. That's good news. And does Sarah yeah. like it? Uh, I don't know about that. Okay, <laughs> but as long as he likes it, yeah, that's good news. Uh, Glenn Costick. Yes, let me. Get uh, the picture ready. This is exciting. This is why I feel sorry for the people who aren't in the Zoom room because they don't get to see what Glenn Costick is eating. They should be uh, uh, searching on YouTube for David Feldman, and so and, they can watch this. And join us here. Yeah. Let me start with uh, picture number seven. So that's uh, Christmas lima beans. Wow, with gar garlic. Those are heirloom lima beans. Gingers. Those are heirloom lima beans with some chickpeas, I believe. They look great. What? what, what I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. Lima, lima beans with garlic, jalapeno, and ginger. Wow. Those carrots look great. The beans. Yeah, I'm, stealing, I'm stealing these from uh, Glenn's Facebook. So if you look up Glenn Costick, you'll find them pretty easily. Okay. That's good work. That looks delicious. Okay. I'm going to go to picture number... Uh, what do I go to? Eight? The next one. Yep. Eight. <clears throat> so this nine. looks yep. this looks dangerous. Well, Ooh, he posted good. that Saturday seems like a good day to make egg rolls. That looks mm. great. Yeah. Wow. What's in the egg rolls? 
on his Facebook, he's got two or three other pictures showing the ingredients before he put them in. Wow. So, yeah. You are, those, are those deep fried, you think? I yeah. think so. Yeah. It looks like they're so. fried. But, if uh, you go find him on Facebook and, and check it out, it's weird because I posted on that because I had made homemade egg rolls the night before during office hours. You know what I did? I made a peanut butter sandwich today. <laughs> did you put a oh. banana on it? <laughs> yeah. Did you really? Did you, did, <laughs> no. You know what did I did? I, <laughs> I decided I wanted pancakes. Ooh. And I went out and bought like a vegan pancake mix. And I made myself a stack of pancakes. And then I made myself sick. And I threw the pancake mix in the garbage. Pancakes, not a good idea for me. Okay, and this would yeah. be number nine. Number nine. Number yep, nine. The, the last one for the, the cleanser. Whoa. This is a salad of sprouts, beets, fennel, farro, and lettuce. Wow. That's that a great. beautiful thing. That is just beautiful. That's on Love his Facebook page. Like that. If you're on Facebook, you should uh, hit up Glenn Kostick. That's nice. Pickle sure. beets. Well, mm. I'm getting hungry. Um, next is uh, earlier tonight, we learned from uh, Mr. Martling that in order to make an appointment with the Spurn Bank, you should tell them that you can come. Okay, that's good to <laughs> yeah. know. Thank you. That. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stupid. <laughs> I missed him. I want to make a deposit. <laughs> I want to make a deposit. <laughs> you know that joke, right? <laughs> That's a terrible joke. He knows every joke. Every You cannot stump the man. He is a scholar. Jackie is a scholar. <laughs> we had COVID, uh, COVID Town Squares a couple of weekends ago, and uh, COVID Confidential number six is up on their YouTube channel and you get the links to that on Twitter at, at COVID underscore radio. Right. And, um, the whole series is a bit of like a mystery situation where they have one or two more episodes left to go. Uh, Kathleen has made a homemade prize. So if you can go through and decipher all the, uh, characters in relation to the meaning of, uh, coronavirus, you'll, you'll win a prize. So check that out. COVID underscore radio. Um, longtime listener, Joe Brenton. Yes, sir. He's been listening to the podcast since the very beginning. So you should go check out his website and buy some earrings, which is his specialty at josephbrentonjewelry.com. Do we have any photos? Uh, nope, not this week. Okay. Um, we have uh, David Feldman. His Twitter is David underscore Feldman underscore. And the Facebook is real David Feldman. Uh, I also wanted to bring up that uh, we haven't quite hit 100 on the change.org uh, mission to have David Feldman's Wolf Howl soundboard come to fruition. So if you go to change.org and just look up David Feldman Wolf Howl, you'll find it. You can sign it, and then we'll have a lot of owls. They have a petition. This is, <laughs> and I signed it. <laughs> how many how many how many signatures do we need for me to play a, a wolf howl we're up in the 80s so it's less than 20 okay so where do i sign that <laughs> i thought they were going to send me the wolf howl howl well, right. well you have some from the uh the halloween edition yeah. of 
the COVID town squares. Yeah, so we had a correct. few yes. people loved it. Okay. And I only sent you one or two when I had eight or 10. Okay. So that's great. And uh, if you want to send anything else to the community billboard, just send it to uh, dentfeldman at gmail.com and we'll get you taken care of. Dent Feldman, because I have a dent in my head. Apparently. Your dent had a douchebag. And we're getting rid it. Yes. David. D- David. David. David Feldman. Oh, it, why? Why look? It's first former first lady Melania Trump. Hello, hello, David. David Feldman. It's been such a long time it's, it's, since you have had me on your show. When are you going to send me an invitation? I, I would love you to. You, 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 it's an open door. Kind of like your last open movie. Open door. You Didn't you I've make a movie? That before. Didn't you make a movie I've called made Open Door? Several movies about my open door. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know that because you have seen them all. Yes, I and have. And I have sent you the films. Yes, I have. Thank you for that. Jess, you're welcome. So, you have Nancy Pelosi on. When are you going to have? Former First Lady Melania, do some shout outs for you soon next, I, yeah? I would love to do some sh- shout outs. Did you say Nazi Pelosi? Nazi Pelosi, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Nancy Pelosi. Nazi Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> just the just, just, just stripper of, of the house. The, the stripper of, no, speaker of the house. The stripper. The, Yes, the stripper of the house. The, the speaker of the house. I would love you to come by for Friday's show and do some sh- shout-outs. Oh, I would like that very much. Well, we, 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 maybe th- Thursday. Thursday? It's Thursday. Thursday. Uh, Thursday. I think it is Thursday, yeah. No, Thursday. Not Thursday. Thursday. How, how that are, is what I said. Yes. How is uh, life in Florida? How is Mar-a-Lago? Uh, you know, it is the same Florida, Mar-a-Log Hall. <laughs> it's Mar-a-Log. With D- Donald. Talking about Donald. Just Tonel. He, he had been busy in Orlando uh-huh. the, the past day. I had been sitting in the spa. Where was he speaking in Orlando? At the, the seat, the, 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 what is it called? At the... The the pap these pap smears the yes. pap smear see pap smear yeah. yes the sea pap smears that yes yeah and it was positive it is positive yeah, yeah. we all have the cancer now we yeah. are all in this together yes and, and how's the son how's your old, uh, your only Barton. son Barton yeah. Barton is doing very well yes. Good. Yes. Well, we're always glad to hear from you. I am sure. I heard uh, Senator Susan Collins gave the former first lady one of the suction apparatus uh, machines. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering how that was going. Yes, I have suction apparatus machine here at Mother Log Hall in the spa. <laughs> when are we going to do Diabetic Fury? Are you going to be Yeah, and it's a good question. Well, that is a very good question. We, we Let us to, plan. Let us March. make a plan. To, 
to do another show in March. Yes. Yes, that would that would be delightful. I would love to. All right. We have so much fun at our shows. Yes. 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 You, you put on a good show. Yes, you do. Oh, well, thank you, Debbie. Thank you. You're very kind. Ah, uh, that's very sweet of you, first lady. Maybe that Nazi, Nazi Pelosi <laughs> will, will come to the show also. I, I would love na- na- Nazi, Nazi Pelosi. Nazi Pelosi. <laughs> yeah. It's Nancy Thank Pelosi. you very much. Well, thank you yes. so much, First Lady Melania Trump. Thank you. Don't get sick. Don't, don't get what? Remember, don't get sick. It is waste of time. Yes. And Heil to the Hitler. Thank you very much, Heil to uh, I go back now. Jimmy is going to give me a nice massage. Oh, he's a, he's a very... Yes. Is he a good lover? He is very good, but do not tell Donnell. Donnell is not here right now. Oh, that could get ugly. All right. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And we will talk on th- Thursday. Yes, I'll see you on Thursday. See you on Thursday. First Lady. Tschüss. <laughs> I'll see you uh, I'm going to play one of my favorite songs by Professor Mike Steinel. This is unbelievably great. Here we go. This is his uh, tribute to Jeff Bezos. I'm on my way to be a billionaire. Now you can make fun of me, but I don't really care. I have a plan to get there by and by. As long as I stay healthy and I never die Fifteen bucks an hour Five days a week Fifty-two weeks a year And thirty-two thousand years I know it's a long time, honey To thirty-four thousand and twenty But when I get there, babe I'm gonna be in the money I'm on my way a billionaire Now you can make fun of me But I don't really care I have a plan To get there By and by As long as I stay healthy And I never die All I really need Is a second job or a third Lift myself up my boots And join that elite herd of the 600 billionaires in the USA Who make more in a second than I do in a day I'm on my way, yes I am I'm on my way I'm on my way Oh, yes I am Now you can make fun of me, but I don't really care I have a plan to get there, yes I do, by and by As long as I stay healthy and I never die As long as I stay healthy and I never die As 
as long as I stay healthy and I never You know, I played that. I, I had to stop playing that song, Professor Mike Steinel. I felt guilty. I was playing that, like, for every show. What's Mike's, wrong with that? <laughs> I, I just I played it over and over again. I mean, Mike yeah. Steinel is a jazz trumpeter, composer, and educator. And he has two books that you should pick up, Essential Elements for Jazz Ensemble and Building a jazz vocabulary. There's a third one on the way. Rosanna Eckert and Mike Steinel put out an album called Song and Dance. The Mike Steinel Quintet Song and Dance. Pick it up over at MikeSteinel.com or do what I do and listen to it on uh, Spotify. Yep, yep, yep. Another show. Thank you, David. Thank I love Thank you. You're you for, you're, um, the, you're the best. You're the best. I, I, I right back at you. I'll uh, I'll, I'll see you, you Friday night. I'll see you Friday night or Saturday for office hours and yes. hours. We'll get some musical theory, some jazz theory from Professor okay. Mike Steinel. Thank you. I should <laughs> remind. You Thank you so much. I should remind everybody that this Friday, office hours. And hours, 24 hours of office hours, starting at 8 p.m. Friday night. We go all the way to 8 p.m. Saturday night. Can you go the distance? Who will be left standing? Lectures, music, comedy, and conversation, office hours, and hours Go to davidfeldmanshow.com for an invitation to office hours and hours. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com and I'll send you an invitation. If you've already been to office hours in the past two months, I think the link will work. I think. But if you're not certain, go to my website and I'll send you a link. And if you would like to attend a live taping and sit in our virtual studio audience, go to davidfeldmanshow.com and hit attend a live taping and I'll send you an invitation and that gets you into our Discord group where great things are happening thanks to Andy Brown. You want to test me, Dan? Because I have no idea if I can do this. I have the list. Okay, and then we'll wrap We're ready. it up. All right. <clears throat> Five o'clock, I talked. Then Jackie the Joke Man Martling, then John Ross, then uh, Mark Breslin, then, oh boy. Oh, man. Oh, oh, our friend, um, I can't pronounce his name. He's running for Sher Shervin. Shervin came in at 6 30. Zami. Yep. Okay. And then. Uh, He's running for California's 30th. He wants to get rid of Brad Sherman. Then Howie Klein. Then, wow. Don't, da, 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 I'll get it. Howie Klein. And then, uh, 
Oh, oh, Eddie, Eddie, Henry. He's not in your age group. I was going to say <laughs> Henry and uh, Margaret is her first name. Yep, Margaret Kimberly. Then uh, eight. Then Doctor Harriet Fraud. Yep. Then Professor Adnan Hussein. Then Professor Marianne Cummings. Then Brick Overton, but we couldn't hear him. Then <laughs> I, I might think I put a sad face next to his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then Jim Earl. Then Professor Mike Steinell. Then Dan Frankenberger. That's it. Did I get it? I got it all right. Yep. Good. All right. Another one for uh, the record books. March 1st. March 1st. Soon it will be spring. It'll feel good. Yeah. I'm David Feldman. Remember to stay strong and protect the week. And we'll see you here on Thursday or Friday, depending on how you listen to this. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a